Friday, September the 23rd, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We have some NCAA football game previews and a couple plays for you this week. We'll dive into NFL Week 3 with Eric, game-by-game previews. We spend uh, about 90 minutes previewing everything for NFL Sunday and Monday. Then we get into the horse racing portion of this episode. Friday, best bets at Gulfstream Park. Then we dive into Saturday. It's a huge day at Parks with the Pennsylvania Derby. Ten stakes races, five graded stakes races, two grade ones. Track announcer Chris Griffin joins us to preview the day. And then Jessica Jessica Paquette joins us to do some handicapping. She's going to be part of their broadcast. So she's heading out there to, uh, to join in and to help them out with handicapping, selections, reports, all sorts of stuff like that. So we talk with Chris, we talk with Jessica, we talk NFL with Eric, and then we finish up with This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper talking SmackDown, Raw, NXT, AEW. We also get you Saturday and Sunday Louisiana Downs, the final Saturday and the final Sunday of the Louisiana Downs meet coming up this weekend. So, NCAA football, NFL Week 3 with Eric, Friday Gulfstream best bets. Saturday Parks with Chris. Saturday Parks races 9, 10, 11, and 12 with Jessica Paquette. Saturday Louisiana full card. Sunday Louisiana full card. This week in wrestling, WWE, SmackDown, Raw, NXT, AEW. On this episode of That's What G Said, that is presented by Better Than Dot Vegas at BTV Bets. Give them a follow at BTV Bets on Twitter. Everything's free over at BTV. Live streams to get you previewed and prepped for all of the big games. Anything big in the world of sports, they've got you covered over at BetterThan.Vegas. Give them a follow at BTV Bets. And on Friday at BTV Bets, there's a college football show that's called Campus Profits where we preview some of the big games of the weekend. And then myself, Eric, Jim, give out a couple other best bets. Let's dive into a few of those games on this college football weekend. Kicking it off with Clemson versus Wake Forest. Now, Clemson is a 7.5 point favorite on this game. They're on the road. Over-under in this game, 55.5. Wake Forest had to survive what would have been a game-winning two-point play from Liberty last week. Playing with a backup quarterback. They got nothing from the running game. They are 128th in the nation in rushing success rate and 116th in EPA per rush. 54% of their runs were stuffed in just an 18% rushing success rate against Liberty. Now they got to play the Clemson defensive line. Are they going to be able to run at all? Wake Forest does feature a prolific passer, Sam Hartman, the 10th most prolific yardage passer in ACC history. They've averaged 42 points per game so far this year, but they are 0-24 this century against top 10 rivals. They only have one top 10 win all time. They're allowing 23.7 points per game. On the Clemson side, they've won 13 in a row against Wake Forest, and they've won 39 games against uh, out of their last 41 against Atlantic Division rivals dating back to 2014. But they were only up 13-6 at the half against Louisiana Tech last week. Their defense is top 7 in schedule-adjusted run defense, but they are tied for 86th nationally with passing defense allowing 244 yards per game. They are averaging 41-plus points per game offensively, and they should get a nice boost with defensive tackle Brian Brees coming back. A really sad story. He had to miss the last game. His 15-year-old sister died of brain cancer two days before the game. 
So he will be returning And that, that'll give them a real emotional boost After what uh, he's been through I feel like points Are the way to be in this game And I think it's a little too much For a, cl- a Wake Forest team That could backdoor So at over a touchdown I'm leaning Wake Forest here Plus the 7.5 As we move to Baylor Iowa State Not a whole lot of thoughts on this game Baylor 2-1, and one, Iowa State 3-0 and oh in here Iowa State is a 2.5 point favorite At home in this game Total in this game is 45.5 Baylor, they're averaging 234 Plus rushing yards per game Iowa State, they have an efficient offense uh, They have an aggressive defensive approach 14 tackles for loss 5 sacks, 5 different players Having produced a sack so far I think I would lean Baylor here If they can run the ball But not the real strong opinion for me Florida versus Tennessee Tennessee is a 10.5 point favorite Florida goes on the road to play Tennessee Florida is 2-1, Tennessee is 3-0 Tennessee Has some regression coming For third down, for red zone defense They should not have beat Pittsburgh That game was a game that Pittsburgh should have been up early 17-0 Both of their quarterbacks got hurt Everything went wrong For Pittsburgh and they had to go to overtime And they still barely lost I think Tennessee's a little overhyped. Now, Florida has some major weaknesses. That Utah game is going to throw a lot of people off the scent, at least early. But look at this number at a 10.5 point number here. Florida almost lost to USF last week. They screwed up a game tying field goal with 23 seconds left. Quarterback Richardson did not look good again. Two more interceptions, zero passing touchdowns on the year. 36%. Depth adjusted accuracy rate 32% of his passes have been uncatchable Among the 137 Qualifying quarterbacks He is graded The 134th best In passing Just 28 yards rushing the last two games He looks like he might be hurt But they have won 5 in a row against Tennessee And 16 of their last 17 I'm going to go Florida in here Plus the 10.5 I'm doing it, Florida plus the 10.5 Texas versus Texas Tech Texas is a little overhyped They're playing these games where we're not exactly sure Who's going to play quarterback Last week they were a little slow After the Alabama game And Texas Tech When they played North Carolina State The Wolfpack had 16.7 points Of turnover luck Texas turned the ball over Texas Tech turned the ball over four times Got sacked four times One of those was a pick six They're down 20 to nothing at halftime a couple bounces that game is different And you probably have a, a different number here I like Texas Tech plus the 7 at home Over under in this game is 61.5 Give me Texas Tech plus the 7 at home We go to the Oregon Ducks versus Washington State Oregon comes off of a big win last week They caught a BYU team though That was playing without their top 2 wide receivers And BYU who was coming off of Playing a really big game against Baylor the week before now Oregon has to travel up to the Palouse Washington State Washington State's already beat Wisconsin this year And they're a 6.5 point favorite On the road against Washington State I like Washington State in here A plus 6.5 at home Give me the Cougs On a really nice spot After Oregon comes off of their big win Oregon's a much different team at home Bo Nix is a much different quarterback on the road His splits are Incredibly different we get to Arkansas versus Texas A&M Texas A&M is a 2.5 point favorite in this game Over under 48.5 These two teams are polar opposites Texas A&M 
fantastic defense, tied for ninth nationally in scoring defense, allowing just 8.7 points per game. But their offense is bad. They only average 20 points per game. And then on the flip side, you have Arkansas, who's averaging 37.7 points per game, but they allow 27, which is ranked, and they rank last in the nation among 131 teams in passing defense with 353 yards allowed per game. If you lead the nation in sack, uh, they lead the nation in sacks though with 17, and they rank seventh in rushing defense. So you can't run the ball against them, but you can throw it against Arkansas. Can Texas A&M move the ball at all? They had new quarterback Johnson start last week. They won that game despite a negative 2.7 EPA passing. Miami had a 67% win expectancy in that game. They had more yards per play, a higher explosive play rate, better third down success, better red zone success. But Texas A&M was able to win because of special teams. Miami was also missing their slot receiver. and They really couldn't figure anything out in the passing game. Four players were suspended, though, for Texas A&M due to a team rules violation, and they have been reinstated, including wide receiver Evan Stewart. This Arkansas team had to come back from a 10-point deficit, though, to Missouri State. Probably a stay away for me. I just can't get quite a feel on who's going to be able to really dominate and play their style. We move to a big game for USC. On the road at Oregon State, a good Oregon State team this year. They've started 3-0. They have a really good coach. USC is a 5.5-point favorite in this game, over under 70. And people are going to continue to play against USC because they have great turnover luck. That accounted for 13.9 points of the final margin. and They're plus 10 in turnovers so far, USC. Now, offensively, they're incredible. So that's my, I can understand why anyone would want to play Oregon State here because USC's wins are maybe a little bit better, uh, are maybe not as good as they look on paper, right? They're getting all of the bounces so far. The only problem is offensively, they're incredible. They had two running backs with 100 yard games. They've had, they've scored nine touchdowns on their first 11 first half drives. They're fourth in the nation in yards per play. Almost 20% of their offensive snaps have graded out as explosive. One-fifth of their plays are explosive plays. Their offensive line has been really good. They are number one in opportunity rate. Only 10% of their runs have been stuffed. They're 12th in rushing success rate. They're averaging four lines per uh, four line yards per rush, which is number one in the country. Lots of positives on the offensive side, but their defense is, is a struggle. So it should be... Oregon State offensively should be able to move the ball. I just don't know if Oregon State's going to be able to stop USC on the flip side. Oregon State has covered eight straight games at home. They're 5-2 and two straight up and 5-2 and two against the spread. They're lost seven times as a home underdog. And I assume Oregon's offense plus against USC's defense, but on the opposite side, it might be tough for them. I can understand anyone that thinks this will be a close game and wants to play Oregon at home, Oregon State at home. I'll still think that USC should be able to win and cover this game, but it's not going to be a game that I'm I'm getting involved in. So a couple looks at some games this weekend in college football and come hang out with us on Friday, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time for more college football analysis. It's free over at BTV Bets. Let's move from college football to NFL. Eric joins us for... The game-by-game previews. We talk every game for Sunday and Monday, NFL Week 3. We talk 
line movement, injuries, fantasy, and DFS thoughts. We recap some of the information from last week, game analysis and preview this week, how we're playing, if we're playing, a wealth of information, NFL Week 3, right now. NFL Week 3 coming up. Uh, We will go through all of the Sunday and Monday football games for you. When we record, it's usually on Thursday, so um, when we're doing that, a lot of the time, we just rather not even get into the Thursday game because it's just about starting or midway through. So we talk about everything on Sunday and on Monday. Eric is here. This is a, a show that's a little different. There are some really great fantasy shows out there. There are some really great gambling shows out there. There are some shows that just preview the games. We do that all. Eric, we'll try to hit all of that for you. We'll give you our uh, thoughts on the, the numbers, the line movement. We'll talk about the injury, the injury report, major injuries. Then we'll give you a little bit of game analysis, how we think the game might go. We'll talk about fantasy DFS stuff, if we're playing any props, and then just how overall we're playing the game. So we try to give you uh, like a couple different shows all jammed into one right here, buddy. I know you've been a little under the weather. How you feeling? Feeling better. I mean, last weekend was a little rough, um, but, uh, you know, feeling good. You know, Steelers off to a good start. Hopefully they can cover this number and uh, get the week off to a good start. So you and I each week now are finding five games that we have in common to come together to put in our mythical Circa uh, sports contest. And so far, two weeks, three and two, both weeks. Not bad. So water. Yep, <laughs> six and four through uh through two weeks yeah. with a uh, couple games yeah. over. If we keep churning that out, you know what? That's a that's a good season. One of these weeks yeah. we'll we'll hit a nice four and one or a five and a week. Let's see where we come together this week. We are going to go in order based on the games over at Bet Fred. Bet Fred Sports is now a big partner with our friends over at Better Than Vegas. So if you ever need a place to play, check out Bet Fred Sports. Eric, let's start with the Ravens Patriots. So. We see in this number still Baltimore around minus three. They're on the road at New England, uh, around 44 in the over-under. Baltimore with that massive collapse last weekend. Um, Last season, there were 61 games in which a team won by 20 or more points and a grand total of zero games in which a team came back from a 20-point deficit to win. Two of them on Sunday. Happened twice on Sunday. Last Sunday Uh, was a little crazy. Um, so they led 35 to 14 at the end of the third quarter. Yeah. And yep. uh what's what's pretty crazy is that there were a couple of fourth down plays that sort of hurt them, but it wasn't as if they had like a bunch of turnovers or anything like that. They you know, they had 8.8 yards per offensive play, which would have been the second most by any team in any game last year just to give you an idea for a full season. They committed no turnovers and they had a special team score and they lost. The key was those fourth and short sneaks, one on the goal line early in the game. And then one when trying to run out the clock midway through the fourth quarter that gave Miami a little bit of momentum, but wow, man, Baltimore, that was one of the the stranger games that you'll see. Weird game. Um, Miami's got a lot of speed. Baltimore's definitely got some issues going on in the secondary. Lamar was running a lot more that um, that was good. End of the day, though, with no Godobbins, no Edwards, there's just something missing from this running game, which is kind of the missing piece to this offense. Their running game so advanced. You can't have these guys like Kenyon Drake or whoever coming off the um, on the street. They need someone that's been in there for a while. I feel this offense 
will be better and they won't be blowing leads like this once they so do it. Be, just before you miss, better. because before you move, because you're talking the running backs right now, yeah. through two weeks, they have totaled 79 yards rushing. The running backs have for Baltimore. That is the fewest of any running back group in the NFL. Yep. And it's because they're, their scheme is just so advanced and they need these guys that have been in there for a while. Uh, Dobbins, you know, he, he practiced all last week. I was a little shocked. He didn't play, you know, I don't even know. Cause they have, they have Buffalo on deck. So I don't even know if he's even going to play this week. Um, situational wise, you know, this is a good spot to fade Baltimore. They're just coming off the, the, the loss the week before to Miami they have Buffalo on deck. So it's a good situational spot. You know, Belichick is 63% against the spread as a home dog. He's 83% versus Harbaugh. Um, I was really hoping for a three and a half here. At this three number, I feel it's a little bit dead. Um, yeah, I agree. I, if it was three and a half, I definitely looked again New England. New England, you know, they did run the ball a lot better, which was good. Mac Jones doesn't look right. But on the flip side, the, these Ravens secondary, which was supposed to be vastly improved didn't look good well that, that's the key matchup right can yeah. can mac pick on the weakness of baltimore which right now feels like the secondary yeah because you know if some maybe it's irrelevant because mac and the the patriots don't have that kind of game like they haven't looked like a fluid offense really no. through a couple weeks either i mean they won last week against the steelers they they got a very easy touchdown on a red zone opportunity off a fumbled punt. That was the difference in the game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if they don't get that score, they may not win that game. They, he said, Mac, he threw a third quarter pass that should have been intercepted. And then right after that, that's when the Steelers special teams muffed the punt. And then the next play, a Patriots score, it completely flipped the game. He could have thrown an interception. Instead, they end up getting the ball back right away in like in great field position. Uh, but you mentioned the offensive line gave up zero sacks a week after Pittsburgh sacked the Bengals seven times. Now they were missing Watt, but for their offensive line, they did look a little bit better last week. Yeah, I mean, you know, Harris 15 for 71, Stevenson 9 for 47. Um, Aguilar had a nice game, six yeah. catches for 110 yards, right? They were giving them enough time to make some plays too. Yeah, they just, they're just going to be a run team. I mean, that if, if they can run the ball like that, they're always going to be effective. You know, defensively, they looked fine. It's just his offense is just so limited. They have a lot of lack of playmakers at the wide receiver position. They really need to lean on Harris and Stevenson. And, you know, those guys, those guys need to have good games for them to have any shot of winning. Uh, Mac hasn't really taken that step forward. But when you have Patricia and Joe Judge, who are two of the worst coaches in the history of the NFL running the offense. I mean, what do you really expect Matt Jones to be able to, to accomplish? It feels like a real under type of game, especially with the way that Baltimore wants to play. Like they want to get up and then just try to run the ball. That's, that's what they are hoping to do. Just a couple Baltimore tidbits before we move along. So yeah, the cornerbacks, all of the cornerbacks that were not Humphrey got targeted. Humphrey had to leave in the fourth quarter due to injury. Uh, Queen, and Armour, Davis, each gave up seven catches on eight targets for over 100 yards in coverage. Hamilton did assist in three tackles, and Run D broke up the only pass in his coverage. Lamar did a couple things that were just nuts in this game. First player in history to have a passing touchdown and a rushing touchdown of 75-plus yards in the same game. Yeah, That's a crazy one. The first player ever 
with 300 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, 100 rushing yards, and a rushing touchdown all in the same game. That's yeah. like a video game. I was crazy what he was able to do. It was it, good to see him running. Um, and you know what? His his um his passing, like his accuracy, he's improved every year, Lamar. He didn't come into the league like a fantastic passer. And that's still something that is going to be a weakness of his, right? He's not a marksman, but he works on it. And you can tell that he prides himself in wanting to be a really good passer. There was a stretch in the second quarter where he went seven for eight for 164 yards. All seven completions picked up either a first down or a touchdown. Three of them were touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's looking good. Um, you know, he's making a case to get that cheddar, which is good for him. He deserves yep. to get paid. Um, you know, as someone that does have a Ravens future ticket, I am a little bit concerned about the the issues in the safety being able yep. issues in the back four, not being able to create pressure with a pass rush and just not having Dobbins and Edwards. I mean that they need Dobbins and Edwards for this offense to truly click. Um, anything else as far as like injuries or stuff on, on this game? Um, no, I just, no. This, I have a lot of bets locked in. This game is a stay away for me though. I don't want to bet this game at all. Unless, um, if it gets to three and a half, then I'll definitely be on the Patriots. But right now I have no interest in this game whatsoever. You mentioned the spot. According to Next Gen Stats, Baltimore's DBs ran a total of 6,131 yards in this game. What does that mean? That's the most yards any secondary has run in a game since the start of last year. So they maybe they have some tired legs too in a game like that where you were chasing a lot, chasing Hill, chasing Waddle. Based on the Football Outsiders uh, post-game win metrics, Baltimore would have won that game 99% of the time, making it the biggest surprise win of the last three years. That's crazy to me. That is absolutely crazy to me. I mean, it was, that's the thing. Like when you put guys in a field with a odd shaped ball, weird stuff happens. Yeah. The game was to like, my only concern, like, you know, Miami did look good late, but I mean, they were doing nothing early in this game. Like they were not doing nothing. It's, it was, like it maybe I'm just out thinking it maybe maybe it was just a little fluky one in a hundred type thing it happened but after a game like that it's hard like, to yeah I don't the number looks a little short too like at three it's like really trappy it feels like you really want to kind of dive in on the Ravens there so yeah this one this one's probably a stay away for me too uh, Ravens Pats let's move along to the Bills and the Dolphins we just talked a lot about this Dolphins team and uh, a lot about that crazy game. So it was the first 21 point fourth quarter comeback since 2010. According to ESPN stats and info, the last 711 teams trailing by three touchdowns or more in the fourth quarter, all lost. They, they have their coach now who has defeated Bill Belichick and Harbaugh in his first two games. Not a bad way to come out here and start. And you sort of just compare him to someone like Hackett. He sh- I'm not ready to crown this team at all or him, but he just gets a lot better sense of like a guy who looks like he just feels like he knows what he's doing. than someone like Hackett, as far as calling plays and putting some guys in like good spots to take advantage of their speed, because we know that Tua can't really throw the ball that down the field all that much. And we might be deceived by what happened here, but a lot of Tua was dinking and dunking again in this game. He had four fourth quarter touchdowns last week, 
469 yards, six touchdowns overall. Only seven players have had more yards while throwing for six touchdowns. But he had two picks early in the game. One of them when the Dolphins were in scoring range and another that led directly to a Ravens score. So we need to stop. Like we need to calm the hype train a little bit. Yeah. Right. I mean, like part of, um, I mean, like I'm, I'm always going to use this analogy. I mean, you look at what this guy's done. He's come in there um, and he hasn't changed everything. He's like, okay, we need this. Okay. With two, we need to do this. He's trying, he's a smart guy and he's putting the team and the players in a position to succeed. He's not absolutely to throw it downfield. Everything's short, yep. intermediate type passing. He gets it. He understands it. He's been around Shanahan for a while. So he's picked up a lot of stuff. Um, you know, this, this game is hard for me. This is probably going to be another pass. I mean, everything about me says I should be taking the Dolphins here because the Bills are so overly valued but on the flip and side they're would, banged up in the secondary yeah, a little bit too banged up in the secondary which is going to be hard to go against um you know waddle and and hill and everything but on the flip side you know you got the dolphins who just had this big epic comeback they're so little, buzzy right now too yeah. they're catching all the buzz i uh, if if the Dolphins would have lost that game, I probably would have bet the Dolphins here. I, agree. Um, I was looking to fade the Dolphins like in, in the spot they were in this week, but it just so happened to be against the Bills where I, I mean, I don't know if I want to lay that number with the Bills like that on the road in the in a divisional game. So this probably ends up being a stay away for me, but I, I, I think the Bills handle them. Like I think the Bills will outclass them here. I really do. Yeah. And also, I don't know, like is the um, Miami front going to be able to block, excuse me, um, going to be able to block and keep two upright. That's another big worry for me. Their offensive line allowed 10 pressures. All were hurries as opposed to sacks or hits, which was nice for them. Both Hill and Waddle had 150 plus receiving yards each, 11 receptions, two touchdowns plus. That was the second wide receiver duo in NFL history to have 175 and two touchdowns. It hasn't happened since 1940. They ranked first and second in receiving yards through two games and among all receivers with 50 plus receiving snaps so far, they have over 3.4 yards per route. That's first and second. And the third place finisher is Christian Kirk with 2.8. So they're well above the, uh, the rest. Mostert, he got a little bit more involved. He also, he led the team in rushing attempts. He ran 25 routes compared to Edmonds 24, something to keep an eye on. What, one of the things that their head coach is sort of doing, and it's exactly what you pointed out at the beginning, what can you do when the guy on the other side is just this much faster than you? Like you can scheme a whole lot, but if you're able to get that player into space, that's what we saw happen a little bit. And if they can pick on the mismatches there, he's crafted an offense that you, uh, that perfectly utilizes while also scheming around the quarterback's limitations. It's like a fast break offense. They were comparing it in football outsiders to like what we see in NBA, you know, like what the Phoenix Suns used to do with D'Antoni. And it, so if you look at, and you, you really broke down to a stat line, it was pretty conservative with the passes they were attempting. That's by design. The offense is built to take advantage of the fact that defenses have to respect the speed on both sides. And so if Tua can just be accurate short, he's going to give his guys opportunities to be in matchups all the time. Just a smart coach. Smart yeah, coach. Smart guy. smart guy. And like, you can definitely see it. Like he's, 
he's putting guys in a situation to situation to win. Um, you know, he really has everyone believing in him. Um, you know, it's yeah. I mean, just heads 20, and tails. Amazed at what this guy's doing. Twenty eight of the fifty attempts were targeted within five yards of the line of scrimmage, and in those twenty eight. Tua was 23 for 28, 154 yards, two touchdowns on short throws. He just has to be accurate, 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 accurate. Let your guys break them. Yeah. And then, you know, with the Bills, they more than doubled Tennessee's total yards, 414 to 187. They forced four turnovers. Allen was incredible again, 26 for 38, 317 yards passing, four touchdowns, two big-time throws, 84-plus uh, percent adjusted completion percentage. Diggs was Really good. 12 of 14 targets. He caught 148 yards, six first downs, three touchdowns. He also forced three missed tackles at a 90 plus receiving grade from pro football focus. Miller, again, totals four pressures, three pass rush win rates that didn't result in a pressure. He was dominant 41% of the time winning in the pass rush. All four of all, like all of the top starters sat out like Allen and Diggs and Miller did all of that through three quarters. They didn't even play the fourth quarter. But I mean, Bill, to me, the Bills are head and shoulders above what we've seen from everyone else. The one struggle they still have is picking up first downs in short yardage situations. They just need, they are going to always need to find a more consistent running game that's not just Josh Allen running. Yeah. Um, I mean, they did run with Cook at the end of the game there against yeah. the Titans. Um, another thing is, Everything Lamar does, Allen does better, and Al and Lamar absolutely picked apart this Dolphins defense. That's a great point. That you is know, a great point. I don't really understand how the Dolphins defense is going to be able to stop Allen. Um, you know what's the over under at here? Fifty two. Fifty two and a half. Yeah. I mean, I know it's been a lot of unders to start the year. Maybe the over here, but I can't get involved in this game at all. There's just too many. Because I feel like whatever side I bet on, I'll be buying these teams at their absolute highest. Yeah, so, I know what you mean. It doesn't feel like you're getting – you just doesn't feel like you're getting great value either way um, on, on either of these teams. Now, you did mention some of the uh, the scoring so far down roughly 8% from a year ago through two weeks. So, yeah. and just one other thing to note as we uh, – anything else in this game you want to mention? Uh No. We move along to the Bengals and the Jets, and the reason why this is relevant is because the Bengals, who were in the uh, Super Bowl last year, your AFC champs, they're 0-2 to start the year. Over the last three seasons, 27 teams have started 0-2. All 27 have missed the playoffs. And so far this year, we actually have teams like the Bears, Giants, Jets, and Seahawks that have won that were not projected to have high win totals that people probably didn't think they may have won a game at this point early in the year. And there are only four teams that are 0-2. So all of them, uh, good luck. They're going to be in some serious trouble trying to get the job done. Let's, um, uh, let's talk Cincy. Let's talk Jets. You know, the, my main thing, I'm looking at this game like this. Um, Burrow's just holding the ball too long. I know the offensive line's getting a lot of ridicule in the media and everything. But, you know, I've rewatched the last couple games and – He's just holding the ball like for over four seconds. Anytime you hold on the ball that long, it's going to be easier for these defenses to get home to you. He's holding on the ball too long. The routes with um, what's-his-face chase are way too deep. They needed to go more, get the ball out of his hands a lot quicker and stop with these deep developing routes. Um, yep. Need to use mixing a lot more. The one thing is, is the Jets' front 
isn't as good as the Cowboys or the Steelers front. So I think that even if he does hold on the ball a little bit longer, the front will be able to protect a little bit more. Um, so the, the number we're seeing right now is Bengals minus six on the road playing the Jets and the total in this game is 45. Yeah, but this is another game like I use the Bengals and Survivor um, this week. This is my big Survivor pick. Um, I hate laying, laying it on the road, but I just kind of feel like Jets winning the way they did. Um, Super fluky. They know, were and- so if you didn't pay attention last week, the Jets were down 30 to 17 with under two minutes to go, scored a touchdown, recovered an onside kick and scored again in the span of one minute to win the game by one NFL teams have lost 2,331 consecutive games when trailing by 13 or more in the final two minutes, their win probability was 0.1%. And Chubb, all Chubb had to do, and don't get me wrong. I had the plus six and a half for the Jets. All he had to do was fall down that lay down. The game's over. They have no timeouts. There was less than two minutes to go in the game. They just kneel down three more times and the game's over. And he's done that before. Yes. And Um, so he doesn't go down and then he scores a touchdown and then they miss the extra point. The same kid that that hit the game winner last year for for last week from 58 yards, the game winning field goal, they miss the extra point. And then they completely blow a coverage on Corey Davis. He, there was nobody within 20 yards of him. Yeah. Then after that, the Jets still need to get the onside kick. The Browns, all they have to do is Amari Cooper just has to secure the onside kick. It goes right through his hands, even after he had a really good game. That was and, just perfect. That's another thing. It's just kind of like the perfect storm. And then Flacco goes nuts on the final drive. Flacco overall is 18-3 and three against the Browns. Because crazy. of his career with Baltimore. Yeah. It's it just was, like, you know, there's a certain games you just kind of sit back and smile. And, you know, that's one of them. Um, I kind of feel I, there's no way I would lay this point. Um, no. Any points, especially like we need to remember last year, like the Bengals came in there and they lost to Mike White. Yep. You know, that's got to be fresh in their minds. There's only been six teams that have gone 0-3 that have made the playoffs. This is absolutely a must win for them. I think they're going to get a good concentrated effort, but this is a lot of points to be laying yeah. on the ground, especially with a team that offensively just hasn't looked right. But yeah, like I said, I think they need more quick hitting, get the ball to um, Burrow's hand a little bit more, work the screen game a little bit more with Mixon too. Week one, Joe threw four interceptions and they lost due to the long snapper issue in overtime. Week two, they're favored by a touchdown against Dallas, who didn't even score a touchdown in week one, and they had lost Dak to a thumb injury. Uh, they lose to an undrafted backup who had only thrown 50 passes in four years. This revamped offensive line was supposed to be good. They went out and got Lyle Collins and a couple others. They've been miserable. They've given up six sacks and seven sacks in their two weeks, so 13 overall. Last week, they allowed 11 pressures in 44 pass-blocking snaps. They did not give them any time to attack the secondary whatsoever. Burroughs caught on the broadcast one time, mouthing to the coach, I need more pass-blocking help. They literally catch him saying that. Um, I mean, two straight losses on walk-off kicks that they should have won both of those games. And now they've only had a 26% chance to make the playoffs based on 538 projections. I mean, when Uh, you think about it, like last year, they constantly were winning games. They shouldn't have by three on last second kicks. Now it's just kind of like to start this year. 
regression is going the opposite way with them. Because you the like la- think about how their season ended. It's just going the other way now. So perfectly to, to perfectly uh, complement the point you're just making, their last seven games that Joe Burrow has started, they have either been the leader or tied with two minutes left. In, in They've either had the lead within three or been behind by three within <laughs> two minutes to, in all of those games. <laughs> So all their last seven games have been three points or less with two minutes to go. They were four and zero in the first four, and now they're zero and three in the last three. It yeah. evens out, you know. When you're tied late in the game like that, you're not gonna get the. You're not gonna always win those situations. Most of the time, they kind of go back and forth. So now they're four and three in all these close games recently. Like that's that's about where you should be. Yep. Yep. Burrow is sacked so far. So right now he's on pace to be sacked 111 times this year. The NFL record for sacks in a year is 76. Yeah. They need to get the ball. Like, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I mean, they just, yeah. Like he's just trying, everything is like a go with chase. They just need to get, everything needs to be shorter routes until this offensive line gets it gelled together. Um, I think timing is also an issue just because they didn't play the um, whatchamacallit together, the uh, the preseason games. I think timing-wise, they're having a little bit of an issue too. So, On the Jets' side, uh, they got to keep trying to run the ball a little bit more. Carter and Hall have both combined for only 30 carries through two games. I know it's hard when they're down, but they're averaging 5.2 yards per carry. That Flacco game was nuts. He was 15 for 25 for 175 yards and two touchdowns in the first three-quarter. In the fourth quarter alone, <coughs> 11 for 19, 132 yards, two touchdowns, brings him all the way back. And this yes. was – he had lost eight consecutive games when he was a starter coming yeah. into this game uh, last week. It's kind of funny because, like, I got all these text messages. Is Joe Flacco elite? Like, my phone was just blowing up with that text message. That's so great. The, <laughs> the uh, rookie wide receiver, Wilson, eight catches, 102 yards, two touchdowns in the game-winning score. Most of his damage – from uh, the inside, caught six passes, 83, or excuse me, from the outside, six passes, 83 yards, two scores when lined up out wide. And they targeted him four times inside the 10-yard line, which is nice uh, if he's going to be someone they lean on in the red zone. Do we know if, is it going to be Wilson back this week? I I think he's got one more game. But I mean, like, the Jets are a team I don't want anything to do with fantasy-wise. Me neither. I think the Wilson kid had a good game, but... Are you really going to trust like Zach Wilson if he comes back or Joe Flacco to constantly get him the ball like the way they did? I just want absolutely nothing to do with this Jets offense in terms of fantasy. Completely agree. Let's, uh, yeah, I mean, they had, they scored a touchdown earlier in the game because a fake punt worked. There yeah. were so many things that needed to go right for them in that game in order to come all the way back and win. And they were able to do so. Let's move to Lions. Vikes, man, your Lions look really good last week. This is a game. That was a game, like we said, if the Lions want to take that next step, they have to win that game against Washington, a game that you're favored, that you should be able to win. They looked really, really good uh, throughout a lot of that game. Minnesota gets beat on Monday night, gets handled pretty easily by Philly. Detroit looks like a six-point underdog on the road at Minnesota, over-under in this game, 52-and-a-half. Six straight games for Amon Ross St. Brown with a touchdown, tying a team record 
Nine catches for 116 yards and two touchdowns. Also had a big run for 58 yards. 3.4 yards per route run overall. That is eight catches at least in eight straight games for him. He has caught 17 of his 24 targets so far to start this year with three touchdowns. Eric, we were a little worried with some extra um, offensive talented weapons this year and maybe like Swift healthy and some other pieces that they'd be spread around a little bit. That has not been the case, man. It's been the Amon Ra show. Yeah. He's clearly established himself as the alpha in the room. Um, Offensively, the team looks great. I mean, they're running the ball with Swift. Swift looks like one of the better backs in the league. Offensive lines protecting golf isn't turning the ball over. They were missing three of the regular five offensive line starters last week. And they pushed for 191 yards rushing and 36 points, just dominating the line of scrimmage. Yeah, they offensively is looking good. Um, Hutch last week, three sacks in the first half, pass rush causing problems all day. He had four quarterback pressures on 42 pass rushes. 10% of the time, he's he's right on top of the quarterback. Yeah, he's looking great. Um, the key thing with this is Cousins historically – does a lot better against man coverage as opposed to zone coverage. Um, last last year in the first game, um, that was the game where Minnesota was a big, almost lost, needed that last second field goal. Um, they played man that whole game. The second game, which Detroit won, Detroit played zone 75% of the time, which is something historically last year they didn't do. They just did it for that one game because Cousins does struggle so much. So it's going to be interesting to see what Glenn does. Does Glenn go to the zone scheme or does he go man to man? Um, I think he's going to go zone because they know how well they do know cousins. Um, and it's crazy to think like this game is a pretty big game. Cause if this, if Detroit wins this game, they legitimately have a shot of winning the North. As Absolutely. As um, if they lose this game, you know, everyone's going to be like, Oh, same old lions and everything. Um, I do. I, Eric, I like him in this spot again. I just, I think the Vikings got a little too much buzz off that week one win against a Green Bay team that was missing some of their really key weapons. And Jefferson got open a couple times. Like I, I like Minnesota offensively what they're trying to do, even though it didn't work all that well against a good Eagles defense. But let's let's use let's just use the Eagles as the common opponent. These two teams both played the Eagles, right? Yeah. I mean, Detroit looked a lot more competitive and competent against that Eagles team. They came back late. They backdoor covered. The Eagles team handled Minnesota. And now Minnesota has to deal with a short week here. This feels like a really nice spot for Detroit because of the way they won that game last week. The confidence they, I think, were able to get getting an early win in the season like that. They did not score 35 points a game in back-to-back games between week one of 2018 and then last year in week 17. And now in three straight games, they've scored 35 plus points, both games this year and, and last year. Yeah. Offensively, they look great. Cause Um, the new play caller, right. The guy that once he started calling the plays towards the end of last year too. I don't think, um, I think they're going to be able to run Minnesota struggles defending the run. I think they're going to be able to run. um, Yeah. Goff's going to have to be able to make some throws. Um, I am a little worried about defensively. Are, are they going to be able to stop Jefferson? That's my that's, big That's thing. the key. 
Okuda's uh, looked pretty uh, not bad this year, right? Okuda's yeah, sort, of, yeah. sort of like looked a little bit what what you guys were hoping. He's had a, a rough couple of years with injury and struggle a little bit, but not a bad start. No, not a bad start at all. Um, you know, Glenn's got him doing well. I just I don't know. Like it's it's one of those things. Like with me being such a fan, I can't. It's hard for you. It's I know it's a little I, bit harder to to look, I, but I I, I like know. what I've seen from them at six and yeah. six and under. I'm at six and over. I'm taking Detroit for sure. Six and anything above, I'm on the Detroit side here. And I, do you think Thielen's done, Adam Thielen? He doesn't through two weeks, just seven receptions, 88 yards. He wasn't even targeted until midway through the third quarter. And it was on a play that led to an interception. Yeah. That's the thing. Like they totally changed their whole scheme. Like what their coach did versus what the dolphins coach kid is night and day. This guy came in there, changed absolutely positively everything. Um, They didn't run any three wide receiver sets. Now all they're doing is running three wide receiver sets and, you know, all that do is doing is just cutting into um, Thielen's targets. Thielen's targets are going to that third wide receiver. So I don't know. Like, I'm I'm not really that big in Minnesota. I think the coach made a mistake, like changing absolutely everything. And it shows Cook isn't doing what he did last year. Like his yardage down. Jefferson did have one big game. I mean, Cousins is 56% ATS, the 1 p.m. slot. So 1 p.m. Kirk Cousins does five does does uh scare me a little bit um but you know me being me i just gotta i gotta stay away this i i can't bet this game just because i know it's even though it's a third game in if they do somehow win this they give hope to us lions fans which we have not had in so goddamn long i love this next game i I just don't know how the bears are favored in in this game i I just think the texans are much better like d I know that defensively the Texans are good. They have a good defense. They're holding their opponents to only 18 points a game. Opponents that have much better offenses in the Colts and in Denver. The offense, though, they haven't scored 20 points yet. And Mills has only completed 56% of his passes, a really low passer rating. He's struggling on third downs, just eight for 19 for 41 yards and completing only 36% of passes thrown beyond 10 yards, which is 29th in the NFL. But Pierce showed up last week with 69 yards on 15 carries, handling the majority of snaps on early downs. And I am, I think this Bears team is just brutal. Like we, in week one, because of that monsoon, we may have gotten thrown off their scent a little bit because that was the perfect style of game for them. Fields had 48 net passing yards against the Packers. They ran the ball well, 15 carries for 122 yards. But through two weeks, they're aver- they're running only 48 and a half plays per game. That's second lowest in the NFL. They have the highest sack rate, 12.5%. The league's lowest percentage of passing plays. The offensive line gave up 10 pressures and Fields was sacked three times last week. And they only threw 11 passes in a game they lost by 17 points. That was bizarre. They That happened last year, remember with the Giants? Yeah. When the Giants coaching staff just gave up? Before that, the last time that a team lost a game by 17 or more and threw 11 or fewer passes was 2005. I mean, if you're down, you're usually just throwing to try to come back, but they weren't even trying to do that. They've only thrown for six first downs this year. When you become, even if you can run the ball incredibly well, when you become so easy to defend and so one-dimensional, 
it's just hard to move the ball. I don't know if they're going to be able to move the ball against Houston at all. I think Houston can at least move the ball a little bit against this inept Bears D. I, I like Houston in this spot, Eric. Yeah, I was able to find this at three. Um, I locked it in. Houston could easily be 2-0. and um, You look at exactly what have the Bears done. They beat Trey Lance in a monsoon. You know, that's kind of a fluky game. Football Outsiders has the Bears 30th overall DVOA, 30th in offense, um, 27 defensively. Texans easily, like I said, could be 2-0. and They should have beat that game against the Colts. They're right in it into the wire against the Broncos. Um, this team just overachieves. And when you look at two teams that are kind of, that are bad, I'll always take the team that are getting yep. points. You got the Lovey Smith revenge bowl. One thing Lovey's able to do is he's able to motivate people and get them to play above their level. Um, I think he's going to be able to do it here. I think the guys are going to want to win this forum basically because of how bad he was treated. I was looking at PFF. Uh, 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL and PFF has Justin Fields as number 33. Um, he's just yeah. absolutely putrid this year. I know. Um, he's missing reads. I was hoping he would take a step forward because it's one of those, it feels like one of those situations where he was in a bad spot last year with bad personnel around him and they in bad scheme and they weren't giving him a shot. And then they came into this year with like no weapons. He doesn't have any receivers to throw the ball to and it, and he has no offensive line and his defense is not good. Like he, he is on one of the worst rosters. And so you just worry about a kid like this is, are they ever even going to be able to develop the right way? Yeah. I'm worried about him too. And like I said, like next year's quarterback class is so stout. If they struggle, they could be moving on from him. He's looked really poor, which is bad to see. This is a new um, regime. They might want to just go get their their own guy next yeah. year and say, "Hey, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have gone after Fields like we can we can start all over next year." Yeah, so I'm a little bit worried um, about him, but yeah, I like the Texans here. I think it's a great spot. Um, so this will be one of our five since we have it at two and a half here. We'll play it at two and a half. Obviously, if you can find a three out there, if you were able to get a three, that's what you want. I'm going to play this game on the money line a little bit too at plus 130 Houston. I think they win this, but for just our record keeping, we'll say it's Houston plus the two and a half here for me and Eric as uh, one of the games that will uh, will definitely be on that side. Let's go to KC Colts, Eric. So the Chiefs 2-0 and and good start, even without Hill offensively. Uh, seven touchdowns, no interceptions for Mahomes, league leader in passer rating and in yards per attempt. 24 for 35, 235 passing yards, two touchdowns and two big time throws, but three turnover worthy plays that the Chargers defense did fail to capitalize on. So, uh, you know, he was still able to make the plays when they counted. They There was a 99 yard interception in that game, though, that completely flipped the game against the Chargers. And the Chiefs, according to Next Gen Stats, 28th in the league in pressures, 7th in pressures when blitzing. So other than Chris Jones, they are not getting the job done with the front four. They need help sending an extra defender, um, and they're 17th in the league in blitz percentage. This is one of those games, Eric, where like every fiber in my being wants to take the Colts here, getting about 5.5 or 6 at home off of the miserable loss last week to Jacksonville where they could not have looked worse. And the chiefs have a couple extra days off. Like nobody's going to want to play the Colts in this spot as a gambler. I really want to, can I play the Colts here? 
Um, I was able to get him at seven um, before the big, before yeah. the big line move. Um, I still like him at this number. The one thing that the Chiefs have struggled against is a physical run game. I think that's what the Colts are going to have to do. Uh, Pittman's going to be back, so they're going to get another weapon on the outside that will help. Um, Chiefs. Chiefs defense did not look good against the Chargers until the Chargers started to get some offensive line injuries. Yep. Once the Chargers offensive line started to go down, Chiefs started to get home a little bit. Colts home opener, again, must win. They're going to lean on on Jonathan Taylor. Taylor's going to be running the ball here. I don't think that the Chiefs are going to be able to struggle to stop the run. Historically, you know, not so much this year, but they haven't really faced a good rushing attack this year. So I don't know. I like, it's the spot like, of a lifetime for the Colts. I like it, it, the Colts here. I, I'll I I play him. I'd even play him at five and a half. Yeah, I think it would be like down to about five for me, where I would I would be okay with with playing the Colts. And what's funny is like all of these stats I'm going to give you are negative Colts, and that's why you play them here because they're as undervalued as they're ever going to be. They've now lost eight consecutive games in Jacksonville. They were favored in six of those games. The last time they beat Jacksonville in Jacksonville, September 21st, 2014. So during that, since then, the Jags are 37 and 91 since the last time that the Colts beat them in Jacksonville and they have one winning season. So 21% of their total wins in that time are against the Colts in Jacksonville. Which is insane. One fifth of their wins are (laughs) against the Colts in Jacksonville. Um, their last three shutouts have all been all been against the Jags and the Jags only have eight shutout wins in their whole history in the whole history. Um, Matt Ryan last week, 16 for 30, three interceptions and zero points. According to Stathead, it was the only game in his career with at least 25 pass attempts, a completion rate under 60%, fewer than 200 passing yards and at least three interceptions. He also got sacked five times and did not score a point. That was the worst game he's ever played in his life by far. He's going to be a lot better in this game. He's just going to be more focused. They all are. The offensive line is going to be better. They were charged with 10 pressures allowed. They were missing their top two wide receivers. Jonathan Taylor got only one target. That was bizarre. Um, yeah. When they are coming from behind the whole game, you got to give him a few targets at least. They... They've entered the fourth quarter of their two games this year, trailing by a combined 44 to three in those two games. Um, Last week, 10 offensive possessions, five turnovers, five punts, 71 total yards in the first half. Jonathan Taylor had five rushing attempts and four yards in the first half rushing. Based on DVOA, 32 teams have had a game this bad since 2003. Um, this was the worst offensive outing for the Colts since 1992, but, uh, the secondary did drop two possible, three possible interceptions and, uh, their pass rush just needs to be a little more all that negativity, all those bad stats. That's why me and Eric are on the Colts because nobody else wants to. And this feels like a really good spot. There was a similar game for the Colts a few years ago. Remember when the Chiefs were like the really high flying team, the Colts were coming off of a bad loss, and then they just had a game where they were able to run the ball, slow the game down, and beat them. I think it was either on Sunday night or Monday night football. It was yeah. in a, like a high profile game. 
So um, yeah, we're both on the Colts side here. We'll say it's at plus five and a half for uh, our numbers here. Let's move along. Raiders, Titans. This is another game I really like, uh, Eric. Um, the Raiders are a two-point favorite on the road going to play Tennessee. And I think the I cannot believe the Raiders are favored in this game. I I, I don't understand why. I mean, I, I, I've not been impressed with Tennessee, but they come off of a game where they got crushed by Buffalo. The Raiders spit out a lead against an Arizona team that had looked miserable for the first six quarters of the year. The Raiders have one sack through two games after investing in Jones and Crosby to massive contracts. I, I think this is a really nice spot for Tennessee coming off that game where they got blown out by Buffalo. I mean, I just think Buffalo is head and shoulders above everybody else. I locked in Tennessee on the money line here. Um, I, I was just pretty surprised that the Raiders were favored in this game. Talk to us about Raiders, Tennessee. Yeah, I was a little surprised too that they were um, that they were favored here. Vrabel sixty seven percent as a home dog uh, off a two game losing streak. Vrabel is eighty three percent against the spread. Uh, Titans, you know they're going to run the ball. That's what they want to do. Uh, they played the Giants, who were shockingly good against the run, and they should have won that game. That was like the week one game that had the Giants. In winning, they had the lowest actual game winning percentage when winning that game. So the Titans should have won the week one game. They would be one and one. And then they just got crushed by the team that looks like they're the best team in the league and they're like operating on all cylinders right now. Yeah. And I think they're going to be able to run the ball. The Raiders gave up 5.1 yards of carry to Arizona. Arizona's got Mondo offensive line issues. I think that, you know, the Titans are live here. I, I locked yeah. him into two and a, I played him plus the two and a half. Um, I think they're going to be able to move the ball. Historically, you know, this is the spot Brable does well as a home dog. I like the Titans here. Uh, Raven Adams only two tar- targets. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned this last, you mentioned that it's just going to be, it's not going to be automatic for them because you have Waller there and now Moreau is getting more looks too, which is sort of yeah. strange. You've got, Adams there. You've got Renfro. They are giving another receiver some looks too. So it's just, and there's not all that. They're all kind of operating in the same space. Yeah. And they don't have like that guy that can stretch the field. There's just a lot of stuff going on. Carr's not doing as much pre-snap read stuff. It's kind of like McDaniel gives him the play and just does it. Again, like last week, no big time throws, one turnover worthy play. Just like a car kind of game, 74% adjusted completion percentage, but just you know, playing it safe because they were up up pretty big early and then they spit out that game. They absolutely collapsed late on the Titan side. Uh, the rookie wide receiver Burks caught four of six targets, 47 yards, three first down. He got a good receiving grade. He's a big body caught two of three contested targets. He was also targeted five times in week one. So maybe someone for like a DFS and I'm definitely going to invest heavily in, in uh, Derek Henry this week in DFS. This feels like a real get right spot. For Derrick Henry, if he has anything left, we're going to see it this week in this spot against this team where they have to put a real focus on him. Um, Offensive line, we have to see with Luan, the pass protection unit allowed 15 pressures and 28 pass blocking snaps. Their rookie tackle was really, really bad. So they're going to want to try to run the ball because that will just make things a lot easier for them. And it feels like they should be able to against this Raiders team. Yeah, they should be able to run the ball. Uh, Raiders have struggled. Vrabel, you know, this is just kind of the spot you do it. Um, 
and let's face it, like the Raiders, they have offensive line issues. They have secondary issues. They have defensive issues. Um, everyone kind of got distracted when they brought in Devontae Adams. I'm not a buyer on this team. I think they're a little overvalued. So, yeah, let's uh, let's lock in the um, – The Titans. The Titans. Go let's uh, move to the Saints and the Panthers. Saints, they uh, had an ejection in the game when Lattimore and Mike Evans get into a fight, and that left them without their top two cornerbacks. One had been ejected and one was out via injury. On the first possession after Lamar was eject, uh, Lattimore was ejected. Brady threw a twenty-eight yard touchdown right over the top. Well, I mean, like that game, like I hate blaming officials. That game was so poorly officiated. It was just awful. Um, Saints, Saints offense really struggled. You can definitely tell that you know Winston and those back fractures that he has. Four oh. fractured back vertebrae. Yeah, ah, it just sounds you know, bad. You can't really step in and do stuff, and we don't have. Alvin Kamara there it kind of limits what you can do offensively because you really don't have that playmaker in the backfield. They're not respecting you yeah. as much in the box, you know, yeah. to open it up. Like it's just, and it's not going to make it as easy for you. I do like Olave. He led the Saints with 13 targets, but only had five catches for 80 receiving yards. He had a 26.1 yards average depth of target that led all receivers. He leads the team in targets and receiving yards through two weeks. He's played over 70% of the snaps. He surpassed. 300 air yards according to next gen since 2016 only julio jones mike evans aj brown and marquise brown have accomplished that in one game his 334 air yards on uh were the third highest single game total in their database since 2000 so this dude is a he's a good field stretcher but if Jameis's back is hurting that's why they weren't able to connect all that much yeah I just, I can't, here's the thing. I've bet Mayfield twice in a row. I know. And he uh, struggled a little bit and it, he's not played great, but they, I, it's when I watch them now, I am so frustrated with rule too. Like, yeah, I just don't think he's a good coach like, at all. Yeah. This is the team we want to back. Like once they get a new coaching staff in there, his rules, basically rules done after this year. Um, this team can't blow you out. They need to win like a 10, three, 10-7 type of game. Uh, it's hard to trust, like I said, the Saints with the injuries to Winston. Um, They've given up 10 sacks, which yeah. is the second most in the league. Their pass blocking group allowed six sacks last week, could not get really anything going on the ground as far as running the ball either. I, I've i been a little disappointed with the Saints just overall. I mean, they should very easily be, like you said last week, they got some bad calls, but the week one, Atlanta thoroughly outplayed them and they came back late and were lucky to get a really late win. They could easily be 0 2 here right now. And in, in with Jameis, you know, possibly having a, a bad back at the very beginning of the year, it just doesn't bode well for them. I just don't, I can't get back in on the Panthers right now. Their offensive line issues, their left tackle, the rookie sixth pick, they knew pass protection was going to be a weakness, but like, there were like moments last week. There's a third and six in a big spot, and a guy just goes right by him. Like they can't even get, they can't even run their play. It, yeah. it, like in spots like that, you, they're one of the worst teams in third down efficiency. They only ran 54 plays on offense, and they only ran 50 the week before. That's the second fewest so far. Baker's struggling. His passes are being batted down, risky throws. He doesn't look comfortable in the pocket or just comfortable with this offense. Three different receivers dropped the pass. 
So while he doesn't look great, the receivers haven't looked all that great either. I'm just, this is stay away from me. Yeah, pure stay away from me. I don't want anything to do with this game. Philly, Washington. So Philly comes off the big win on Monday night. They're one of the more overvalued teams in the league right now. Is the number we're seeing enough to get you in on Washington at home as like a six and a half point underdog? I'm waiting on this one. I'll definitely be on the commanders here. I'm really hoping that it, it looks like it's headed towards a seven, right? Yeah, I, I think so. That was seven for about 20 minutes. A couple and then jump right back down and then jump down. Like once it, I mean, I'm looking at it right now on my app that I use to find the best lines and it's six and six and a half. I mean, hopefully it, it gets back up to seven. If not, I'll gladly play the six and a half. Commanders, I mean, I know people are scared about Kerry McLaurin. He does lead them in targets. It's only a matter of time before he does have that big Terry McLaurin game everyone's waiting for. Um, this team, the Commanders, statistically-wise, is the best team in the red zone. Uh, you And this is, like I said, like you said, it's all about buying low, selling high. I we, love like the the I, we like I the Eagles. We like the Eagles. I think they're one of the best teams in the league. But right now, because everybody saw them beat up Minnesota on Monday night, they're a couple extra points higher than they should be in this spot. And this is the spot to take Washington. Yep, this is the spot to take Washington. This is the time to sell out of the Eagles. Um, but I want a seven. You know, I God, I want the seven so bad. Um, now nah, I'll put the six and a half. I think they'll be able to... Uh, I think when you got a weapon like Curtis Samuels, you'll be able to use him, scheme him, get in a position, um, you know, to, to get some points on the board. And like I said, this team, when they get in the red zone, is doing well. Um, you know, they're statistically the best team scoring in the red zone. So, uh, yeah, you know, I'll, um, I'll take the commanders here. But I, like I said, I want the seven. Defense has uh, allowed uh, NFL high four plays of 40 or more yards and they in, in the two games. They allowed three against Detroit last week on Washington side. Logan Thomas, that uh, tight end, caught a touchdown, increased his snaps and routes from week one to week two. And so keep an eye on him gradually stepping forward as he gets more and more healthy. They gained 20 yards in the first 11 plays of the game. And then they finished the first 30 minutes with only two first downs. Wentz got sacked four times in the first half and he threw eight incomplete passes in 17 attempts. And then the second half, they were incredible. He had 197 yards and four touchdowns. So we've really seen like Jekyll and Hyde Wentz in both of these games so far uh, this week. This feels like the spot. I mean, I like the Eagles. I think they're one of the best teams in football. Week one, they had their defensive backs playing soft coverage and didn't put a ton of pressure on the Lions. Then on Monday, the corners gave Minnesota receivers no room to operate. Much different than week one. They made life difficult on Cousins, who threw multiple interceptions, faced a bunch of creative blitzes. Hertz had two big-time throws, 10.7 yards per pass attempt on the ground. He averaged five yards per carry. And the offensive line, zero sacks across 38 pass-blocking snaps. Lots of positives for the Eagles. They're way overvalued right now. I don't even know about overvalued, but... They're as high of a value as they're going to be right this second. So, Eric, we may be able to lock in Washington uh, if we need to come back to this one. I'm with you. Like I, I, I like other games more. So seven would be the number that I dive in right away. If it was six and a half, and we can't find another game, I'm okay with coming back to this game as one of them if if we have to. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to mention in this one? Um. No, nah, I'd look at Terry McLaurin, though, and 
DFS. Like he's going to be undervalued. What do we know about Brown? AJ Brown. He's is okay. As far as I know, he's okay. Okay. So we continue along. We're headed now to Jacksonville against the Chargers. So, oh no, excuse me. I think we got a. Did we miss one? No, no. no. Jacksonville Chargers. Okay. Jacksonville is a seven point dog on the road against the Chargers. Chargers minus seven over under to this game is around 47. Tell us some of your early thoughts on this one after the Jags I, come off a th- uh, beat down last week. I took the Jags plus seven. My thought process is this the Chargers have offensive line issues. Herbert, had, Herbert, you know, has a rib injury. God only knows how much he's going to play if he's going to play. And I just wanted to lock in this at seven just in case he sat out. You know what I mean? Because if yep. he sits out, this is just going to drop. And I really feel it's kind of already priced in as if he's going to play here. So I'm not expecting it to go. You know what I mean? I don't expect it to go up. Well, it's not going to get to 12. You know what yeah. I mean? It's not going to, if he's playing, this is what the number is. Yeah. Jacksonville so, looked fine last week. You know, they, they won. They've looked competent. That was Trevor Lawrence's best game as a pro. By yeah. far. By far. Uh, 25 for 30, 235 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. They designed quick throws for him. He was decisive with his decision-making, spread the ball to seven receivers, 11 for 13 for 98 yards in the second half. He picked up first downs on five straight throws and a fourth and goal touchdown to put them up 24, nothing. And then they just cruised. Yeah. And um, you know, their front's playing a lot better, you know, with the issue, with the injuries that the chargers have up front, I think they're going to be able to get to Herbert or chase Daniels. If he's plays Josh Allen, four pressures, two sacks, Walker, three pressures on the day, one hit, two hurries also made two tackles in the run game, including one stop. They had five sacks, three interceptions and 11 quarterback hits. Oh yeah. I mean, their defense is playing lights out. Uh, I'm a little worried about the chargers run game. Um, I thought it'd be a lot better here. Eckler, they seem to be saving Eckler for not giving him the touches. The kid they got from Texas A&M isn't even getting on the field. They brought in Sony Michelle. They're using Josh Kelly still. So I really feel that the Chargers are going to have to kind of go back to looking to run the ball a little bit more. Maybe this is the game they look to get it going. Uh, defensively, uh, they have Callahan in the secondary who's just shutting everyone down. So those that have Kurt, uh, Christian Kerr, I kind of taper those expectations. And I look maybe to Marvin Jones or for uh, – fantasy for the Jags here but seven you know that's just a big number especially with Herbert who's just I mean the fact he was able to finish that game was still amazing to me last eight times sacked twice that rib issue but he did go 33 for 48 for 334 yards Um, three touchdowns in a pick you don't know what's going on with Keenan Allen the Chargers just banged up right here yeah and like I said when it was sitting at seven and you have that many injuries I feel I feel because if Herbert's not playing then it's three or three and a half, right? Like it yeah, moves down three points, four points. This is just going to drop. So yeah, I'll, um, I, I got it seven. I'm happy with the seven. Um, Kirk last week caught six targets, all six targets for 78 yards and two touchdowns for Jacksonville, 38 yards after the catch Robinson averaging 18 and a half touches and just under 18 fantasy points. Saw twice as many snaps and received most of the short yardage work as well as the goal line work. They used him on third and five or less, and they used Etienne on third and six or more. So he looks like he's going to be more of the receiving back there. The uh, Since opening day 2020, the Jags are three and two against the Colts and two and 28 against everybody else. 
That's crazy. That is absolutely. <laughs> and you know what? They are number two in DVOA. Yeah, I saw that. Based like, off of that last week game, because when you win a game and you shut a team out and you play pretty efficient on the offensive side, then it's an it's an excellent game. And that's that's what they did. They are actually second in first and second down EPA added per pass play. So they're like what I'd said here and what we both said about Miami, they're doing a better job putting Lawrence in a spot to succeed, giving him short, quick throws, not necessarily making him have to drop back and go through all of the progressions and have to make something out of nothing. Like you've got a little bit better weapons now. Take some advantage of that. These are guys that can actually get open a little bit, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how good Lawrence is able to look when he has coaching. Okay, we move along to the, where are we going? Falcons, Seahawks, that's next. Falcons, yeah. Seahawks. So this game is basically a pick em now. Yeah, um, I mean, this was, this was at like two and a half, three. I feel kind of, I mean, the way I look at it is, like, if you didn't get the two and a half or three on the Falcons, you kind of missed the boat. Yeah. Um, you know, Falcons easily could be two and oh. Uh, they did play Atlanta pretty tough. Last, not Atlanta, excuse the me. Rams. Rams pretty tough last week. Um, their run game looks great. Uh, what's his face? Pitts. You know, tough matchup against the Saints. Ramsey was shadowing him. This is going to be a Pitts game. I really think this is the game where Pitts looks to break out. He's had only 10 uh, targets and four receptions and 38 receiving yards through two games so far. So I agree. This is a DFS Pitts game. It feels like to me. And, um, you know, Seahawks struggle to stop the run Falcons with what they like to do, like to run the ball. Falcons got some weapons. I just, like I said, I just kind of feel I missed the boat here. I agree. Um, I, I think Atlanta is the better team overall. I've been more impressed with what I've seen from Atlanta, just like on all sides of the ball. They're they're just better everywhere. And this is something you were pointing out. And it's not necessarily going to result in a bunch of wins and losses this year, but it might result in them covering a lot of games and playing in a lot of close games because they're pretty well coached. And because of Mariota, they have a different look where a guy that can move his feet a little bit and they do have some weapons. Drake London got his first career touchdown, finished with eight catches, 11 targets for 86 yards, also caught a two-point conversion. He's had 19 targets through two games. He has as many touchdowns as Kyle Pitts does in his career right now, yeah, which, is, which is just crazy to think about. The uh, The Seattle running back duo, they look good on paper, but they've only got 96 yards on 25 carries through two games. They need to get going there. Geno Smith ranks 27th in average air yards per attempt in week one. And then he completed one pass Sunday that gained more than 17 yards. And he's ha- he has an 80% completion rate. That was the highest in a game, which a quarterback's team didn't score an offensive point since stats were first tracked in 1932. He's playing it too safe there. And yeah, they're just not going to be able to... He needs to, let, he needs to let it flow a little bit. Then they're just, they're just not going to be able to score all that much this year with, with, you know, what the, with what he's going to be offering them, but I, I'm with you. I'm, this is stay away for me. Let's move to green Bay, Tampa, two teams who feel like they're two of the top teams on the NFC side. And we have green Bay as a one point ish underdog here. Tampa as a slight favorite in this game over under, how about this Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers an over under of 42. And this is not a game that's in green Bay. But the Packers 
Did you see the celebration the guys did when they scored the touchdown? Where they were they were doing the they were drinking the tea like yep. Aaron Aaron Rodgers, like the Ayakusa, and then they all <laughs> they were shamans pouring tea and then falling over. So they're having some fun with that at least. They the the offense still wasn't sharp like sharp. They fumbled a handoff exchange, a shotgun snap. Um, they still have some things to work on. Rodgers was 19 for 25, 234 yards, two touchdowns, two big time throws, zero turnover worthy plays. His 23rd win over the Bears. It, this was a running game for them. Jones had 132 yards and a touchdown, 15 carries, three catches, three targets for 35 yards with another touchdown. He forced nine missed tackles on the ground and picked up 85 yards after contact. And they actually used Jones and Dylan on the field at the same time for 10 different snaps, running backs combining for 237 yards there. Some uh, points on the Tampa side. Evans got suspended during the last game after just crushing Lattimore with a real cheap shot. Um, it, this has been like the third or fourth time they've had incidents. This happened in 2017, 2020, they went after it. So they went after it again here. They were shut out in the first half. They only managed a field goal in the third quarter. And they've only scored on 25% of their trips to the red zone, which is 30th in the league. It's not really a Tom Brady thing. That was the Saints' first win against Brady since joining the Bucs in, in their regular season, they didn't lose a playoff game. Um, and they won without Godwin Jones. And then Mike Evans went out. So Pyramid became the guy. He had to throw a nice touchdown pass to him. Dean had a couple interceptions that changed the game. And white had a sack and a half in the fourth quarter that, and also leading the team with six stops. So uh, solo tackles or tackles that led to an offensive failure and Akeem Hicks injury issues. He'll be out for at least a month with a foot injury. Yeah, I um I play the Bucks here minus the one. I you know home opener defensively. I think this is the best team that the um, Green Bay has played. I think that their defense is going to be able to stop the Packers' run attack. And let's face it, that's what the Packers are right now. They're a run attack team. Dylan and um, uh, Jones are the two-headed monster. They're st- I think they'll be able to stop the run. Uh, you mentioned Dean. Dean's playing a great job in the secondary. Uh, I Offensively, I think they're going to be able to run the ball. I think Green Bay has kind of struggled stopping the run. I think they're going to be able to run the ball with Fournette. Uh, Perryman is going to be able to um, – I'm actually, I take that back. I'm not really worried about Perryman and the lack of offense on the outside. I just feel that inside the trenches, Tampa Bay just has an advantage and they're going to be able to move the ball and run the ball. So I, I like them there. And what does this Packers team do? They lose in in um, the big, they lose the- in Florida in the hot in in humidity, and that's that's what I think they're going to do here. So yeah, I like. Um, <laughs> Excuse me. I like I like the Bucks here. I got them at minus minus one. Yep. I think we can probably make the Bucks one of our plays this week too. I like them too. I just think they're the better team. They're at home. This number should be three or above. And I think we're getting value on it. So we're both on the Tampa side here as we continue along to the Rams and the Cardinals. So we're seeing the Rams as a three and a half point favorite on the road, heading to play the Cardinals in here. The Rams come off a win where they were up 28-3 and then almost <laughs> laid a huge egg 
against the Falcons, but they still were able to get their first victory of the year. They got beat up in week one against Buffalo. Overall, Stafford has thrown five interceptions last year. He led the league, was tied for the league lead with 17 interceptions. So he's always someone who throws some picks. It's, you know, it's not, it's not really that big of a deal. It, when they, you know, matter in the games, they are. But for him overall, that's sort of part of his game. Cup this year, 13 receptions, 128 yards, and then 11 of 14 for 108 yards in his two games. So just right back where he left off. Bobby Wagner had six tackles, two tackles for a loss and a sack, a very nice grade that probably is his highest since 2020. Last week, the Rams allowed a league-leading 23 pressures to the Bills on 53 pass-blocking snaps. This week, major improvements only allowed two pressures on 36 pass-blocking snaps, and those two pressures came by the left tackle. So the other four offensive linemen allowed zero pressures. That was a lot better than week one for them. Uh, But they did have to place cornerback Troy Hill on injured reserve, which will help them, uh, which will hurt them in the secondary. The Cardinals... They were down 20 to nothing against the Raiders last week. They scored two touchdowns and two two-point conversions in the fourth quarter, including one with no time on the clock at the end of regulation. In one of those, Kyler Murray scrambled for 20 seconds, 20 seconds running around to keep the Cardinals in the game when they were trailing 23 to 15 at that point. And then in overtime, it was the defense they put a, a couple big hits on Hunter Renfro. He fumbled twice, and the second one, they returned for a game-winning touchdown. What do you think of this game, this number? Are you getting involved in here in any way? Nah, your your boy Dave texted me this. Uh, Rams 9-1 and ATS last 10 versus the Cardinals 7-0 and ATS last 7 at Arizona. McVay sort of owns Cliffy. Yeah, I just, this even though this is three and a half, I can't get involved. Cardinals- and that felt like a a Cardinal big win, like kind of fluky, like a yeah. something that they may come out flat this week after that win. Okay. But I, I just, I'm not going to lay the number on the road like this. The number I don't like, I, I'm staying away, but I feel like this is a really nice spot for the Rams to come back and play yeah, this well. Is a, this is an absolute great spot for them to get a bounce back. Um, You know, cause they just haven't looked crisp, even though that game, they won that game against Atlanta. They had to look crisp. No, it doesn't um, leave a good taste in your mouth the way the game ends, you know? You know, they need to get – their run game is just struggling. They're not able to run the ball. Robinson did look better. They got him some targets going. I really feel that, you know, with the injuries they have on the offensive line, obviously Stafford not being 100%, not playing in the preseason, There's and you have new, new moving pieces, I think it's just going to take some time to get gelled. But with what they have, I don't – I'm not really that worried with them. Let's uh, – well, and think about the NFC right now. Everybody has like the Eagles are right now, like the tip top of the NFC. You look at Tampa, they're not perfect. You look at green Bay. They're certainly not perfect. You know, all of the the top teams in the NFC seem like they have some issues. Yeah. Everyone top to bottom has some issues in the NFC. Okay. Let's get to the last couple games on the slate for this weekend, Sunday and Monday. We have, uh, Sunday night football. I believe the 49ers and the Broncos here. So, Wow, this Broncos team, some fun stuff to talk about. 32 points in their first two games. It's just, you watch this guy, Eric. I have to give you all of the credit in the world. You called this immediately. You said, this guy has never called plays. They brought him there to try to lure Aaron Rodgers there. I don't know if he's going to be a great head coach. He can't get plays in from the sidelines, so they're always behind or trying to snap the ball 
right against the end of the play clock over and over. I mean, there's so many things to point out what he's doing wrong. Week one, they needed a field goal to win. They crossed midfield with more than a minute left in the game. At that point, he should have run a play or called a timeout. They let 40 seconds go off the clock. Then they call a timeout. Then he asks Brandon McManus if he thinks he can kick a 64-yard a yard field goal, which would have been tied for the second longest field goal in league history in one of the toughest stadiums to kick. This week, week two, it's the end of the half. Broncos are on the goal line. All of their timeouts remaining. He doesn't know whether to go for it or not, so he's wasting so much time figuring it out. The play clock expires. So now all of a sudden it's fourth and six. Now you have to kick a field goal. You have no choice. You're not going to go for it now on fourth and six. You just take the points at the end. He, he, I mean, he is atrocious in situational spots. Denver trailing by three points in the second half, third and one. He calls an option with a fullback that has not carried the ball. I don't think has a carry in a couple of years. Someone who never gets the ball at all on a huge play. They end up losing a yard and it's fourth down. He leaves the offense on the field. Then he changes his mind and he brings out the field goal unit. But before they could kick a field goal, the clock expires again. So now he can't even kick a field goal. They could have tried to get a 59-yarder, which we saw McManus hit. He hit it, but it was the clock expired. So then they have to end up punting. Uh, I mean, then, then they have zero timeouts left with seven minutes and 30 seconds left in the game. It is literally as bad as I can ever remember seeing somebody with clock management the broncos fans did you hear them counting i mean it's just embarrassing they're counting down the play clock that to way help to try to help you it sounds like the royal rumble countdown when they're you know what i mean like when the when everybody in the stands is counting down before the next person comes in in the royal rumble eight seven six five four like they're counting them down before it's i was laughing i couldn't believe it yeah it's just absolutely just insane um there was three times on special teams where the play clock ran out. It was either a punt or a field goal attempt. There's one time at the end of the game, they didn't have a punter, punt returner back there when the Texans were going to punt. Uh, you have Javante Williams looking like a young Emmett Smith, can't even get the ball. You know, you're still giving it to old man Melvin Gordon. There's just a lot of stuff going on there you just don't understand. And I'll be honest, I thought it was going to be bad. I had no idea. It was going to absolutely be this bad. It is embarrassing that they're counting it down. Uh, it, this it looks, is, you know what? It looks a little bit like the Urban Meyer stuff last year in yeah. the first couple of weeks. And, and this they've is why been lucky. Never, this is why I could never be a GM or an owner of a team because this guy would be gone right now. I would have fired him instantly. But the thing is, I wouldn't. Have, you were. We wouldn't have hired this guy though. That's no. the difference. That's the difference. Yeah. Is that. And, and the guy that you bring in, you would give them a little bit more time because you know they're even if they're under talented they're they're at least operating and making the right decisions this guy's the opposite they they should absolutely be 2 and 0 right now they had a cake start to the season and they almost lost both their games this game though is really interesting i i mean they haven't even completed any of their eight passing attempts inside the opponent's 5 yard line they haven't even scored a red zone touchdown yet like they're just just in completion percentage last week was 56%. The pass rush wasn't coming up with pressure, but they did have a couple big plays, Chubb and Gregory combined for seven pressures and then one big sack late. Offensive line played pretty well. 
as a pass blocking unit, they allowed six total pressures and only one, um, and they only only one O line allowed less. Denver almost had 150 rushing yards. So few positives there on the 49er side, Trey Lance, we saw get hurt last week out for the season, suffered a broken ankle that will require surgery. Poor guy. Now. I mean, his final college season was wiped out the, by the, for the pandemic, his rookie NFL year, he was a backup. And now in his first season as a starter he played five quarters. And and now what, what do you do with him moving forward? Like, how do you know, even know what this guy is? You don't know what he is. And unfortunately, you're probably going to have to move on from him. It's going to be four years fully removed from his last full season as a starter, (laughs) which was against low-level colleges. Yep. I'm just, I don't know. Like, my thing is this, is I had a pretty big position on 49ers futures for them not to make the playoffs. And... They actually, I actually have them graded higher now with Jimmy Garoppolo. There. Absolutely. They're better. They have I'm less gonna, of a floor, less of a floor now for sure. Yep. I'm going to have to uh, find a spot to hedge out of them. Um, the, the, the concerning thing is this is Shanahan is 37%, 37.5. So basically 38% ATS as a favorite. Um, I'm a hate laying numbers like this on the road. This is probably going to be a pure stay away for me. I don't want anything to do with this game. How can you possibly trust Nathan Hackett? I know. I can't. Um, I, I wanted to play Denver in this side, but I just can't do it right now. It's, and it's just not enough for me with San Francisco with Jimmy G because, you know, he looked fine last week and, and they're comfortable. But we got to remember, like, Jimmy G is not Joe Montana. Jimmy G was a guy they were trying to get off of because he couldn't quite take them to the next level. He didn't, they didn't even give him a playbook early on in training camp. They wanted to get rid of him, but nobody else wanted him, so they brought him back. Nobody else was willing to really like make the deal for him. There's a lot of teams that could use a Jimmy G right now. He made one big-time throw, one turnover-worthy play. Uh, Bosa last week, seven total pressures, four hurries, two sacks, and a quarterback hit. Offensive line allowed just nine total pressures, didn't give up a sack. If I had to make a pick in this game, I would pick Denver. But I can't. I'm not going to invest my money on Denver. Yeah, and no, I'm right not going to. You can't. There's nothing he's no. done. He's way over his head. He has no idea what he's doing. Russ hasn't looked Russ s. Jerry Judy man. He was like four play. for fifteen at one point in the game. Yeah, last week. Just, this uh, they're struggling to stop the run. Um, 49ers are going to look to run the ball. Yeah, there's just a lot of stuff going on. Uh, it's not really. Sometimes you know it looks like. Sometimes the best play is just to go to bed early on Sunday, and it looks like that's what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> Monday night, we have Dallas versus the Giants. The Giants, 2-0 and this year with the new staff. How cool is it for the Giants? So, you know, think about last year. This is a team that ran a quarterback sneak on a third and nine from their own five-yard line in week 18 last year. They just gave up. This year, week one, they go for two for the win in the first game of the season. And then this week, third and six, they could have run the ball and punted. Instead, they have a bootleg Daniel Jones keeper where he's able to pick the ball, uh, where he's able to pick it up. They didn't just give a really plain hand it off to the running back right up the gut. And then they pick up a first down and they're able to run the clock out. That's just yeah. such a different philosophy from last year for a, a team that was coached by a staff that was telling their players, we stink. We don't believe in you. This guy's telling his guys, let's go out there and win these games. 
Like, I trust you to make these plays. Let's make the plays. I'm going to empower you. And I don't know how good they are, but it's pretty cool to see a staff come in, get a couple things to bounce their way. This is their first 2-0 start in 13 years. Um, Jones had 239 yards total offense and the only touchdown pass of the game. His third and final rushing first down was the one that put the game in way. Uh, Williams went out late in the game, but before going out, he had four hurries and a really good grade. Their defense has only allowed 36 total points, even without its top two pass rushers. They haven't won consecutive games decided by three points before this since 2016, but they went back-to-back close ones. They go four of four on field goals last week. You have Dallas, who maybe got away with one last week. I mean, they were the better team overall, but I don't know if I want to count on Rush repeatedly. I think in spots here and there, he can look good. I don't really know if I have a strong opinion one way or the other in here. Talk to us a little bit about this game, Eric. I mean, where the number is, it kind of tells me you have to play the Giants. Yeah, I think I'm leaning that way too. You know, anything under three, you kind of have to play the Giants here. Hard to trust Cooper Rush, don't get me wrong. You know, former CMU great, 2-0 and against the spread as a starter. But there's just a lot of, you know, issues going on. I think Parsons is going to be able to get to Jones. Jones does struggle at home covering the spread. Uh, but, you know, they got it done last week against the Panthers. Dable does have this team going in the right direction. Uh, Barkley does look good. Defensively, it looks a lot better. Offensive lines protecting. Um if Dak was playing here, probably a completely different story. Cowboys would probably be home road favorites, but uh, with Cooper Rush, you know, they're getting one. This was at two and a half, so money is coming in on the Cowboys. So if you like the Cowboys, you kind of miss the point, miss the boat. My eyes, it's uh, Giants or nothing right now. So you have the Rush, uh, Cooper Rush, who will be starting again, was 19 for 31, 235 passing yards, 7.6 yards per attempt. Two turnover-worthy plays, but did play well above expectation with two big-time throws. And Burrow only had 199 yards in that game and 5.5 yards per attempt. Noah Brown looked like his guy. Uh, Brown uh, caught all five targets for 91 yards and a touchdown. All five receptions were either a first down or a touchdown. And he was two for two on contested catch opportunities. They lined up Parsons almost always as a pass rusher against the Bengals. He had two sacks and seven pressures and three pass pass rush wins that didn't result in a pressure. So he had a win rate of 25%. Four sacks in two games. They need to line him up more as a pass rusher. They actually won a game without their starting quarterback, their starting left tackle, and one of their starting safeties. They got a 17-3 17-3 in the first half. Then they allowed the Bengals to tie the game in the fourth quarter, but a late drive gave him a 50-yard game-winning field goal. Rookie left guard Tyler Smith has been pretty impressive in pass and run blocking departments, only allowing one pressure across 39 snaps in pass protection. But I lean the Giants in here. It's a it's a nice spot for them catching a backup quarterback here with an opportunity to go to 3-0. Yeah, it's you a know? great spot. It is an absolute great spot for them. So, Eric, you and I will be talking football again on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern time. We'll go through all of the Sunday games on Better Than Vegas's show presented by Betfred Sports. It's called Fourth and Inches. So we'll know anything more about injuries. Uh, we'll talk some more DFS stuff about pricing. We'll see if the lines have moved at all at that point. You and I will also talk some college football on Friday. We have a show that streams. It's totally free. Live at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. We go over 
some of the biggest games of the weekend for college football. So that'll be Friday, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, you, me, and XFL Jim going through everything college football. So if you didn't get enough of me and Eric right now, you can still catch more of us coming up uh, over the weekend on Friday and then again on Sunday. Tell us what you have going on with your show, buddy. Um, Podcast comes out on Friday and, uh, you know, live stream every every Tuesday. And I'm with uh, you on Friday night on the um, BTV show and uh, Saturday morning on the Sunday morning, excuse me, on the BTV show. Make sure to give Eric a follow. You hear him here each and every week. Rest those pipes, my friend. I hope you feel a little bit better. Thanks so much again for helping us out. NFL Week 3 is in the books. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still have a lot more to come. If you're listening on the podcast, that's what G said. I'll also be posting these videos on social media every week on Twitter. So if you want to watch and kind of look at some of the lines as we're going along, you can always check it out if you come give me a follow on Twitter. It's me, Gino B. So just as a recap, the five games for me and Eric this week were as follows. We have Houston plus two and a half, Colts plus five and a half, Titans plus two, Tampa minus one, Giants minus one. Those are our five plays for this week. So far, three and two in week one, three and two in week two. Let's move on over and start talking some horse racing. Listen in as Gino and friends give you all the specifics on who to bet and how to make some money. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years. Studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF pass performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic pass performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF pass performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering. 
multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Better. You want to spread your pony knowledge by. Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Come and join us on Friday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time for this weekend in Stable Duel. It's our weekend preview. We get you all set up. Best bets for Friday and for Saturday for some of the contests. Like Friday, this week, you can play at Gulfstream Park. I'm going to have a couple plays. We're going to talk about Gulfstream in just a minute. Delaware has a free game. Pimlico has a $25 entry game. Hawthorne and Penn National both have games on Friday. This weekend, though, it's all about the Pennsylvania Derby game. $50 entry, $5,000 in prizes. That is going to be on Saturday. There's also a a $5 game at Parks. Gulfstream, Pimlico, and LaSalle also have Saturday games. Then on Sunday, Gulfstream, Pimlico, LaSalle, and Golden Gate. Get those entries in and play race win. Come join me and the sniper, Barry Spears, on Friday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. Matt DeSantis is usually with us this week. He won't be because he's actually heading over to Parks to watch the PA Derby himself. So he'll be driving over on Friday and he'll be arriving there and taking in the races on Saturday. Let's, let's talk some racing. Let's talk some Friday. Gulfstream Park, give out a couple plays for Gulfstream Park. We've got Friday best bets in race number four. The number nine is a horse that I think I've seen once or twice before. Almost felt like I was forced to pick this horse. Uh, she's a two-year-old filly. She's named Stephanie My Love. In her career debut, she was on a sloppy racetrack over at Delaware. Then in her second start, she was facing maiden special weights at Delaware. She finished behind a horse named Prince Jesse, who's two for two. Princess Jesse, who's two for two. And then in her third start, Stephanie My Love ran into another sharp horse named Creative Cadence, who went on to beat winners in their next start. So this filly comes over with some experience. I think she's really well spotted. She's five to one on the morning line. If we can get anything over seven to two, I'll make a win wager on the number nine, Stephanie, my love, in race number four. I have to have to do that for uh, for my girlfriend Stephanie, but she she's got a shot in this one. Now in the eighth race, it's the number six horse. That's the next play at Gulfstream on Friday, Kiko. The Poima is going to be the heavy favorite. Is probably going to be the speed. I think Kaiko can sit just behind Poima. And I'm going to give her another shot. She faced that filly a few starts back and she was dusted. But I think they'll try to get into a nice tracking spot just behind. 6-1 to one on the morning line. Make sure to throw her in your stable dual lineups. And then in race number 9 on Friday, we're looking at the number 6, Tout Ensemble. This is a 3-year-old filly. She'll be making her 4th career start. Her first 2 starts were in the Chad Brown barn. And I honestly think you can go race by race and everything makes sense. Her debut, 
She's on a muddy track. And then when she comes back in her second start, that race, she has a bad beginning. She loses her footing. And then that race is followed by an 11-month layoff. When she shows back up, she's in the Lisa Lewis barn for the first time. And she hopped a bit at the start, but she was quickly up to battle in between horses. She didn't seem to love being in between who does? That's a tough place to be, but she did battle. She was right up front at the top of the lane. She really did try hard, and she got a little tired and backed up. She was only 7-2 to two in that race, and on the morning line, she's 6-1 to one in here. That's the number 6 tout ensemble. I think she'll run a lot better in this race. If she's anything over 7-2, to two, we'll make a win wager there. So that is Friday, Gulfstream Park. A couple best bets for you. Let's head to Saturday. And before we get to parks, just to remind you, next week, Santa Anita opens up. So we'll have coverage of Santa Anita every single day with best bets. Some days pick fives, different guest handicappers for their five-week meet with a lot of stakes races that will end Breeders' Cup weekend, and then they'll return just after Christmas for their longer meet. So Santa Anita will be handicapping each and every day, and they will also have those free pick prop contest where... You have questions that combine horse racing, football, college football, baseball, basketball. They're totally free to enter, and every week they give out prizes. So I'll be reminding you about those quite a bit. We'll even have a live stream video preview to show you how to enter each and every week. And uh, Eric is going to join me to you know give some analysis on the props. We'll tell you, if you need some help, how we're going to play those contests. Big focus on parks this weekend, it's the Pennsylvania Derby, 10 stakes races, 5 graded stakes, 2 grade ones with the Cotillion and the Pennsylvania Derby, and those are both $1 million races. Our good friend, the track announcer over at parks, Chris Griffin, joins us for a primer. We talk all about the parks, what's been going on as of late, and some of the nice horses that are lining up this weekend. Not as much of a handicapping as it is just sort of an overall preview discussion, a primer, a scene setter for this weekend. Parks, Chris Griffin joins. It's always exciting to get a chance to talk to a good friend, Chris Griffin. He is a track announcer over at Parks right now, and it is a big weekend coming up with the Pennsylvania Derby on Saturday and a huge undercard. I've had the privilege of uh, working with my man, Chris, um, did some stuff together with Pleasanton and then over at Sam Houston. <laughs> and now, Chris, true. you've been heading uh, on over to Parks. And I got to say, you've done a really great job there just bringing attention to the racing day in, day out. That's one of the, our jobs at promoting the races is just reminding people day in, day out when the racing is, what the racing menu is like. And you've had a, a seems like you're having a lot of fun with social media and just getting more information about parks out there. Yeah, man. Hey, good to be with you once again. I I, I like texting you, and it's it's always like uh, you're always, hey, it's me, it's Gino, and I'm like, hey, it's me, CG. I need <laughs> you want to you want to start uh, you know talking some races and whatnot. But yeah, brother, it, you know it's one of those things that we're here to promote, as you said, and we're here to to make sure that on a day to day basis, people are following along with the races because. Of course, the big days are great. 13 races, a big card that we're going to dive into and talk about graded stakes racing action, million-dollar races. These are, these are all things that we can highlight. But uh, I've always talked about covering horse racing as a professional sport and being able to have the opportunity to get on the backside because uh, the horses are always here. You know, that they're stabled here, and we race year-round at parks, so you don't have 
you know, that season where everyone leaves and then you kind of shut the engines off and then you come back, you know, when you race year round, you have an opportunity to continue to tell that story on a, on a weekly basis. So it's been nice to do that. Uh, we see a lot of new faces, obviously, because we're seeing different barns that are going to be shipping in. We see these big runners. When you see grade one type fillies and Colts and gelding show up, uh, you know, these, these are the races that you enjoy to be a part of from a wagering standpoint. It's a fantastic card, as you pointed out. And, and, and hopefully people respond as far as social media and the engagement. And, and, and that's one thing that I do like to bring with me uh, when a racetrack wants to get involved and, and we can expand the social media reach. We do it as much as we can. You know, we want to we want to make sure that we're passing along the right information. And I understand some people sometimes they, they want to get, you know, up to the date information right there on social. It's just tough to do that sometimes. You know, sometimes you got to make sure that we know Correct what's is going better. on Correct before, is, is... before just releasing the info. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and, and and things like that can happen. Um, so it's it's not always, you know, I'm ignoring you or I'm not paying attention to what you're saying. It's just sometimes we just don't have the answer right then. So uh but in the other way, it works great. You know, it's nice to build an audience from a social media standpoint and see people sending in their selections and their comments and, hey, your pick was great. And, hey, your pick wasn't so great. And they use other words. But, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's it's the type of thing that makes this thing enjoyable. It's paramutual betting. So when you're taking a look at, at how uh, odds do work out and how you're playing against other players and, and their handicapping, some people are going to like a horse in this race that you don't like in that same race. And that's that's part of it. And that's why we do what we love. And I'm honored to do it. I'm very lucky to do it. There's going to be a great team here that's going to be added to our coverage. Really looking forward to that part. And as always, man, it's just it's good to just chat with you for a little bit, hang out and talk some horses. There's nothing wrong with doing that uh, as we get set for a big day. But two grade ones, $1 million each, it doesn't get much better than that. It's really great. Yeah, you, if you give Parks a follow on social media, we're just getting to know some of the people over at Parks a little <laughs> bit more. Little videos, yeah. little tidbits, fun TikTok stuff that, that you've been getting <laughs> into here and there. Um, so it, it's a really good follow. It'll help you as a handicapper. It'll help you as a gambler if you're playing the races over there. And it'll help you get to know some of those really great horsemen just a little bit better. So um, great presence over there leading into a big weekend like this. You mentioned uh, our friend Jessica Paquette is also going to be joining you this weekend to help out with some additional coverage. What a great few years for Jess, huh? I mean, she has just been, uh, when Suffolk closed down and it was very sad for her, she mm. wasn't able to necessarily be covering races in front of the camera anymore day to day. And yeah. she was doing more stuff with, um, with behind the scenes, with helping out horses, getting them into homes. She yeah. loves the horses overall. And then the last few years, seeing her all over the place, traveling to Sam Houston, Colonial, and helping out all over the place on big days. She's such a bright spot in the world of horse racing. She's fun. She cares about the horses. She's a great ambassador. I'm actually going to be talking to her a little bit later on, too. I have an interview with her <laughs> to handicap and really dive into some of the wagering in the big races. That, that's actually why I decided not to give selections, so I don't have to, like, duke it out with Jessica toe-to-toe <laughs> -to -toe with her picks. But uh, I – Great respect for Jessica Paquette. She is, uh, we met through, uh, she was actually recommended to me for, for, for Sam Houston as we were talking and I was down there and, and we were looking for uh, expanding our coverage and adding to our team and, and she came recommended and we just got a chance to know her there and, and we've become you know, friends ever since she's just, I call her a star because she is, I mean, I thought I worked hard. you know, if you, if you want to see somebody that works hard and is everywhere and can somehow squeeze a, a full marathon in, in that weekend, and Good then morning. also have pedigree knowledge and then handicap races and then 
you know, make sure she's got the fashion line. I mean, she can do it all. She's really just such an impressive individual and a good human being. So uh, it's nice to, to have her along. And she makes she makes my job a lot easier on a big day like this because she can take a lot of those duties on as far as the, the handicapping, the paddock previews. Um, and, and doing what we've what, what everyone likes to see trackside and being able to get up and close uh, and Danny Gibson she'll be helping us out yeah. with that as well she continues to do that here on a daily basis She's with fantastic Parks, too. Uh, with PTHA and bringing that coverage so to have uh, strong female voices uh, that are very very well versed in what we do from a from a horse racing standpoint and knowing the horses and being able to to see up close because I grew up in the world of you know I grew up in LA and Santa Monica as far as handicapping you know that that's not we did, I didn't grow up around horses. You know, I grew up around going to the racetracks and being able to handicap and, and, and take a look at some of the past performances and see horses in that way. But to be around horses and to grow up around them and to just see them up close and to understand what you're looking at, that's where the real beauty, I think, comes from uh, the job that they do. So Jessica, can't say enough about her. I, I hope we could save this little clip because she's going to have to say very nice things about yeah, me I was when she's say, on, hopefully. She, but uh, no, she's a, she's a grade one person. Happy to have her for... Uh, grade one races because looking forward to her being here on site yep she's an absolute plus and a major addition anywhere that she goes so this weekend yep 10 stakes races yep. on saturday on a yeah. 13 race card right. five of them graded stakes races yeah literally uh you get the best of everything it, because there are there's big money for some of the pa breads too which is great earlier on the card and then you've got the big open races later that are the open graded stakes races where you get horses shipping in from all over. Sure. And, I mean, you have first in the cotillion, the Kentucky Oaks winner, you have the Oaks winner showing up. <laughs> no, I right. mean, that's always a major plus when you I have know. one of the big stars in the division. So it'll start, I guess, with secret oath and that's a cool Philly to draw. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and, and with secret oath, you can tell when she shows up and, and, and a grade one Philly like that, that's danced a lot of the dances. It's just impressive to see her show up and be here at parks. And they, this is a race that the connections were pointing at. I mean, they, they've made it known that they were, you know, at the Kentucky Oaks talking to just Danny Gibson, who I was talking about and Dick Girardi and some members of our team that were there on site, you know, that they were looking at this race as a long-term goal and a long-term target. So here they are. Uh, it doesn't always work out that right way. Yeah. Right. I mean, as you set a plan and, and trying to get a, a really, star Philly to the races and get them to this million dollar race in a grade one it, it you, everything's got to go right and it seems like it is doing that mile and 16th right up her alley there seems to be enough speed in there to set things up for her as far as the trip is concerned uh it's exciting we have appearances by Jameer Nelson the St. Joe's Hall of Famer he's going to be here nice. on track we got an appearance by Brian Dawkins, the Philadelphia Eagles Hall of Famer, of course. So when you got a horse named B-Doc in the race and Brian Dawkins is going to oh, be making cool. an appearance and the horse is 20 to 1. I mean, I don't know how the stars can align any better for those Eagles fans out there that really want to get involved, right? When you got the three, B-Doc, Frankie Pennington, 20 to 1. They got a lot to be That's happy about this year, too. That team, that football team is a good squad. I think they're uh, one of the best. I'm a Chiefs fan. We don't want to dive I, too much into this. They're a pretty good squad, but uh, no, yeah, look. the Eagles do look good. They've been they've been very impressive in their first two weeks. But yeah, no, you talk about that star power, and then I mentioned those names because D. Wayne Lucas. I mean, I mean, D. Wayne yeah. Lucas coming to Ben Salem and being here at Parks, uh, he's going to create an energy and a buzz about it that people are going to be excited to see him in person as well. So uh, all around, it's just great. And, you know, you got horses coming from across the country, top connections, names you're very familiar with. Obviously, 
you look through the name of jockeys, when you take a look at John Velasquez, Mike Smith, uh, among many others, Hall of Famers and, and future Hall of Famers that are going to be here in attendance, it's just fantastic to see. So it's our day to really showcase things. You and I have done these big days before and gotten a chance to talk to them. It's that same energy. It's the same yeah. type of mentality that you take in because these are the big days that we want to put on. Uh, our best product. We want to make sure that people are enjoying the wagering action. We want to make sure it's safe out on the racetrack uh, for the for the horses and, and for everybody that's involved. And, and that all leads to a great day. So yeah, there's some favorites on the card too. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I looked through as I was pouring through some of the past performances, not to get too much into the handicapping, but there are some favorites in here that are going to take significant action. I wouldn't know about vulnerable, but I think that there are cases that you can you, say. You can take shots. Maybe, you, should, you can yeah. feel okay lining up to take shots against them. I agree. They, right. Yes. They're, they're fair racing. It doesn't seem like necessarily just head and shoulders above standouts based on like, you know, diving into the handicapping part. And you were talking about the who's who. If you were just listing the names in the entries for the cotillion. Todd Pletcher and Irad Ortiz Jr., Bob Baffert and Mike Smith, Todd Pletcher and John Velasquez, Chad Brown and Joel Rosario, D. Wayne Lucas and Luis Saez, Todd Pletcher and Flavian Pratt, Flor uh, Florent Giroux and Steve Asmussen. Literally like the who's who when it comes to trainers and jockeys teaming up, and that's in the cotillion, so... The names yeah. are all there this weekend. No, that's for sure, man. Those those big names and being able to see them. And, I, you know, because I'm here at Parsi, you know, I got to give love to our locals too. Butch Reed, Sandy Morning Matcha, the Pennsylvania bred. You know, she, he even said, and from a handicapping standpoint, he thought they were a little bit closer than they wanted to be last time. So I would take a look at Morning Matcha being a little further back. Mm -hmm. Paco Lopez got to know her. He's been aboard her now the last two starts. But that was more of a situation of the race. The way that the race shaped up, Morning Matcha was just up closer to it than she she usually likes to be i think she'll be further back and i think she gets that pace and i could not be happier uh, for adam bowman look beach days is going to be a huge number right she's going to be a big long shot in there but they're taking a shot yes. this horse works here she's been here she's been a great story Adam Bowman has been nothing but, and you talk about our coverage and being able to go on the backside and be able to get interviews and whatnot and be able to get access. You have to have willing participants. You know, you got to be able to get the jockeys and trainers that are willing to, to sit and chat with you for a bit. Adam Bowman has never said no. He's just been a fantastic ambassador and he's been able to talk to us and, and, and really get to know him more as a rider. And it's nice to be able to do that early on in the year, in the wintertime and into the spring. And to now see him get this opportunity, you can tell what it means to him. You know, you can see him on the rail as he just kind of looks out of the racetrack and you can understand what it means to be in a grade one race. Is he going to be a huge number? Yes. Is he going to be on a big long shot? Yes. But for him to achieve that and reach it, and he's he's very self-aware. You know, if you watch his interviews, you know, he knows kind of his zone. Can he get at, you know, can he continue to win more and more races? Absolutely. But he's a family man. He does a great job. So, uh, and I know you weren't discounting him. I wasn't saying no, that, you know, it's just like the big names and whatnot, you yeah. know, are great. And it's also great to see that local flair too, because it kind of just brings it all together, right? It just That's, brings everything into that grade one experience. This is where the, the, the Robert Reeds take a shot. Yeah. When the, you're a local trainer who wins a ton of races there, you have horses that know this track and yeah, maybe they're not quite as classy as a few others, but sure. they have the home court advantage. They're yeah. there. They've been training well. And you know, this racetrack, that's what's so fun about these races where you have the locals and they face the big horses that are coming in and everybody gets their chance to shine. And we'll get a chance to see so many horses have big moments and big opportunities to, um, to, you know, get into the winner's circle or to run a big race or just to, 
you know, become more of a household name for people who are all going to be watching Parks on Saturday. So let's get and to I the think, big – go ahead. Yeah, no, go sorry. Ahead. And, and and I think just generally speaking, when you see big fields, it does feel like maybe the connections feel like it's an open race. So if, if you feel like it's a wide open race, take a shot. Got to take a swing here. Uh, the Cotillion is race number 11 on Saturday, and then the Pennsylvania Derby is race number 12. We're looking at the field that is drawn right now for the Pennsylvania Derby, a mile and an eighth for three-year-olds. This is one of the best three-year-old races that we will see all year long. I, I mean, it is so strong and contentious. There's a field of 11. You have, you know, Zandin, who was your bluegrass winner and has been in every single race that he's ever run. You have Cyberknife, who was the Haskell winner. You have uh, the Florida Derby winner. You have, you know, all these different horses. Like you mentioned, B-Doc, Icy Storm, just sharp horses who are stepping up and they want to get an acid test and see where they really fit. This is a good group from a storyline standpoint, from a gambling standpoint. Like, it checks all the boxes of a grade one race. Yeah, excuse me. I'm talking a lot this week. So. Oh, you have to. Save those pipes. You got to save the no, pipes no, we're for good. Saturday. We're good. Yeah, we're good. Um, when you take a look at the field of 11 like this, yeah, four grade one winners in the races you pointed out. Um a lot of the main contenders from a wagering standpoint breaking right next to each other. The we the people price really is interesting to me. I, this is a horse that look, there's there's speed in here, but I don't know how I don't know that these are a lot of horses that are going to go right to the front. I think some of them are going to have to change their tactics a little bit if they're going to say we're going to be right up there on the front end. Cyberknife did show what I it seems like some of the betters are thinking they changed the tactics up a little bit to go to the front. Maybe it was just the way that the race kind of played out, finished second, beaten five uh, plus lengths, but battle back to the inside of epicenter. We, the people at 12 to one off of a beaten favorite effort in West Virginia, two starts back. He was one of the favorites in the Belmont. And yeah. now all of a sudden he's going to get away at 12 to one in a race where I do think he's going to be showing the tempo. He gets a good post. Taba gets the right trip. I think Taba mm -hmm. trips out as far as looking at, the type of trip he can get. I, it looks like Mike Smith can just sit right off of the six. Tawny Port, I guess, is maybe the X factor in between them because what does Arad Ortiz do, Jr. do? You know, obviously he knows what he's doing aboard a horse, but is this horse going to pretty much take a little further back, which seemingly does seem to happen in some of his running lines and make that run? If Tabe is sitting right off of the six, we the people into that first turn, then I think you're starting to see it play out as you think it might play out on paper, whether it ends up that way, we'll find out. But why Barrio is kind of the horse that I think everybody is kind of pointed at thinking, wow, didn't get the best draw getting the 11 spot. But I will say this at a mile and eighth here at parks, you do have time in that stretch passing us the first time to find position. I, I don't, I don't think Luis Saez is going to, you know, I don't, it's not, the mile and 16th, a little bit shorter. That's you got to make that decision, obviously, much quicker. But mile and eighth, that's going to give you a little bit more of that breathing room to where you can kind of take a look inside and see where everyone wants, wants, wants to be before you have to make a real decision on where you're going to track. Why do Bar Barrio seems like forwardly places where he wants to be? Safi Joseph Jr. won this race in 2019 with Math Wizard, though. So Safi's showing up with two horses, obviously thinks he's got a big shot in here to win the race. Um you talk about the connections again and very familiar names uh, that we've yeah. seen uh, in Eclipse <laughs> season and wherever else. So it's a grade one race. Zandon is a horse that I hear a lot of people talking about that it's kind of, and I, I didn't talk about this with secret oath, but Zandon is, is the horse for me that it doesn't seem like there's a gray area with, with how people are taking a look at the race. I think people are saying Zandon has a huge shot 
where people are saying, I'm not going to add Zandon on, on my tickets. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, yeah. I, I, as a handicapper, I do, I just do think that sometimes you can find those horses where whether it's right or wrong, people just say it's, it's one way or the other for me. I can't, I can't really say, well, maybe he has a shot, maybe sneaks in the try. I don't know. So we'll see if that happens. I think we, the people's great value at, at 12 yeah, to one, we'll see if that price does hold from a speed standpoint, but with Cyberknife, Taba, all those horses being right there, you know, it's it's hard to see them not all getting a nice trip, and we'll just see who the best horse is on that day. Yeah, you mentioned one that I'll, I'll be definitely using in my pick fours and pick fives and stuff, and we'll mention the pick five in just a moment. Uh, Tawny Port, who I like a little bit too, just seems like he's kind of just improving towards the second part of the season, like taking little steps forward each and every time, and you're right, the trip is key. Can he sit a little more mid-pack than having to come from way, way out of it? You know, can he sit fifth or sixth? And then I, I would really like his chances. If he has to come from way out of it and pass everyone, it'll be a little bit tougher for him. But Zandon will probably be the horse this time because I loved Zandon last time. I thought okay. I thought the Travers last time was the spot for him second yep. back. So I'm sure now that I'm off him this time, he'll he'll come back in uh, and cash <laughs> and score. Yeah, and 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 look, if you're and we were talking about three year olds, and if you're asserting yourself, and I and I I've kind of said this already, but. If you're a big epicenter fan, how are you not a, a Zandon fan right yeah. now? You know what I mean? Like he's been finishing right behind him. He has not been that far off of him, especially two starts back in the Jim Dandy. So if if you're really if you would if you would say I'm all in with epicenter in here, we're talking about a horse that was a length length and a half back from that horse two starts back. He does break from the rail. You know, people feel however they want to feel about rail draws and whatnot here at Parks. We'll see how it does shake out. Um, it seems like he's going to sit back and he's going to make that big run. And whether it's going to be good enough, whether he gets the pace set up, whether they go quick enough, we'll find out. With a little bit cooler temperatures on Saturday, it's going to be a fair racetrack. It does lend to both speed and horses coming from off the pace. So I don't think you're going to, you know, get into that one way or the other kind of kind of thing. Watch it early. Usually when it's a lot warmer, that's the only thing I've noticed when it's a lot warmer. Yeah, it's tighter and the track is playing pretty fast. So speed does pretty well. But when we're looking at 70 some odd degrees, you know, I, I think we'll kind of be in that range uh, for a cooler afternoon, which would be great for just the viewing audience too. A lot of people like to come out when it's just nice weather, kind of getting into the fall. That's really great. And then the other thing, we had a little bit of a passing shower come through. I, I don't know how that's going to play into the turf. We were good from a condition standpoint on Wednesday on the turf, we'll see what the turf condition ends up being on Saturday with that passing shower that came through. And then they're also taking the turf rail down. So the turf rail was out of 22 feet, going to be at zero feet on Saturday. So that's an important note for some people out there. Well, we're all going to get involved. We're all going to be watching and uh, listening in on Saturday for the big day. Now there's also a big pick five, I believe, right? Yeah. Mandatory payout yeah. in the pick five. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, the Philly Big Five is a jackpot wager, and 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 when jackpot wagers, you know, find themselves on a big day like this, it's over one hundred two thousand dollars into that carryover jackpot or carryover, I should say, now with a mandatory distribution. So mandatory distribution was announced on Wednesday. Uh, race number nine is going to be the first leg. So when you take a look at the the, the Philly Big Five and that wager. 15 horses are entered. Some are MTOs in there in the turf monster, which is the first leg. It's a five for a long sprint on the turf. It's a grade three where I just don't see a horse that's going to be odds on in there to get the win. Yeah. I know a lot of people like that's right to the inside. He's got speed. It seems like if he breaks well, he's going to have a really big shot in there for trainer Michael Moore. Uh, but you can make a case for a lot of horses in that spot mm -hmm. that can have a big run, you know, depending on how the turf is playing, the turf rail coming down. I think that that should play to any types, whether it's going to be front end speed or whether it's going to be horses coming from off of it. But for first leg of a, a pick five sequence, 
good luck, huh? <laughs> to have 13 horses in there where you feel like it's wide open and the favorite is going to draw the rail. And again, however you feel about rail draws, I mean, that's, I think the connections like the rail, whether or not, whether or not, you know, the betters like the rail, we'll see. Uh, but in a five for a long sprint, it's probably going to be go, go, go right from the right when they spring the latch. So uh, that's going to be an exciting start to that sequence. And, and that's going to be one of those uh, social media is like, oh my goodness, how did I not have that horse? I'm out of it. Or that's going to be one of those like, oh yeah, I'm alive after, you know, this horse won the race. And when you're alive, it'll be part of a pick five that is all stakes races. Yep. And the uh, ninth race, you mentioned the grade three. The 10th race is the grade two gallant Bob. The 11th is the cotillion that we talked about. And the 12th is the Pennsylvania Derby. So it's a pick five with four graded stakes out of the five races. And then it ends with the uh, the alphabet soup. Yeah, um, the, the gallant Bob has only 14 horses entered well, in there. Just too, 14. So you go, you go so. right into a 13, into a 14. So again, great job by the racing office. I will say, I did see one comment. It was pretty funny. I I, I will give this one a shout because it was funny on social media. Somebody said like, does Parks even have a number 17 saddlecloth or something like that? That's I mean, great. It's, it, it, it's funny. I mean, I, I appreciate that humor in that moment, um, but it's great. It's great to see big field sizes. And I'm glad we're asking that question because it's great yes. for you, the betters out there to get involved on Saturday. Excellent job from everyone over there at Parks, luring all these big horses in to run on Saturday. It's the big day over there. Now, Chris, before I let you go, just going to yeah. ask you about one more thing and congratulate you. We just heard uh, some news that you're also going to be um, do calling some of the races over at Aqueduct, too. Tell us a little bit yeah. about how that all came together and when <laughs> we'll to see you over there. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, very lucky, you know, very lucky to have opportunities and, and, and continue to to call it different racetracks. And and obviously I called some races in the winter uh, this past winter here in 2022. So was humbled and honored to get that opportunity. And, and yeah, I'll have the opportunity again here coming up in January, starting next year and, and be able to be the full-time guy uh, at Aqueduct during the winter and really looking forward to that. And during that season, the Aqueduct season, really uh, it's a wonderful opportunity. And I, I I'm just, uh, you know, I, I it's I'm humbled in these moments because it's just, I, I, the one thing I don't like to do Tracking, uh, tracking outs or not, I just I don't like to talk about myself. You know, it's well, like, no, it's not about me, it's you, about, right? I know, it's about it's the about horses doing and the work everything else. And doing the job, you know, and I just I I just kind of have to take a breath once in a while. I'll probably take a breath after Saturday because of everything that's going on here in, in, in PA. But yeah, I'm lucky. I appreciate those. Thanks, man. I'm looking forward to January, and uh, we'll take care of business here Saturday and, and and sit down, get with the team, and figure things out. But uh, really looking forward to that. Yeah, it's it's going to be a fun time this winter for me, uh, professionally and just uh, kind of overall of being a horse racing fan. So looking forward to it. Good few years. We heard that voice in Northern California, then over in Texas. We heard it over at Monmouth <laughs> park in New York. Now it parks just all over the place. Great uh, stuff. And now, you know, with, like you said, with the timing of that, that'll give you the opportunity to call some horses that are going to be running in the, uh, on the triple crown races, you sure, know, along yeah. the way. And you get the yeah. wood Memorial, you know, and you get a chance to, to call some horses that'll be in the Derby. Then you get to look at them, you know, at, at parks afterwards when they come in the PA Derby. So I'm um, so happy for you, friend. I know you work hard and uh, yeah. you deserve all the good stuff coming to you. Now this weekend, let's have a great day on Saturday. You rest those pipes and uh, yeah. anything else you want to mention before we get no, out of here? No, 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 It's all good, man. Gino, I really appreciate it. I, I appreciate all the time, man. I appreciate you always uh, jumping in and wanting to promote and, and do the whole thing. Free hat giveaway. I can mention that free hat giveaway if you are going to be on site. So make sure you guys check that out. If you're in the Pennsylvania region or just joining us that day, gates open at 11, first post time, 1205. Looking at a great day of racing, all the live entertainment, everything going on. Uh, just happy to have people and welcome them to Pennsylvania and looking forward to a huge day.
We're going to hear that voice this weekend calling the big races over at Parks. Track announcer Chris Griffin, one of the absolute best out there. Uh, make sure to follow in with everything happening on Saturday over at Parks. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, folks. If you're listening on the podcast, there'll be a lot more coming up, but I'm also going to post this uh, on social media. So if you are, thanks for hanging out and make sure to check out That's What G Said Podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. And let's put some wagers in on Saturday over at Parks. So you want to set the mood. You're looking for something all natural. Soy wax. Non-toxic, baby. Sense for every season. Now don't be afraid, baby, just spell it out. C-E-R-A candles.com And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 10% off. Mm-hmm. Big thank you to Chris for helping us out. Now we continue along with our coverage of Park Saturday. Jessica Paquette helps us out with the handicapping. We are going to talk about races uh, 9, 10, 11, and 12 on Saturday at Parks. They're all graded stakes races. They're the first four in a pick five that's a mandatory payout pick five. So Jessica Paquette joins for some handicapping. Let's talk about some graded stakes this weekend at Parks. We continue on with some of our coverage of the big day coming up this weekend at Parks. It is a huge Saturday, 10 stakes races, five graded stakes races, the Pennsylvania Derby and the Cotillion, a couple grade ones with some of the absolute best three-year-olds in training that will be lining up in races 11 and 12 on Saturday over at Parks, a couple million dollar races and Parks is going to beef up their coverage. They are going to add one of the best our good friend Jessica Paquette, she's going to head out to parks this weekend, and she's going to be part of the broadcast, helping out with the handicapping analysis, doing some reporting out there. So we had to we had to make her work even more, of course, to come on here and talk with us. Jessica Paquette joins us to talk a little bit about the Saturday at Parks. How you doing, Jess? I'm great. You know, you are never work. This is all fun. Thank you. And I got to say, what a what a cool couple years it's been for you. We, uh, I just did an interview a little earlier with our friend Chris Griffin, who you're going to see this weekend, track announcer over at Parks, and we were talking about in the last you know, few years since Sam Houston, then, we, then at Colonial, the great work you've done, and how they're going to have you head over. Chris only said nice things, I promise. Nothing, nothing too bad. But, uh, <laughs> He's on the payroll. Yeah, so it's, it's really great to see how you just been all over the place getting to take part in a lot of these big days and big meets. And you looked like you were having such a blast again out there at Colonial. Oh, I had the best summer. I'm so lucky. Horses have taken me to places that, yeah, I just never thought possible. And it's just such a treat to get to go to these wonderful tracks, work with a bunch of really fun people and talk about good horses. Because for you, once Suffolk closed down for a little while, it was a little more behind the scenes stuff. You were still, you know, paying attention, but you were doing more stuff with some of uh, the other organizations that you work with, some of the nonprofits. You're always, you know, dealing with your own individual horses and helping horses find homes, all sorts of stuff like that. But the last couple of years, it's been great to just see you back. I think doing what you excel at so much is just getting to talk racing with people. You, you're one of those people who has like a really great energy. I had a blast hanging out with you and, and it's contagious and it, people really draw to it. And you've done such a great job promoting those tracks. I'm so glad parks was able to get you out there this weekend. That's so kind of you to say, um, and your energy matches mine. I mean, you, we are, (laughs) we're both like a 12 on a scale of one to 10 all the time. We break the scale for sure. (laughs) 
<laughs> we do, but it's just, it's, it, for me, the happiest and best version of myself is at a racetrack, and I'm really grateful to get to do that. So uh, awesome day this week on Saturday. You'll have a couple grade ones, five graded stakes races, 10 stakes races overall, which is really cool because even earlier on the card, you get like some big stakes races for some of the PA breads. And so for some of the young horses, they're getting to run for like 200 grand. So it is really a nice little snapshot of everything from parks this weekend because you'll get to see a lot of the local connections run for big money. And then, you know, in the races that we're going to talk about, it's a who's who with the trainers and the jockeys and everyone that ships in. It's an incredible card. The racing office did a fabulous job. And top to bottom, you, uh, for me, I love to see there are so many opportunities for local horsemen and women to get a really good pay t- paycheck. They just don't get the chance all the time to run for the big money. And now they do. Now they get to see where they stack up against some other really classy individuals. Jess is going to help me talk about four of the big races on the Saturday card in race number nine, it actually kicks off that uh, mandatory payout 50 cent Philly big five that they're going to have. And it's a pick five that includes four graded stakes races. And then it closes out with another stakes. We'll talk about races nine, 10, 11, and 12. So for the betters playing that pick five, you kick things off with the turf monster, which has a field listed of 50. There are 15 runners. A couple of them are main track only. So we will be having a full field in this one, sprinting five on the turf. Such a difficult way to start like a, a sequence like that. Who are some of the horses that you're looking to uh, in this turf monster? I'd, I'd imagine that's right from the inside with that big speed, sort of a at least a starting point with the talking and how people will probably approach this race. Yeah, I think he really is the starting point. And for me, he is my top selection. He had no apparent excuses last time out. But that was a tough Saratoga field. I think he's kind of getting back to his level of competition here. And prior to trying the waters at Saratoga, he had three straight wins. Um, The thing I also like, he's relatively inexperienced. So I never mind when a younger horse kind of takes a step backwards after a couple of really good efforts. I think he can rebound here. Yeah, especially he's only raced four times on the turf and three of them are victories. And the rail for a horse like this, that's going to go anyways. The rail doesn't bother me. You know, the rail is more of a worry when you have maybe like a presser, kind of those in-between horses where they might be sitting just behind and they could get squeezed back. Horse like this, he's just going to go. So here and it's catch me if you can and we'll see if they can. Another one that sticks out uh, to me a little um, is nothing better. This is a horse who's really been in some awesome form as of late. He comes out of a race at Monmouth where he went a mile and he did get in some legitimate trouble from the rail. And now he's able to shift out and uh, Luis Saez jumps aboard. So uh, that's a major positive. Um, any others in here that you, uh, that you want to mention are that are intriguing to you. A couple prices to the outside, like heroes reward. We'll get back to the turf. You have smooth B who's not one on the, who's not one on the turf, but has performed pretty well in, uh, in many races on the turf and underneath spots. Anyone else strike your fancy in here? I'm a little intrigued by number five, uncle Ernie. This is a bold spot to try the turf for the first time, yeah. but he's got a model of consistency on the main track. He has enough turf influence in his pedigree to make a, like a mild case for him here. And I know turf speed or dirt speed doesn't always translate to turf speed, but he has some speed. And I think he's kind of an interesting horse if he takes to the surface. The turf monster, the grade three turf monster is race number nine on Saturday over at Parks. And it kicks off that mandatory payout in the 50 cent Philly Big Five. Let's move to the gallant Bob. We have a grade two here for three-year-old sprinters. Now another 
this wide open group. This field has 14 lining up, and I believe the morning line favorite is a lukewarm. I'm seeing four to one. We're gonna have like a bunch of four, five to one shots in here of a revolution. Provocateur will get money. Little Vic will get some money. Uh, Running son of a gun's gonna get support. As will Lightning Larry, Nakatomi, Scaramouche. It's just pick your poison in here, Jess. There's just so many ways to go. This is the race that if I'm playing this horizontal sequence, I think you have to go several horses deep. I can't really separate quite a few of these horses. I'm looking forward to seeing them in person. I hope they give me a little bit of insight once I see them in the paddock, but my pick five tickets already in at that point. So this is a race where I feel like I have to go a little bit deep. My top selection is a lukewarm number 12, a lot of hope, has forward momentum coming in with uh, two consecutive wins, and you might get a pretty decent price on him as well. These are deep waters, no question about that, but I thought his last start against Braden Stakes Company really wasn't an embarrassment by any stretch. No, and in a race like this, where with a huge field, you project there to be a good amount of speed. He's got some versatility to him. Yeah. What you know, what he's shown in his last couple, where he can sit close if they're not going all that fast, but if they are, he has no problem taking back and making one light, making a late run. So I like a horse like that in a big field like this that you know they can win in different ways. He can put himself in a spot where he can be competitive, uh, kind of regardless of how the race shakes out ahead of it, in front of him. The nine running son of a gun is one that I'm definitely going to be using on my exotics. It's a good spot for him. He's been facing really tough horses as of late. In his last three, he was behind Charge It, then he was behind Gunite and Accreditive, and then he was behind Jack Christopher and Gunite in a grade one over at Saratoga, and he turns back a little. That may give him a little extra punch. He's he's a like a must-use in and pick fours and exotics for me. But yeah, this is this is definitely the race where most people are gonna be four, five. 10 deep in here like it's yeah so if you have a super strong opinion god this is your spot to single but i certainly don't have one yeah this is, could be a get separation spot if you do make sure to throw the 12 a lot of hope and the nine running son of a gun into some of your exotics let's move to the two big ones the grade ones the cotillion and then the pennsylvania derby so race number 11 is the cotillion and we did the same exercise with chris but have to do it again because you just read the connections in this race. Pletcher and Irad Ortiz, Bob Bafford and Mike Smith, Pletcher and John Velasquez, Joel Rosario and Chad Brown, D. Wayne Lucas and Luis Saez, Pletcher and Flavian Pratt, Steve Asmussen, Florent Giroux. And then you have some local connections with Bowman and Mann. And you have Paco Lopez aboard for local uh, lo- local trainer Robert Reed. You have all of the big names, then a couple locals. It is as good of a field as they possibly could have signed on that's led by the Kentucky Oaks winner from this year. This is a phenomenal field, and Secret Oath, I just think, is a really special filly. I think this is a good spot for her. I think she'll be awfully tough. That said, I am certainly trying to beat her. I'm trying to be a little bit clever here. I kind of like number nine, Society, for the Asmussen Barn. To me, this filly is like the quintessential second half of the year Steve Asmussen filly that got overshadowed by her like flashier stablemates earlier in the year. She reminds me of Pauline's Pearl to a, like to a, a, a lesser extent, a filly who's just hitting her best stride the second half of her sophomore season. I liked her win last time out. I mean, her effort in the coaching club American Oaks was not anything memorable, but that was a weird sort of race. Um, yeah, and, you know, those, I think those it's an small... easy toss for her, right? Just put a line yeah. right through that race and give. Give her it was going maybe a little longer than she wanted. She didn't have the best of starts, and it was, it was a small field. And like those, that winds up being such a weird strategic thing when the field is that small. Yep, it ends up just being they all they're all sort of clumped, and it's about who makes the move early. This yep. race, I think she'll get 
the opportunity, especially from out there, to just sort of, hey, let's just let loose and run our race from out here. Yeah, I think she's much better than that race indicates. I think she's a true, great, like, legitimate grade one quality filly. Just needs the right spot. I'm hoping a horse who can kind of track in behind her is Shahama. Um, I'm going to use her in some spots too because she was a horse who was there was a lot of buzz about her heading into the Kentucky Oaks, how she was training and everything. And I just think, you know, with, for a filly like this, she just maybe needed a few races to get acclimated to everything here in the U.S. She'd been racing in Maidan. This is a a filly though who has really nice sort of U.S. American breeding and has taken very well to the racing here. Her Kentucky Oaks race honestly wasn't that bad. After a really slow start, she did make up some ground. She split the field, and she was only behind some nice horses, and she's shown improvement since. I think she can sit a nice trip. So, yeah, I'm going to try to get – we're both getting a little creative with, like, eight to one-ish shots. Maybe we try to get a little too cute, but I think – I think she had a long campaign, and I think Mm -hmm. at a certain point, you know, these – these fillies do sometimes take a step backwards take nothing away from this filly. She's phenomenal. But I think after a long campaign, the second half of the year, they do get a little vulnerable. And if you're just playing off of like speed figures and whatever your ratings that you look for sheet numbers, time form us buyers, she does not tower over the others just based off of the, the speed fig. So normally when there's a short price favorite, they kind of have that, Major speed figure advantage too She's not all that much faster And because of her running style Sometimes she gets left with a little bit much to do When she's a little behind some others That can get the jump on her And the two horses that you and I are pointing out Both feel like they'll be horses that'll be getting the jump on her So yeah, The the cotillion Excellent, excellent feel lined up For these three year old fillies They'll be running for a million bucks That's what happens when you put a million bucks on the line They all show up and that's what happens in the Pennsylvania Derby, also, you have Zandin, your bluegrass winner. You have Skippy Longstocking, who recently won the West Virginia Derby, was third in the Belmont. You have Cyberknife, who was your Haskell winner, runner-up in the Travers. You have We the People, who won the Peter Pan. He was only 4-1 to one in the Belmont. Tawny Port has gotten very sharp in the second half of this year. He won the Ohio Derby. Taiba was the Santa Anita Derby winner. He was only 5-1 to one in the Kentucky Derby. White Barrio won the Florida Derby. Another fantastic group for the Pennsylvania Derby here. They did a great job at Parks getting the best horses to show up. They sure did, and this is going to be a really memorable race, I, I think. This is a quality group. I'm curious. Um, I'm a little curious how the pace shakes out, but for me, this race is all about Zandon. I have kind of thought he was one of the better horses in this crop, though Epicenter at this point has put a little bit of daylight between them. Um, but Zandon, I think, is going to have a phenomenal... Um, he's going to be a big player as he gets a little bit older. Should be able to save ground. No Epicenter to deal with. I was all over him last time out, and he ran his career-best race, and you know what we found out? That Epicenter is just a little bit better than him. Right now, yeah, at this point, yeah. and when you've lost three times to that same horse, he doesn't have to deal with him today. He'll be making the third start of his form cycle. He'll save all the ground in pick fours, pick fives. He's definitely on all my tickets. He's a major player. I'm going to give Tawny Port probably a little bit of a look. I'll probably slightly put him on top. He was kind of down inside in tight quarters. He wasn't too far behind Zandon in the gym dandy. Just missed second that day. They've given him a little bit of time between and kind of pointed to this race. Um, so I'll, I think he's a major player in here. I'll definitely be giving a, be giving him a look. But Zandon was was my second selection, so I'm glad you uh, you mentioned him. But Taiba, 
He's the horse to beat. He comes off of that runner-up effort. Him and Cyberknife, they were one-two in the Haskell. They were right next to each other. Taiba's got a little more time off as Cyberknife went over to the Travers. So, um, those two have just been really talented three-year-olds. And hats off to Cyberknife and Brad Cox for hey, they've been in all the big races as of late. They go Haskell, Travers, and then right here to the PA Derby. I'll take a horse like Cyberknife every day of the week. These are the kind of horses that you can really enjoy following as well. And that's one thing about, you know, Gunrunners and Stallion is he's making these horses that are so much like him. For me, Taiba, I have not known what to do with him. Me neither. You know, he starts this, this, this year. Um, I don't know what to do with him now. I'm just going to kind of pass on that. Especially at a shortish price. Like, I yeah, I just, a, a few of these other uh, are more appealing. Just one more point on Cyberknife, too. Like, since the Derby, his three races, completely different running styles in all three of those races, and he's run bang-up races in all of them. He was just sitting off in the Matt win, just behind the leader, and then in the Haskell, he's much more coming from behind towards the back of the pack, and then in the Travers, he has the inside draw, so they get aggressive with him, and he always shows up, he fires, and he's just improved in each of those. It's tough to be hard on him, you know? I feel like he's the one they'll, like, the measuring stick for this race. Yeah, I think so. I think so as well. And I think I think he's just getting a little bit better and a little bit more professional as he matures too. Jess, so you and I are talking on Thursday. You said you will be heading out on Friday over to Parks, and uh, you'll be taking in the Saturday, the uh, the Saturday card. Tell us where we can follow you on social media because you do such a great job, always posting selections, the little uh, tidbits that you got from folks uh, out at the track, little videos here and there. You do a really good job of. Uh, getting a look at the horses in in the flesh and seeing if you want to upgrade them based on their looks or maybe downgrade them based on their looks. Where do we get the uh, the info to follow you? You can get all of that and a bunch of annoying pictures of my horse eating pop tarts at JM Pocket. And it's great; it always makes me smile. And uh, it's so much fun getting the chance to catch up with you and talk. Always appreciate your time. I know you're very very busy. Anything else you want to mention or plug before we let you get out of here? You know, it's uh, these are good weeks to think about after thoroughbred aftercare. I also work for the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. So if you have a good score, think of the horses when they're done racing and maybe give a donation to your favorite aftercare organization. Oh, cool. I, that is a good reminder for me. Uh, the One of the places I do work with in a month, um, we are going to do a marathon for charity. We're going to do a 24-hour live stream with a lot of our crew. So we're doing a bunch of different charities and I was definitely going to contact you because we're going to bring on someone from each of them to have a little interview to raise some awareness. And then we're going to do what we do best. We're going to talk sports for 24 hours. We're going to talk, it's going to be right before Breeders Cup. So we'll have Breeders Cup to talk about. And what's cool is the, the time that we're planning will be right before the World Series when there's college football, pro football, NBA basketball just started. College basketball will have just started. Hockey will have started, and we'll be a week away from the Breeders' Cup. So we'll have all this sports to talk about, and we're going to uh, raise a bunch of money for charity too. So thank you for reminding me. I'll make sure to bring you on. You can help uh, help us, you know, raise more awareness from them, and then we'll get a bunch of people to uh, to send some money and some donations over there for that. I love it. That sounds great. I'm running a real marathon in a couple of weeks, and then I'll do this marathon. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Jess, thank you so much. And uh, it's always great to catch up with you. Safe travels over there. And you have a fantastic weekend. And uh, go give Chris a hard time. Thanks, Gino. I'll talk to you soon. That's Jessica Paquette. Make sure to give her a follow. And uh, she will be out there this weekend over at Parks for the Pennsylvania Derby, helping out with Chris Griffin. The, uh, the Sam Houston crew, they've made their way out to Parks for the PA Derby. Folks, don't go anywhere. Still a lot more to discuss on this episode.
Big Saturday at Parks. Thanks so much to Jessica and to Chris for helping us out. We move to Louisiana Downs for the final Saturday of the meet. Hope everyone's had a successful meet so far. Let's finish up on a strong note. Eight races on Saturday. There's going to be additional races on Tuesday. So I will have another show that comes out to preview closing day for Louisiana. So keep an eye out for that one. Let's talk Saturday, September the 24th, race number one. I'm looking at the six Chief Weave uh, with the five Valerie Louise and then the three Warzong. I just couldn't get all that creative in here. Chief Weave just feels like the horse to beat. The fives at the career low level has some early speed. Six, five, three. Race number two. Five furlongs on the turf course. I'm looking to the outside at the number seven, Angel of Verdum. There's only one race in her career where she's been shorter than seven and a half. That was in her debut. Her last start, she hopped at the start. She was last. She was 10 off. Normally, she shows a little more pressing, kind of stalking speed. I think she'll be in a good spot here turning back. The five scampering. Gracie is a major player in here. The six, Harriet's Dream, should be close up. Seven, five, six. Race number three, the two, Red Sun, tried better, broke out, got bumped, and got pushed inside hard, broke inward. It was a bad start from the rail, facing tougher last time out. Now he draws the rail again, but it's a softer spot, and at least he's dealt with it before. The three, Competitive Slew, adds the blinks. The five, Mo Kings, his dam was a 10-time winner, and Foster has won with three first-timers at the meet. We'll go... 2-3-1. In the fourth race, I like the one tin can man who was inside in the second flight. He was actually sitting second, but he got stuck behind horses. He had to back up two lengths. He was up close, just behind the leaders, nowhere to go. Backed up a second time, and that was his first start since January of 2021. Then last time out, he hooked a sloppy racetrack. He is a player in here, the one Tin Can Man. I'll use along with the six, Prince Perfecta. That's the horse to beat. The five, Classics Omega. Had a slow start, was last, and then made a big wide move. We use one, six, five in exotics. We move to race number five. The six horse. A little interesting to me. My Heavy Son. Second start off the bench. He can pass horses here. The one, Rodessa Flash. If she were, If he were drawn to the outside, I would have put him on top. He seems like he's been a little better on the turf, but he's just a more talented horse now than before, so I have no concerns about the dirt for him. The 7, Sunset War, won the debut and has a big chance right back. The 4, Just Plain Mad, looks like the speed in here. Race number 6, we'll use the 4, 7, and 9 in exotics. I like the 4, any other questions who should be forwardly placed and might be able to steal this race on the front end. If Maybe a, a stretch out sprinter like the five goes, then I think the four could be sitting right behind. The seven do drop kid first off the claim for Joe Foster. Very good turf form. The nine judgmental gets back to the green where he fits very well. And I will use four, seven, and nine in exotics here. Race number seven is the fall roll tide for Alabama bred three year olds. The five is going to be very tough. Fired up Tiger. 0 for 8 with 5 seconds, but he is the ho- she is the horse to beat, and there's no other speed in here. She's the one to catch. The 3, Bobby Jr., kind of a wild card, changing barns and moving in now with Alabama breads. The 1A, Kelly's the boss, is a 3-time winner. So this is a, a tough race for me because it's just chalky. But the 8th race, I sort of thought the opposite. 
The four, Noka Oi has a big shot Comes out of a live race and had a trouble trip The seven, one for Vivi is a player The eight, and I clued That's my top tier, four, seven, five I'll go a little deeper in other tickets If you want to throw in the nine, obviously two The twelve is a player in here Okuda, the eleven, Rooster Run And the eight, Veterans Holiday All could win this race Really tough one to close things out Four, seven, five as the top tier 9, 12, 11, 8 if you want to go deeper Or you're looking for some horses to use underneath That is Saturday At Louisiana Downs Let's move on over Start talking some Sunday Sunday, September the 25th Kicks off with a 5 furlong turf sprint The 5 Crazy Ridge Has some turf races Which are good They're competitive, they're against better I'm using him on top The 1A Curious, uh, excuse me, the one fire in the storm has that good turf form, and the three hard candy, probably the one they'll all have to beat in there. So I'll go five, one, three in race number one to kick off the Sunday card. We move to the second. The one confess should be sending hard from the inside. I think they'll be able to get the lead in there, stretching back out. The four deal me in, bud, is the, the horse to beat. They'll come closing The two country cut If you wanted to go a little deeper Or use another in some under exotics One, four, two Race number three 12,500 non-winners of three claimers on the turf Going a mile I like the two runaway Henny The three always in Vegas is a total wild card Because she has some pretty good turf form To call back upon Thought the seven was also one worth using in here The seven cc's cowgirl this is an extremely challenging race You can make a case for the 4, 5, and 6 in here The 8 would not be a shock But I'm going to use 2, 3, and 7 In most exotics in the 3rd Race number 4 The 1 La Femme Jolie fits But I just don't like the rail draw for her So I'll use her underneath The 5 Fort, Poik, Poik, uh, Fort Pike Should be set for his absolute best Her best 3rd start off the long layoff she showed more speed that day, it was improved The 6 horse right next door Encore Encore Was a nice winner in the slop The 7 loyal to the chief Fits in here The 1 La Femme Jolie 5, 6, 7, 1 in the 4th Race number 5 The 6cc Harbor Has some grass races against a lot better So she can run a better race Against this reduced group The 3 Swizzle City also has faced really tough company The one Galilea's promise is quick And gets the inside draw 6-3-1 and one in the 5th At Louisiana on Sunday Let's move to race number 6 We'll put the 3 Melody Rose on top Because this race looks like it has a lot of speed on paper I think we can see 4 or 5 of these All push the pace And it should set up nicely for Melody Rose The 2 Carson's Princess Has speed but can sit a little bit the 7 Reclusive was a nice winner on September the 5th I'll use 3, 7, and 2 in exotics To close things out in race number 7 seven and a half furlongs on the turf The 3 I'd Be Rich looks like the one to catch She's taken over Very interesting Had a kind of wide-ish trip on the turf And it's a better-than-looked last effort And the 2 Derotante Tries the grass for the first time Drops in class We use 6, 2, and 3 in all exotics in race number 7 At Louisiana Downs So we're finished up with the racing For this weekend We'll have more Monday, Tuesday racing coming for you On a podcast that comes out On Monday 
Before we head on over and talk wrestling with Chad Cooper, we have to first talk about Cindy Carava, full-service realtor Cindy Carava, one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. She can help you with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you to vendors if you need help with home improvement, like gardeners, landscapers, painters, all sorts of folks that she's worked with and has experience working with. If you need help with a home loan, she'll connect you with the right type of lenders who will help expedite that process and get you all set up for a loan. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A dot com. That's the website. CindyCarava.com. Give her a, a look there. All the listings that she has. There are also reviews about her on Yelp and Zillow. If you want to find out more, one of the kindest and most genuine people you'll ever meet, Cindy Carava. It's time to talk some wrestling with Chad Cooper this week in wrestling. We talk about SmackDown, Raw, NXT, AEW, TV show recaps, all the major news and storylines every single week right here with Chad Cooper. Oh, also a couple football plays too. Chad's been really seeing the ball well. It's time to talk wrestling with Cooper Loop. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. No, it's that time of the week again. It's time to talk about everything going on in the world of wrestling. With Chad Cooper this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper and uh, gotta give it up to Chad before we even get into the wrestling. Coop, you're swinging a hot stick when it comes to the uh, football <laughs> plays right now. Dishing out some nice college football plays to start the year. We'll get to those always at the very end, uh, but had to give you some props on that early on, my friend. And uh, fun week in the week of uh, wrestling all over. We'll start with WWE on the SmackDown side. Kind of out of nowhere, we get this announcement on Friday that Logan Paul is going to be facing Roman Reigns for the WWE Championship, for the Undisputed Championship. This is going to happen in the Saudi Arabia show coming up. Wasn't expecting this. (laughs) Overall, like what were some of your first thoughts and what do you think about this now that we've had? You know, so this was on Friday. Then on Saturday, they had like a press conference because there were some big fights in town in Vegas. So they did a really smart job of kind of uh, accosting some of the media that was already going to be in town, and they could, you know, make a little, uh, they could get a little uh, buzz off of it. And they have announced that this is going to be the main event now. Roman cut a great promo, by the way. It's kind of it, it's kind of weird seeing, uh, you know, legit media mm-hmm. uh, other than just like. You know the the fellow dirt sheets and bloggers out there, but legit media, ESPN, you know, top rank boxing was there um, to see some of those guys in this uh, press conference. And Roma cut a great promo. Uh, it's it's. I mean, I can't lie. It, it definitely out of nowhere. Uh, usually these Saudi Saudi type shows, the crown jewel shows, you expect the unexpected. Uh, didn't expect this at all. Um, you know, you and I. Both talked about it last last week. We talked. We've been talking about it for a while now. Uh, what's next for Roman Reigns? We pegged him that we thought he was dropping the title to Drew McIntyre. Uh, it surely felt like that. That didn't happen. 
Um, so we kind of went down the roster a little bit uh, to see who was next. And, you know, I'll say this. You, you give credit where credit is due. Uh, WWE sure knows how to garner outside attention, whether or not you like the Paul brothers. You know, one of them is, is here coming up in October is going to box uh, my all fi- all-time favorite mixed martial artist, Anderson the Spider Silva, who's been boxing for the last couple of years. Uh, it sure does draw a lot of attention. Um, and, and, you know, if, you, if you're not quite ready, you know, we're in that. We, look, and we talked about it. As I said, we talked about it last week on the show. <clears throat> we went down the roster. Who's, who, who is available now? You just don't want to. Th- throw away a guy and what well, I mean that's the key too away. right because right, right now it, it, they're H- in a weird time zone right now heading up to survivor series because the, the march right now is to get you ready for the royal rumble right mm-hmm. yep and so, you have a new man a new guy in triple h so he's like reshaping a lot of these characters you know they're getting they're sort of feeling like there's a reboot for a lot of them you know they're kind of starting over so do you want to throw one of these guys that you maybe haven't really built up the way you want. Do you want to throw him to Roman Reigns and have him lose? Does that do anything for him? Or is, you know, you put someone here like Logan Paul, who I don't think anyone figures he's going to win, but he'll garner a lot of buzz doing so. And, and this is a Saudi show. So this is one of those times where it's not necessarily taking away spots from a whole bunch of other guys on the roster either. I, I really don't mind this at all. Now, you you said, you know, a key thing about being ready. I think physically when the match starts, Logan Paul it will be fine in there. The problem that he has is funny is like talking in wrestling and on the mic and cutting promos is way different than hosting a podcast, you know, and like, <laughs> talking the way that he does. Because when he gets in there and he's cutting promos sometimes, there's just little things like, the tone of his, you know, like his sure. promos. It was kind of like how Ronda is sometimes, you know. Good, good comparison. They're about, just not say in, Ronda. Yeah. They're just not in the WWE world, and so they say these things. They kind of they're expecting there to be a punchline coming up here. They think the fans are gonna pop, and they don't. And it's sort of, it's just a little bit weird when he plays the good guy. Still, to me, it comes off, I don't know, disingenuous or, but he's stirring things up and. I'm intrigued by this. I think he'll go out and give a really good account of himself in the ring, but in the lead up to it, we'll see how they build this thing because he did get cheered over Miz. And that was something that we weren't sure if he he was going to get cheered, but because he was so impressive athletically, he ended up getting cheered. It'll be curious in the, in the time leading up. Does, do they pipe in the baby? You know, do they pipe in the cheers? Do they want him to be a baby face or do they really care? Do they just want, Response does it really matter? Yeah, that, that's a good point. I was going to bring that up. The lead up to this is going to be very, very interesting because he's going to have to be uh, on, on on television leading up. Now, will he predominantly be on SmackDown on, on Friday nights as opposed to Monday nights? Probably so. Leading up to it, when is the exact Crown Jewel date, Gino? It's November the fifth. It looks like okay. Okay, so we're we're a good five five weeks out. Um, the lead up to this is, is going to be interesting. The WWE universe, I don't know if they get behind Logan Paul, probably not. They'll probably cheer on Roman. So 
what I'm interested in is to see the the telling of this story leading up to this regarding Bloodline. Um, will Logan Paul have a match with Solo? Will he? Will Will something be involved with the Usos to get him uh, more babyface pop? I don't know. So I'm curious to see that. Um, wasn't expecting this. I I, I definitely would have would have pegged someone else to be in this spot, but. If you're still looking at Cody Rhodes or maybe a Seth Rollins or, you know, if you still got that hope that The Rock, you know, is going to be at WrestleMania, I'm for not burning a spot uh, for someone over the next four weeks to get over knowing that he's not going to be the next Universal Champion of Roman Reigns, right? So I think at the end of the day, we both can agree that someone was probably not going to beat Roman Reigns for the universal title at uh, Crown Jewel, no. regardless if it was someone else other than Cody um, or, or Logan Paul. So it's very interesting. And hey, look, it, it's something different. He held his own um, in, in the WWE ring. And, and look, I'm the same. I, I, when you first started talking about the promos, Ronda Rousey came to mind. It's just like he has that conversation. You know, his podcaster or his podcaster entertaining. But man, when you're live, pal, and you get on the mic there, uh, you know, in front of 15, 20,000 in house and millions worldwide, um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe he can adjust to that. So the the story leading up to this is going to be very interesting for me to watch. Yeah, it's like, it's like a cadence thing. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Where it's just they don't know when it's the right time to sort of cut. And then stop. This is one thing that's weird. I remember when I was taking uh, some acting classes a few, a few years back. Y- you'll say something, and you know they'll record you, and then you look back after. You're like, I didn't say it like that. You know, you're watching yourself, <laughs> and you're like, what the hell? And the person will tell you, Hey, can you like, don't go up at the end, like da da da. You know, and sometimes you don't realize like your voice raises or it cuts down. It's like these are these little things like inflections that you don't even know you're doing until. You watch it and it just sort of sounds a little strange, but he's he improved. Let, let me ask you this, Gino: If he improves on that, do, do you put more stock into the match, or are you okay? No, with I don't mind it. I mean, I don't mind it at all. It doesn't it doesn't really sure. bother me. I, it actually kind of makes me laugh because he's such <laughs> like he's known as this talker, this podcaster, right? Like, but it is a different thing when you, like you said, you go there, you step in the ring, it's live, and. You're not sitting on your couch, you know, like with the comfortable like like scenario setting setting that you have. It's just a little bit different, and and you I, can mess up too on a podcast and make fun of yourself and joke about it. And it can be off the cuff, sure. You know, TV you can't. So WWE is is you know it, it, not just WWE, but wrestling promos are not easy. It's easier no. said than done. And you're seeing it from a guy who's, as you said, has been a crap talker uh, majority of his life. That's how he's gotten over. So. The lead up, the build to this is going to be something interesting, uh, definitely for sure to, to pay attention to. So Logan opens up SmackDown. He comes out. Bloodline is out there. Uh, Solo is out there. And um, the Sammy stuff is great. Sammy says, you know, <laughs> Sammy just keeps stepping up all the time. You know, I got this. I got this. Oos, you know. and The Oos is fantastic. When he starts saying Oos and when he throws up the one, oh, my gosh. When he's holding the finger up and he's nodding, I just – Sammy gets me every time, man. And we end up having so this is what they'll they'll have to do, and they did last time with Logan. Remember, they would put AJ around him. They'll oh, yeah. send out the baby faces to help him so that way Logan won't get booed. 
so they send, <laughs> they send Ricochet out to help him out here, and um, and then Ricochet has a match against Sammy. And how about this, Coop? This must be four or five in a row now for Ricochet, picking up victories on TV, looking good, being treated just a little bit stronger. This is a big deal for Ricochet because not only is it Ricochet against Sami Zayn, he gets a win, but he gets to come out there and kind of be in the the part of all the bloodline stuff going on, you know? So it's like he gets a little bit of a rub from that, being involved with them. And that leads to Madcap Moss um, coming out with a steel chair. And Madcap will face Solo for the North American Championship later on the show. So, man, I know you and I are big fans of Ricochet, and I'm really pleased with what we've been seeing from him. It feels like there could be a really strong mid-card title run for Ricochet coming up sometime soon, of IC or US or something along those lines, like a good run in the Rumble, you know, to have like start, have Ricochet be number one and go all the way to the final four. And then boom, like that, that tells everybody he's now raised himself a level from where we thought he was the last couple of years. I like where he's headed right now. Being involved in the segments make the importance or make him feel a lot more important as to just being out there. Oh, hey, uh, he's going one-on-one with Sami Zayn tonight. So he's able to build more than just his in-ring stuff. And we we haven't forgotten how good this guy is. Um, It's just everything has felt so different in the WWE uh, since Triple H has taken over. Hey, look, there's there's been several low spots, but for the most part, um, it, it's just been all systems go a breath of fresh air, and I think the even the executives and the and the the big TV contract guys are are happy about this. But Ricochet is just one of those guys that's just been waiting and waiting and waiting to. It's just ready ready to to steam to blow up and. I could see him being involved in a Survivor Series match uh, with all Absolutely. this um, and, and then making a run at the Rumble. Oh, yeah, there's big things ahead of him for the next several months. That's for sure. We got a carrying cross with Scarlett said last week for the chosen one. McIntyre was executed by the people's executioner. Um, nothing much here, just you know, setting up carrying and drew. So that's the the new direction that these two are going. And that's a good start. I mean, it's a good for a good feud to keep Drew a little relevant, and it's a good start for Kerry and Cross. Like you put him in a big, you know, he's he's debuted and he's been like adjacent to the main event right away with Roman and with Drew. Yeah, and, and you know, just you know, gall, you know, he gallivanting out there in a different, you know, gimmick every week uh, to seemingly like it was a bearing rib for him. It's just again, the the, the storytelling has been better. Um, you know, we remember how, how awful, um, it was in his main roster debut. Uh, he wasn't the best NXT champion. He's not the best wrestler, but when you put Scarlett with him side by side and you get him involved in a main eventer like Drew, only good things are going to come out of this. So this, again, uh, I look forward to, to this program and I think the match is going to be pretty hot myself. Okay, this was one of my favorite things of the week. It was the Maximum Male Models. Max <laughs> and Maxine Dupree are out there, and they were getting ready to introduce the uh, Back to School collection with Massey and Mansoir. And 
Max Dupree says, we're in Anaheim. We're only a stone's throw away from L.A. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, he kind of like, he stops for a second. And it looks like, like something's, something's like jumbling up in his brain. It's like he, he just hit a nerve and that he's, he's recalling something. And then Maxine sort of says, no, 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 no. Don't you say that. You know, she, she redirects him. But, it, you know, they, Maxima Male Models ends up coming out and Braun Strowman just crushes them. And uh, then Chad Gable and Otis come out and Strowman just crushes them. Um, Otis does hit a world's strongest slam on Strowman, but that does set up a match for next week, Otis versus Braun. But I will say, Coop, we gonna get LA night, baby? It looks like it. We got to get us, yeah. Come on, yeah. Yeah, they can't be just teasing us with this. And you know, and again, I think you're gonna get a massive pop. I think the longer they kind of tease us with this, I think the better it'll be. And we've been saying this for a while now. How good is Chad freaking Gable in these segments, man? Man, I, he I just he he is must see television. He has done what a lot of superstars aren't able to do. A lot of these, you know, when you're when you're the WWE Tag Team Champions, and then you lose, and then you're putting you're put in this position where you're putting people over. You're sort of that guy. You're not a jobber. You're having meaningful matches, but you're losing a majority of these matches to put people over baby faces because you get a ton of heat. He just keeps getting better and better, man. I, I, I don't know what I, I don't know what the future holds for him as far as storyline goes, what you can do, you know, with him. But he's must see TV. He's on the mic, uh, the matches. I, I mean, he's just gold wherever whatever he does, man. You're you're right. He's created this little like niche for himself. Where he's able to be on TV every week He's kind of doing like a Sammy thing You know, on the other side Where they're these guys that They don't have to wrestle all the time But they're awesome when they do wrestle And it's funny because both of those guys You know, years ago When you saw them coming up You would have immediately just been like Oh, Gable is going to be a great baby face Ch- uh, Sammy is like Sammy came in as El Generico on the indies And he was one of the greatest baby faces Like of the indie scene at the time And now they're just fantastic heels Too which is It just shows you how talented they are They can do whatever you give them And they'll do it really well Shout out to Gable uh, doing a great job here We then got uh, Oh so throughout the week now They're uh, Giving Bailey some wins now Because they're setting Bailey up For Bianca Belair now, overall, I think that the they've done a pretty good job with damage control. Bailey actually ends up getting a win here against Raquel Rodriguez after some shenanigans and distractions and help from EO and Dakota. And we actually did find out that uh, Aaliyah is injured now, so she's going to be out for a little while. There's, I don't dislike any of it. I feel like Bailey's still, maybe she's not. 100% connecting with some of her promos and stuff They're a little too silly Sometimes, like some of the times I'm fine with it I want a little more from her there But overall they've made The damage control a really big part Of all of the programming Since they've come on uh, Since they well, SummerSlam So I like the fact that they've told us these, these are important Girls, they're a big part of the show We see them on Raw, we see them on SmackDown 
We know they're the NXT Women's Tag Team Champs now. And Bailey, after Monday night when she beats Alexa in a pretty long match, they gave those two about 15, 20 minutes in the main event. And the match was solid. She's going to be facing Bianca at Extreme Rules. Uh, you know, she. you're right. She's been hit or miss with some of these promos. I, some of the go- kind of goofy laughing that she does um, has, has been a miss. I know, you know, a couple of WrestleManias ago, she popped up and did some segments and was a home run. Um, I, I, I really like the match uh, with her and Alexa. <clears throat> but I, I don't get the vibe that she is going to go over on... Uh, Bianca Belair. I don't think uh, so either. I I, I could have swore that I, I thought that for sure that Bianca, yeah, you know, Bianca is going to be the next champion, or excuse me, uh, Bailey's going to be the next champion. But something's kind of been amiss. This I, I again, I like the fact that Damage Control is taking over a lot of the show shows. They're doing beatdowns. We have new champions now, which that's probably you know, Felia's you know if. if if that's a shoot, then that's probably why they dropped the titles. But um, I, I don't know. And I really, really like Bailey. I, Me too. I just something here with the laughing stuff. It, it's kind it's of a not, I don't hate it. It just feels it's like it's a little off. You know, there's just something that's not right. 100% connecting. It was kind of kind of reminds me a little bit of like before Rollins found his footing with the, oh, the yeah, yeah. you know, the, the laughing jokery gimmick he, he's doing now. Like now it's. It's good. He kind of laughs. The people are into it, and he find it. You know, he wears the the drip suits and everything. But at the beginning, it was kind of like he's kind of laughing, and it was a little annoying. I think she's just got to find the the right voice um, since coming back. But she picks up the win. The match then, will be a hell of a match, though. Oh, right? the match will be great. And the yeah. the women, you know, Dakota and Io, I'm sure will try to get involved, and maybe we have Oscar and and maybe that's what ends up happening eventually. Is like either Oscar or Alexa. Sort of just says screw it and turns doesn't doesn't have to go. They're putting that control. out. They're teasing us with that too, right? right. Oscar yeah. cut this little Twitter social media promo with her and the doll, you know. Um, and well, and with possibly the white rabbit stuff. Yeah, and, and look, that, that, means. That, that that's got to be Bray Wyatt, right? Oh yeah, got to be. It, that's, and if that's the case, maybe we see Alexa go back to to Bray. There's some stuff there, so it, it's very very interesting. And, and look, Bailey's gonna. Put on a hell of a match with Bianca. We're nitpicking this gimmick, um, but again, it, though, know, like it's it's nitpicking. It's a, it's a little it's weird only because it, we know how good Becky uh, Bailey is. It's just a little like I'm not exactly sure what they're going for. And we and maybe we hear a little like maybe we start hearing a little bit more from Dakota or EO EO if she wants doesn't want to cut promos or they don't want her to cut big promos, but she can talk in sound bites and she's got a little bit of a personality too. So. uh these women's matches continue to get built. We found that Liv actually wants an Extreme Rules match with Ronda Rousey at Extreme Rules. So it's going to be Liv-Ronda in an Extreme Rules match. What do we think happens here? Oh, man. I don't know. Poor Liv. I don't know. Um, I, I do like the fact she's on the aggressive now. Um, that shows she's got some fire left in her. You know, we talk about it all the time. Once you win the championship, you know, it's kind of the hardest part. The chase is always fun, you know, uh, getting behind an underdog and then the underdog finally wins. And then what happens next? Um, you know, we keep saying, you know, this is going to be the, you know, the, the final storyline between Liv and Rhonda. I, I, again, I, I'm 
I would think Ronda goes over. Um, if, he, if, I, if Ronda's not winning, the only thing that makes sense to me here is that Liv asked for an extreme rules match because she is going to turn heel and she's going to have somebody out come out and help her win the match. Someone and, debuts, someone comes up from NXT, someone we find out that is going to be like Liv Morgan's, you know, uh, you know, muscle. If that her, happens, her, yeah, yeah, her, her being the aggressor in this kind of, uh, you know, there's a red flag coming mm-hmm. up. Something's going to happen here. Either Ronda wins the title, or uh, you give, or you know, here's the deal: when you when you get extreme rules and you let weapons and stuff get involved, that's another way that Liv can go over Ronda without burying Ronda. Yeah, you know, you so. Some- I like the aggressive part in her. Me too. I, instead of just sitting back and and looking pretty and oh, I'm the champion. I do like this part uh, in in Liv Morgan. I'm interested because I'm curious now if there's going to be a turn because Ronda's getting some good momentum right now. I don't know if you want Ronda to just like have another cleanish kind of loss, but if you're going to do something where you bring someone else in and then maybe you can have Shayna and Ronda get involved here, I'm at least intrigued with the possibilities. Of where they're going We had a Drew promo response Just telling Karrion Cross That it's going to be 3-2-1 lights out for him And we had the NXT North American Championship Defended on SmackDown <laughs> With Solo Sokoa getting the win Over Madcap Moss there And man, Solo He definitely feels like a star, man This guy is over Yeah, and we this is what you and I wanted We wanted that North American title To be defended on uh, the 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 main roster. Uh, I know. A, I, I read a lot of people weren't happy with this match. They thought it wasn't good. I, I had no problems with it, man. Me neither. I, look, cut the number one. Cut pro wrestling some slack here and there. You know, it, it's just not everything is going to be in tip top shape. It got the job done. It showed you how important he is, and it showed you. And we talked about it last week. This guy can is is a is a future. He can be as big as Roman Reigns. So just just cut some things, some slack here. There was nothing wrong with the match. This is what everyone wanted was for him to be on the main roster and him to defend that title on the main roster. And he does. And it's like, oh, he couldn't. Come on, man. You know, cut these. It, it, I had no problems with this match at all. We then had a number one contenders fatal four-way for the tag team chat titles. The New Day versus Hit Row versus <laughs> Imperium versus the Brawlin' Brutes. And I thought this was a, a really fun match. These all these teams were going at it. Everybody got their their spots, their moments. Top Dalla gets to do that spot where he carries three around the ring, which looks really, really impressive. And we end up having the Brawlin' Brutes get the victory here. So they are your number one contenders for the tag team titles. And we actually saw them. Have a match on Raw on Monday. What do you think about the Brawlin' Brutes with Holland and Butch as your uh, number one contenders for the tag titles? I like it. It's not safe. You know, they could have went back to the New Day. You know, they 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 could have done that. Um, it's just a still, different matchup for the Usos, right? That's it, all. It is. It is, and uh, it, it's hard to keep doing uh, the, the same type match uh, with uh, you know Street Profits. Um, and, and stuff like that. I, you know, they're still calling him Butch, but I did see on Monday or here on Monday night they call, they they're calling him the Bruiser. I and believe. and he's back in his old. He's get back up. in his old. Yeah, he's back in his old. 
his singlet. Pete Dunn gimmick, the hair. Um, they're calling him the Bruiser. So maybe we maybe we get it, maybe we don't. But I do like the fact that the, those guys won. This is going to be something different. And again, it gives you something to look forward to. It's a new challenge uh, for the Usos. Yeah, and I don't know if they would do it, but on a SmackDown or even just like looking at the pay-per-views, the way that they would be set up, I guess there isn't even anything there. But I'd love to see a six-man with Sheamus, you know, and yeah. them against the Usos and Roman. Oh would yeah, be, would be a whole ton of fun. Maybe we don't get Roman. Maybe we get the Usos and Sammy. You know, that's a good point, especially at a house show. You know, because yeah, they're doing or, more and more house shows now. That would be one point. of the SmackDowns. You know, in the weeks before leading up, like a six man, I would maybe be kind of fun. Or, or that's the hell know. of a main event. I, I would, you know, let Sammy take the pin. You know, <laughs> absolutely. Just, you know, that's good. And because Sheamus is good booking. they basically got baby faced after Sheamus's match. One hundred percent. Yeah. Roots have like got a natural babyface turn almost now because so many people were so pleased with what Sheamus did that yeah that might be fun and yeah if you're gonna have a team this is this feels to me kind of like what you're doing with Logan Paul the Brawl and Brutes haven't even been really wrestling matches as a tag team together so you put them together they win a number one contenders match so it wasn't like you just threw them in a match for nothing they actually had to win something along the way and now if they get beat. It's not going to hurt them any. They can have a good match. It may help them. And it's a little bit new. Yeah, I like this. I have no I have no problem with it. And they did a good job on Raw bringing them over and having them pick up a victory over the Street Profits just to make them feel a little bit more important and to make you think eh, maybe there is a chance that they can pick up a win. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think so. I, 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 it's something new, number one, and it gives a legitimate challenge. That's one thing WWE, especially in the past, they've played a lot of things too safe. You know, you could have easily thought that, okay, new day, let's let's put them in. That you know, we can go, you know, we can go back to that. But it's not. It's something new, and you got to give credit for the WWE, Triple H, and those guys for trying things new, especially in the tag team division where you've had, you know. Uh, uh, w- one set of, of champs for a while now, uh, and it's something new, and I think the match will be fantastic, too. I really do. I think it'll be good. We get over to Monday Night Raw. We kick things off with the United States Championship. Seth freaking Rollins and Bobby Lashley, two of the bigger stars on Monday Night Raw right now, both former world champions, and they're going at it for a while. Um, back and forth, a really good match. But then Rollins, there's a ref bump. Ref is down. Rollins hits a low blow, and he looks like he's going to set up for the stomp and win. Bro. (laughs) Here comes Matt Riddle. And uh, Riddle just – this one, I kind of – I hate when music plays and the person in the ring just kind of stupidly looks around and is sort of waiting there. This one actually was pretty well done because Riddle's music hits. He sprints down to the ring, but he doesn't get in. He just waits outside the ropes. So Seth kind of walks over. He's looking at him. And that's when Bobby is able to nail him. And Bobby is able to, you know, put in the hurt lock. So that first he charges for a spear. And then Rollins goes for the pedigree. And they we get a little bit of a back and forth here. Uh, and then when he's looking at Rid, uh, when he's looking at Riddle, spear from Lashley. And he covers. I It was just a, a slightly different distraction that didn't make Seth seem as stupid. That's It, it was like a little small thing that I liked. Are, are, are you digging this uh, 
this riddle Seth Rollins storyline here, you know, because yeah. we were we were pissed off that the match got canceled on the pay per view, right? But they seem like they they had plans to keep this going for a while and probably have it either e- probably ended Extreme Rules like they're going for now, and we're gonna get a fight pit match later oh, yeah. on in the night. Seth That's Rollins comes out um, and interferes in Riddle's match, and they're beating each other up backstage, and they need to be pulled apart and. Seth says, okay, you know what? What what kind of a match? Anything you want, you got it. And Matt Riddle says, fight pit. So we saw this in NXT. We saw they used to do this with um Raw with Shamrock and, and uh, Owen Hart <laughs> and uh um who else? Dan the Beast Severn was in a keep yeah. a few yeah. of them. So we're gonna get a fight pit in a few weeks, extreme rules. It should be fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I, I think if if that match would have went off at the pay-per-view. Uh, probably jump the shark on this on on this storyline. Uh, hey, they're smarter than we are. They got to be uh, at least for for the most part because we were very upset. Why did this match get pulled? Well, now we know why. So, a uh, fight pit match is a lot more important than what we would have saw on the pay per view when the, uh, those two guys would have worked. So, good call here by calling an audible and delaying the storyline. Now they did announce that at Survivor Series. They're making a change. It's going to be war games. We're going to have two war games matches. Coop, we've been calling for this for a while that the the brand versus brand just doesn't work. You can you can have tag matches, elimination matches if you want, that's fine, but have them be involved with the storylines that are going on on TV. Every year when it was Survivor Series time, be like, "Okay, now all the normal storylines are just going to be dropped and we've got this 3 weeks of brand supremacy." Red versus blue, and oh yeah, by the way, everybody just switched brands five weeks ago because of the draft, so we don't even really know who's really on both. This this just feels a lot better, and I trust that they're going to do a much better job with some of these War Games matches. They'll they'll have more fun builds to the Survivor Series matches, and they'll just feel like a bigger deal. That, that's what we wanted with Survivor Series, just a little meaning. You know, we we I remember us talking about, hey, give somebody a team. A chance at you know a number one spot. Um, I mean, heck, I would have you know if you're going to do a draft, the future draft, whoever team win, they get the first number one overall pick. They're they're just it seemed like it was just uh, which was one of the original OG big pay per views for WWE was hasn't been treated like it even even pre COVID it it wasn't treated as one of the big pay per views as it should. And, uh, hey, look, we know how good NXT does these war games. So imagine what some of these main roster guys are going to be doing with a chance to do that. So it's really, really going to be fun. We then got just a promo from uh, Damage Control Bailey with Dakota and EO. Alexa came out and Bianca and Asuka. So we got them challenging and a little bit of a face-off. And they set up the fact that Alexa was going to be facing Bailey in the main event. Uh, later on in the evening Up next it was Some replays of Austin Theory Attacking Johnny Gargano last week And it led to our Austin Theory Versus Kevin Owens Match And I mean KO has been <laughs> doing some really good work here man He has been just doing some fantastic work He has A great match He picks up the win because Johnny helps him uh, Johnny's there and distracts Austin with the money in the bank briefcase late And then after the match Johnny gets in the ring And holds it over and drops it right in his nuts 
Um, <laughs> and they actually did set up a match for next week where I believe we're going to get KO and Johnny Gargano as a tag team against Alpha Academy. Yeah, this was a, a, a fun segment, interesting segment. Um, you know, we, we, we were teased a couple of weeks ago with KO and Sammy. Um, that's probably going to be put on the back burner here. KO is just, I, I mean, if, if you've followed this guy throughout his career, going back to the early, early indie days, and then when he signed with Ring of Honor, Kevin Steen, the guy is just amazing. Uh, he's he's not he's not a prototypical WWE built wrestler with a WWE type gimmick. This guy is just phenomenal at everything he does. Uh, it, fantastic in the ring. His, his promos are even better. Just another home run segment. You know, it just amazes me again. And I, it seems like I, I, I'm a broken record when I say this. It just seems like without that universal title on Monday Night Raw. Um, WWE is, is just these guys and girls have, have stepped up and become important parts of storylines that are not involved with that big title. And I figure sooner or later, we're going to get a match with that briefcase that's involved, whether it's Kevin Owens versus Austin Theory or, or Gargano. Gargano versus Austin Theory. So this is, uh, this is really, really good. And again, you know, there, there's Gable, there's Alpha Academy again. A-plus stuff that they're doing in a big, meaningful match next Monday on Raw. You know, Theory's going to get involved. But it's just, again, hey, Roman Reigns, the Universal title's not involved on Monday night right now, so let's do this, let's do that. They're hitting home runs, man. you got to give credit where credit's due. I've been down on Raw for a long time now, um, and I thought SmackDown was definitely the better of the two flagship shows. Uh, But, man, Raw has just come to play over the last, you know, month or so, And, and again, and it has a lot to do with guys like Kevin Owens, Austin Theory. You know, you may hate the punk, but the dude is getting massive amount of, of great heel heat, man. You, you got to admit that. And with him having the briefcase, this is what you want a heel briefcase holder, money in the briefcase holder to do. Be the weasel, be involved. Hey, I've got the money in the briefcase. You know, the Miz was able to do it so well. And Austin Theory has uh, is definitely stepped into those shoes. This is, this is what you want from one of these nerdy dweebish you know austin theory type uh heels he doesn't hey look this guy doesn't have friends or anything he's just got the briefcase but home run here another home run segment with all the guys involved really like what they're doing with all of them uh george kittle from the 49ers a stud tight end was ringside they showed a showed him and then we got the video package for the roman reigns logan paul setup that we discussed crown jewel november the 5th so they'll okay. continue to build to that Monday Night Raw, it's fight night. <laughs> and uh, they got a little promo for the Brawling Brutes, and then they came out and they won that match against the Street Profits that we talked about a little earlier. The Judgment Day, um, oh, actually, first we get to Rey Mysterio backstage. He said he can't believe what his son has done. But, you know, he says um, everything that he's done in life has been to provide for him and his family, and Matt Riddle is going to help him. In this tag team match, Matt Riddle and Rey Mysterio versus Finn and Damian Priest. So just feel, it just feels better, right? Yeah, they yeah. They, they feel like big stars. They um, do. And this heat with the Dominic got. Oh my gosh! When they came out, the crowd would not let Dominic talk. This was like Roman Reigns heat a few years ago when they were just booing this guy, just drowning him, and they were 
Rhea and and the Judgment Day were laughing. They they got they loved how much heat they were getting. Like it made them it made them pop. And Rhea even had to say. Say it a little louder for them in the back, Dominic. <laughs> she had to tell him to speak up because he couldn't. He was just getting drowned out every time he tried to speak, and he was smirking. And the great part about this is Dominic doesn't have to say much at all. No. You know, he can go out there and just get his ass booed all the time. And if they're getting heat like this, that's incredible. And now all of a sudden, Finn Balor just feels like a bigger deal. And, you know, Damian Priest feels like a bigger deal. And Rhea's the poppy and the mommy. She's the mommy and the poppy. <laughs> and uh, I got to say, in just a month, I com- I feel 100% different than I felt about Finn. And these guys were having matches on main event, Finn and Priest. They weren't even on when, – when Rhea was hurt, remember, for a little while she got hurt. And they had zero direction. And now Edge came back. They were able to get in a feud with him and Rhea's back. And they bring Dominic in. This feels like – it's a big deal, and I think they've done a really good job with this. They waited for the right time with the Dominic turn. We were calling for it for a while, but if he had turned by himself, he they may have had one match, and then he's done. Yeah. Because where else would he have gone? Now at least he has he has somewhere to go. I, they, I feel like they've done really well with this, Coop. Yeah, and I think he needed somebody to, to, to guide him. Absolutely. You and I were calling for it, and I think everyone else was. And I think you and I both can agree that it would have not near been near as hot and as it is now. And Rhea just being that ultimate tease of telling Ray, you know, and just kind of dominating Dominic, so to speak, and just telling him what to just total control over it. It just it seems right. It's hot. And who would have thought Dominic? Mysterio would be one of the top hills on Monday Night Raw. You just you could have not have given me enough money to even say it. And uh, here we are, um, just a massive, massive, a massive, uh, you know, crowd crapped on him, which was great. And you mentioned that Rhea, you know, had to tell him to say it again, which is even better because he had to say it twice. And he's kind of seems like he's kind of like. You know, he's in the back and he's being controlled, you know, whatever it is. It's really, really good. They All of them's done a really good job in it. So the match is awesome. You know, they're having a really good back and forth. And here comes Seth Rollins. He runs down and he attacks Riddle. And then Riddle grab, uh, Rollins grabs a steel chair. Ray gets involved and chases him away a little bit. And then there's this moment where Dominic is on his, he's kneeling down. And he's, he's asking his dad to hit him in the head with a chair. This was like what Bray Wyatt did to John Cena, you know. Like he did. I remember this spot where he's like, "Come on, hit me!" And oh, yeah. and Ray, of course, wouldn't hit his son with the chair. And and Dominic <laughs> kind of laughs and smiles. And Finn Balor ends up picking up the coup de gras for the win. So again, they're stacking wins too. Finn Balor winning all these matches on Monday Night Raw. Then afterwards, we uh, we got the setup for the Seth Rollins Riddle match. And we did get one more little backstage segment with the Judgment Day is they were getting ready to go party. But Dominic says, uh, hey, guys, I got to go check on my dad and see how he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> and then they all started laughing. <laughs> and Dominic says, I have a new mommy now. <laughs> it makes me laugh so much when they. It's so good. Because this was one of those things that we would we were talking about it. We would catch on online. You know, Rhea would tweet something funny. All these people would respond 
there's been this thing going for a while with Rhea and the way she dresses and the all black stuff that she gets a kick out of how people respond to it. And and then with her and Dominic, there was this this natural where she started saying, Oh yeah, I'm his pop I'm his poppy. And it just caught and it and they've run with it. And it's it's really funny. It's just a little different. And shout out to them. They've made Judgment Day look good. Now Again, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to think about this Dexter Loomis Miz stuff because, like, Loomis is a baby face. He's sneaking into this guy's house where his kids are. He's he's you know kidnapping him. He's <laughs> committing crimes, and while Miz is in the ring with Miz TV, he's talking, and Champa's in there with him, and you just see from under the ring Loomis starting to cut his way in to the <laughs> ring. <laughs> And I gotta say, man, that look that he does is so amazing. That Loomis look, like he just that straight face look where he doesn't break, he doesn't have to say anything. Like he has some real talent and some real acting chops here. It's just a funny spot to put him in, like as a baby face. I'm, I don't, I, I don't know what the blow off here is going to be. You know. Well, Let's cheer on kidnapping charges. <laughs> I know. It's just, but it's funny. It's comical. And every time this dude pops up with his, you know, with the straight face like that, I'm laughing. And and I always think it's funny when, you know, they come up from the ring, like under the ring is hell. You know, where oh, yeah. Came from. yeah. He's yeah, taking back down to hell. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so Miz and Chompa are like fighting him off. From uh, from underneath and um, it it makes me pop. I'm just sort of like I don't really know exactly where they're going with it, but yeah, I, I have no idea. I don't know what the end, the payoff is here. I have no clue. Maybe he becomes a a, a babysitter. I don't know and misses right? kids. You know, like I don't know what's going. I have no idea how this ends. None, none. But it, it's 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 funny. It is. It is. It's creepy funny. So. They set up for next week, KO and Gargano versus Alpha Academy, Matt Riddle versus Damian Priest. And backstage, as the Judgment Day are about to walk out, Finn Balor sees AJ Styles. I love this. It was just a little like, hey, where's AJ been? What's been going on? Boom. It's This is all wrestling needs to do is one little quick line to say, where have you been? What's been happening? What's going on? And then boom, now we know. That's all. We don't have, we're not asking the question anymore. Finn and AJ talk and AJ asks, you know, why he joined the judgment day. And they said, Hey, look, we're buddies. I didn't do anything to you. And Balor kind of gives him a hug and says, Hey, you want to come with us? It still stands. So what do you, we're getting, what do you think there? Do you think you think the payoff would be good for AJ and give them a veteran type leader? You know, wasn't he a part of what was the, uh, Bullet Club. They to, both they were both the Bullet Clubs. Okay, we, let's go back even before that. Let's go back. Not that Balor was, but wasn't AJ a member of uh, Ace? Ace was it Aces Ace? and Aces and Eights. Aces and Eights and Impact. In TNA. In TNA. Was, I didn't mind that gimmick. I gotta say, I, I loved didn't, it for the I, longest until it turned into like the very end of NWO, where everyone on the roster was was, <laughs> was a part Garrett of it. Bischoff in there at one yeah, point. Debo Brown. <laughs> It's At like, the beginning, though, when it was uh, when it was just bully, right? Like bully was the guy that was, sort of 
yeah that, that made the big turn and um yeah and, I, and then fun. aj with that was kind of their hulk hogan slash nwo i would i wouldn't mind aj it would give him something new you know i like him as a heel that's a veteran they probably need uh, not that you know not that Finn isn't good enough to lead it, but I, you know, I could see them having three dudes. Do you and, think this grouping with one or two more pieces is where they may have the the war games match? Absolutely. That's why that's why I think AJ going to them would be uh um w- would be a huge payoff. I, I I like look, AJ has nothing right now. He hasn't had anything meaningful. Seriously, since he lost the tag team titles with Omos, right? Can we, can we see a, something like AJ with Finn, Priest, and Dominic? So that would be the Judgment Day, and then maybe even like a Rollins. You know, not joining them, but like if they needed an, a big, I could see something like that. And then you have, you know, Riddle with Mysterio with Edge. And you know, yeah, you get one or two more of the baby faces over on that side. I could see something like that for the War Games match. Oh yeah, and I would like that. Me I would too. definitely like that. This, this, I don't think this is a one-off here where they just say, "Oh, hey, there's AJ. There's something here." No, Either AJ leads a team, or AJ's with them, and I'd like to see AJ with them. And we uh, then finished up with the main event: Alexa versus Bailey, and Alexa. Gets pinned by Bailey. Bailey hits the rose plant for the win, and uh, damage control stands strong. So solid episode of Monday Night Raw. They actually did a really good um, demo rating, even with two Monday Night Football games and like the bats. There's a lot of stuff on Monday right now. Oh, yeah, like Monday is. is a loaded night of TV. So they held up pretty well, uh, even despite of all that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And, and look, that's something to. Uh... They knew that was coming, and, you know, that fires you up. You don't want to cower down. Now, look, these these guys are and girls. Th- this was what really makes wrestling interesting. If you think that WWE, Triple H is just going to bow down to NFL and Bachelorette-type shows, no, they're, they're going to up the ante here, and, and it's paying off. Man, I, I t- like I said, I was down on Raw for a long time. They had some decent segments, but from start to finish, I, I, I just couldn't get there. Uh, it start bad, it would end bad, but now, oh shoot, man, all systems to go. It's a good show to watch. NXT 2.0, not is it 2.0 anymore? I guess, I guess it is. It's you know, I, I, the logo is back, but you know, like I said last week, these shows are taped for the next couple of weeks. I don't know why, but um, probably when we get back to live, you'll see some more changes. But I thought it was a very interesting show. It was, I like the way they opened it up with. Carmelo Hayes talking with Shawn Michaels and Shawn Michaels gets everybody um, informed that last week Solo was not even supposed to be able to wrestle for the North American title. So that result cannot stand. I liked how Solo had to hand over the belt and Shawn said, I know I've had to do it before. It's not easy. It is like a little thing like, oh, yeah, we've seen Shawn Michaels have to hand over a belt before. So it just little small things that. They're starting to do and pay a little more attention to that makes it makes everything better. And they set up there will be a ladder match, a five man ladder match for the vacant North American title at Halloween Havoc. So over the next month, they're going to have qualifying matches to get set up for this. And aren't these qualifying matches so good? 
Oh. Remember when we had the old King of the Ring? I love it. They should do it for every for Money in the Bank. They should do it for Rumble, for all these, the things. So good. I, instead of a team of three versus a team of three, and the winning team gets three spots. I just think these matches are so good. It was a payoff on Tuesday night. They, they just they mean more. That matches are better when you have something hanging over their head, man. And they did say that because he's the former champion, that he automatically gets into the the match. So he will be in the five-man match, Carmelo Hayes. So Carmelo's the first spot in the five-way ladder match. Next up, we have part two uh, of the best of three series, Axiom versus Nathan Frazier. Axiom got the win in the first match. So as we'd imagine, Nathan Frazier picks up the victory here. And these two guys are a blast. Like this just reminds you of like a, WCW cruiserweight match that you would see where they're yes. flying all over the Good place. Ball. Good you know, ball. And it's not a whole lot about story. It's just these two guys getting in the ring and just going at it. Really good call there, man. I, I couldn't set it better. I, I remember the old WCW cruiserweight. Uh, st- yeah, Hoovy, Hooventu Guerrero. Uh, oh, yeah. Versus Billy uh, Kidman. Billy Kidman, man, you just had some really good talent there and really good cruiserweight. You had a good cruiserweight championship belt. Um, that's a good call, man. That did remind me of that. It's a good call. Then uh, we got a promo from Alba Fire. She talks about how she's going after Mandy Rose and she's going to burn Rose's empire to the ground. Just a little basic promo for her. So it looks like that'll be the next challenger. And uh, that led to. Toxic attraction in the toxic lounge Where Gigi and JC were getting set up For their match against Ivy Nile and Tatum Paxley So they end up getting the Victory in this one And Mandy actually talks about how she's got A match against Fallon Henley next Week so she's going to be Facing Fallon Henley Henley as sort of A setup for her match against Alba Fire Probably get that Alba Fire match at Halloween Havoc because they could probably I think they could do some Fun stuff with her on Halloween Right, yeah. oh yeah, the, the fire yeah. gimmick, and if they're gonna do the Halloween hammock thing, I always loved of the of all the WCW pay per views. That was <laughs> my favorite because I knew you just, were gonna say that. It, it's so easy with they they'd have the big gargoyle like hanging out there, and it's yeah. just an, it's an easy themed pay per view to have where you don't Sting even need was to always have, on the poster. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, Sting was always be on there, always and, on the Halloween hammock poster, man. And they've done a pretty good job. Carrying Halloween Havoc over into NXT um, So yep, Toxic Attraction They still sort of felt like Them needing a win here Because they've been The the tag Toxic Attraction Has been floundering a little bit So JC and Gigi pick up the victory here And um, Kind of curious, you wonder you know, How long or what the plans are For them in this division it, it does feel like they've been around towards the top Now for a while with Mandy And with, with JC and Gigi And you know, wondering if maybe they have a little time left before they decide to move them up. Help me out here. Has Mandy Rose broken the streak of longest NXT Women's Championship yet? I think she just broke it now. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I, I figured that's what they were waiting for. Um, she's a good champion. I hate, I, you know, look, and we, we've, we've talked about Mandy coming over to NXT, man. It, this was a career saver for her. You got to remember the, the Vince McMahon times where things were tough on that main roster. And she came to NXT and reinvented herself and, you know, as the blonde and we thought, okay, this is weird. She's kind of walking around with a clipboard. Then all of a sudden, you know, 
she's got dark hair and it's a different Mandy Rose and she's just been a superstar on Tuesday nights, man. Um, as far as you know, GG and JC, yeah, they've been on main, you know, they've been on what SmackDown a couple of times now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know what's left here for, for even this group. I don't want Mandy going up and getting lost, but now that triple H is in the fold and Shawn Michaels, I don't think she was, but man, you know, sometimes things fit so well. I know you want to go on that main roster. You know, it's more traveling. It's probably more money. Man, she's a good fit on Tuesday nights. And right now it's weird because two months ago, it felt like there were, I don't know, four or five women that you could have put the belt on. Right now, it doesn't feel like any of these women in NXT are ready to take it from me. Oh, no. And that is the thing. This, this, that's a that's a good question you bring because up. two months ago, right? We were like, okay, it could be Nikita right now. It could be Cora. Maybe it's Roxanne. Any of them felt like they could have the they could win the belt. And then uh, Zoe came out, and and she felt like, oh, you know what? They kind of came out of nowhere with her. They, they might want Zoe to win. And now doesn't feel like any of them are in a place where they're going to take the title for Mandy. I don't think it's going to be Alba. So I am curious. Man, I'd like to see Nikita get another push, man. Me too. I, I don't I just, know if she's hurt or what's been going on recently. Match, and a lot of times, you know this because you've been around wrestling for a long time. A lot of times they hide injuries in tag matches. Because mm-hmm. they don't have to do as much. Because she wasn't on the show, match. right? No, no, she wasn't. She was in a we tag. We saw her last week, I think, in that tag with with, uh, with Zoe. Yeah. Maybe so be battling injuries here. We then had the schism walkout. Huh. <laughs> Joe Gacy, Fowler, and Jagger Reed, and they just talked about Grimes and how uh, anyone that refuses to listen, the wrath will be imminent. So they have a tag match versus Malik Blade and Endris Anofe, and the Dyad pick up the win there after Gacy's all creepy smiling like always, and uh, we get some big hugs from them to end the segment. And then later in the night, Cameron Grimes cut a little promo on uh, on Gacy, so I don't. I mean, I don't know. The, I was I was interested with the Grimes and Gacy weird tag team thing. That's what right. Just, that match. That match. I was kind of. I thought was kind of fun. I just. I really get turned off by a lot of the stuff that Gacy's involved with. Well, just just look at what's going on on NXT. Where would you rank this storyline on the men's side towards the bottom? Correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's some walkie, there's some walkie storylines going on that we we'll get to another one in just a second with some <laughs> <Right>. bleeding eyes, <laughs> right? But this is one of them, and, and and you and I both real big fans of Cameron Grimes. There, there's no qualms about it. Uh, we're, we're his biggest fans, but there, there's just a disconnect been going on for a while now with Cameron Grimes, and I hate to see it. So. Wait a minute! Is somebody cutting promos over there in the Gino household? That's Milo. Milo's, Milo's, Milo's cutting promos. Baby. He is. He's cutting <laughs> promos. He is Love no it. doubt about it. You know what he he likes to do? Um, he's Love a it. fan of the spear. He'll go, <laughs> it's a it's a spear, and then he goes for the spear. So, yep, he's already working on his spears. He's getting ready to rock. We have. Uh, Oh, yep, there is the man, Milo. He's cutting his promo right now. Getting ready to go to the doctor's office out there. Yeah? You can get <laughs> um, So, if I had to pick someone right now, I would say it would be Roxanne, who might who would be the next champion. Because at least they feel like they're kind of telling a story with her. Like, it, it, 
that's a good call. And she, and I, look, man, she's, man, I've seen her wrestle since she was 16 years old. And hell, she's just now, what, 19, 20, 21? Yeah. If you're, if you're going to put it on somebody, you got to put it on somebody that's going to turn some heads. And if you look on that roster right now, I, you just don't want a title placeholder, if you know what I mean. I, 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 she's the one, and then let Cora chase her for that title. I, can, I agree. I can see that happening and working out because really, there's a lot of talent on that roster, but none of them. Lash Legend doesn't feel it right now. Uh, who else? No. That, they just don't. They just don't feel it. You have Miko Satomura there who be, just beat Roxanne, and now. But that's okay. Now, you know, video from Miko airs and says Roxanne is really tough. I could see in a month Roxanne coming back and beating her. And that this being like her journey to win the title from Mandy Rose, she comes back and beats her. Maybe she has to beat Cora Jade first to get to Mandy. And then she gets there. And then afterwards, her and Cora can feud over the title. I could see her having yeah. a little bit of a journey along the way. It just doesn't feel like anyone else they're, no. they're planting those seeds for. And if that's going to happen, you got to have somebody face Mandy at Halloween Havoc. So, yeah, that, that's got to be Alba, right? So that'll be yeah, Alba. That's Alba. Be- that's right. That's Alba. Mandy goes over. Alba doesn't need to be winning this title. That goes over, and that buys some time for for Roxanne to make that climb. Yeah, I, I, I'm good with that. I'm, I'm yeah, good with that. me yeah. too. I think that could be an interesting uh, way to go. We had Cora Jade and Wendy Chu with a match. And Cora Jade gets the win to kind of just make her feel a little strong also And remind folks that they do have big plans for her Then we were, a lot of the night was about getting set up for the new NXT Number one contender for the championship We had Braun Breaker cutting a promo backstage Talking about how it was going to be Tyler Bate and JD McDonough To see who would face him next Pretty simple, pretty basic He's out at commentary after I just gotta say, he's just a boring guy. You know what I mean? Like, even when he's on commentary, it's just like, "Whoa, great move!" You know, he just doesn't—he just doesn't have a whole lot, a lot insightful to add. I think he's just one of those guys where it'll take him a little while to find his voice. You know, with his character, he's still a young dude and has not had a whole lot of reps. So, sitting down at commentary, that's one of the first times that guy's ever done that. Right? Like, he's it's never. Hard. You it's know, hard. And, it's hard. It's not easy. As you know, it's it's not easy at any level, especially. No, we, we just recorded um one of the old wrestling rewatches with Andrew Champagne, and it was from a few years ago, SummerSlam 2019, and it was when Renee Young was on commentary. And man, I gotta say, oh, I yeah. love yeah. Renee Young. She is amazing. She was terrible on commentary, and she will be the first person to tell you it. It was like her voice. She she would be she would say something and then you wouldn't hear from her again for oh, ten more minutes. Yeah, and then it was like the best thing that she does is having long form conversations with people, and she gets them to get comfortable and to be fun and to be loose. And none of that comes out in commentary. It's just a totally different thing. And remember, she was a part of the Raw commentary team. Remember, for a while she was a ring announcer. Then she was a part of the Raw commentary team, and a lot of people crapped on that decision. You know what she and she did too. She didn't want to do it. She she didn't like it, and she said, "I don't want to do it." And honestly, you could tell she didn't want to do it. Like it would come through that she just didn't feel all that comfortable. I remember Macho Man. Like yeah, you you would just imagine Macho Man was a great promo. 
he was pretty bad when he would be on commentary. <laughs> that sidewalk slam looked good, dear brother. <laughs> They're hanging from the rafters if there were any. Like he said that. Yes. And, yes. You know, and <laughs> it was. Um, he said it was WrestleMania nine when it was at the. Uh, at, in Vegas, you know, at Caesar's Palace, and he says they're hanging from the rafters, and then he realizes they're outside. There's not any. There's no rafters, and so he catches himself <laughs> at least and says, "If there were, if there were, any. were any, that is so good, dude." And, and, and you know, Dusty, Dusty was another one who, oh yeah, you know, fantastic promo. But there were some nights when Dusty was on commentary. Oh my gosh, he's like, "What is he saying? I don't even know what he's saying." Would start saying these things, read these poem type gimmick type, he'd, and they would pop Terrible. himself. Yes, he'd laugh and he'd say, "Oh my God, she get him in the <laughs> nether region. She had him in the nether region." Like he would just go off. <laughs> oh. oh, good stuff. It's just Ooh, not. Man. It's not that easy to no, sit down not. on commentary. There, um, we had Carmelo and Trick backstage, and Carmelo and Trick are all fired up about. You know him losing obviously So they go out to the ring Tells everyone to shut up so he can talk And they get interrupted By Chase University Andre <laughs> Chase And Bodie Hayward And Andre saw what happened And he thinks what we have here Is a Teachable moment <laughs> And uh, we get a tag team match With Andre and Bodie Against Trick and Carmelo And man The crowd is so in, like This is such a fun gimmick I really think this could be good on the main roster Me like, too. Everybody would be They don't have to be main, They're not main eventers right Like This oh, is like the I, this is the babyface version of Chad Gable Absolutely like, I want to see them feud right away With Chase U versus Alpha Academy Alpha Academy this is right? Yeah, it's this just, is this kicks off WrestleMania night one. It's it <laughs> like, oh my gosh, and this one, this is great, and yeah, it is. And we actually get them picking up a win, they win. like they the win. slip on the banana peel. Um, Andre Chase rolls up Carmelo, and out of nowhere, they get the win for the upset. So, man, I have a lot. I had a lot of fun with this, and I, I love me some Chase U. And when this guy says, he doesn't even. You know that a gim- like a, a catchphrase is great when they don't even have to say it. Right. They they get to about to say it, and what I have here is uh, and everyone's just this goes screwed. nuts. Yeah, man, fun fun stuff. And this this doesn't do anything to hurt Carmelo. Like Carmelo's no. over. He's fine. Like no. he, may, he may win that North American title, you know. But I, this this is it's well deserved for Chase U because this gimmick ha- has been fun from the beginning. And now to get them to, to work some matches and, and get you look, they're going to lose the majority of them. But when you give them that proverbial, we're not supposed to win, it's an underdog, you know, beating the heavy favorite, that's fantastic. It's saying, I got to get me a Chase U uh, sweat. Me too. We got to rock some few of those. Chase. So we can let her and Chase U at Chase U. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a debut for Oro Mensa, and he actually picks up a victory over Grayson Waller to qualify himself. For the ladder match Now in that match car, uh, In that match Apollo Crews distracts Grayson a little bit And Apollo Crews Has blood coming down From his eye <laughs> I'm what? laughing laugh I don't I, know 
Me neither. I was like, I, I want to just find out that Carmelo or that um that Apollo was just doing this like, you know, to distract him. Yeah, right. just put some red stuff down. Please don't tell me he's gonna have an eye that's bleeding. Like, I don't. <laughs> please, I don't need the bleeding eye no. gimmick here. Um, leading up to Halloween Havoc, but you know. Oh, you know, you're right. Oh gosh, you're right. Match. Gimmick match havoc with him and Grayson. The eye for the eye match, like they did with Mysterio a few years ago in Rollin. Somebody's got a patch. You got to wear that patch. And uh, Alistair Black pops back in with the eye. Oh, so we had uh, Gallus backstage with their little pub, and then Brooks, Briggs, and Maria. They walked in, and uh, they're gonna they're gonna continue to brawl. As they had to be split up by security We got a big man fight Sangha versus Von Wagner Wagner picks up the win Couple big men going at it here I kind of like Sangha as a big man baby face Like I yeah. think Because yeah. they always bring in these big guys And then there's just this mean evil heel That doesn't talk He's kind of like a funny guy He talks, he's nice I don't mind him as like a lovable giant He's got a He's, he's passable in the ring yeah. He's not like fantastic or anything, but right now he's way better than an Omos. Oh, and or, and, and so is Von Wagner, and I don't. Yeah, like he, he keeps Wagner. improving too. He's getting a lot. He's getting better. He well, Wagner's always been okay in the ring, at least. Remember his first match? He came in and they put him in that fatal four way with with like all the main eventers right off the bat, and he didn't look bad in the match. He's just his gimmicks are boring, and his characters. And who, is who, did he, who did he send off? O'Reilly. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly. Yeah, so he was put in a, a bad situation to begin with. He was like a hitman. Like, hey kid, all right, you're 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 out of the performance center. You're going to debut, and you're going to bury O'Reilly, who has been one of our top stars here in NXT since we started this brand, because he's going to go over to AEW. Go get him, kid. I, I, that's a hard. So even if you don't like the guy, which I I, I I'm not a fan of Von Wagner. But you've got to feel for him to be in that spot to be the guy that goes and does that, because that that is, that is no fun. But I, I do like I do like Robert Strong being involved. I, I still think there's a spot for him, you know, on TV and on this roster. I, I just don't know how good he and Von Wagner could be in the future. But you know, it, it was a good big man match. I thought Sanga maybe broke his was, arm at one point, but it was good. it was fine. I, I really didn't have any problems with it. Nah. We got a uh, a promo from Wesley. You know, he may be able to win this Yeah, that's match. another one to keep an eye on for Because sure. they built a story for him For a while, he has the built-in stuff With Trick and with Carmelo They injured him last week when, when he was supposed to have a chance at the North American title And so, now he's going to earn it So he has a qualifying match next week Against Tony D The Don of NXT Channing Stax Lorenzo let us know that So, I really like how big They're making this ladder match feel you know, in the and what's fun is in the next, you know, few weeks they can have a couple more of these qualifying matches along the way, and it'll it'll feel really well built up once we get there. And this is not their main title on NXT. Just shows no. you what little promo and some good qualifying matches can do. I, I you know, I, you know, there's there's Braun as as you mentioned on commentary. You know, he started feeling more important, and we gave him some credence here. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, at, 
I don't know, man. These North American title qualifying matches are, are just... This, I know where you're going. This feels more important than Braun yeah. right now. And I it think does. it is something to do with the fact it's it's sort of Braun... The, the Bate match, when he comes in, people like Tyler Bate, and that's fine, and J.D. McDonough, too. And he's sure, But sure. both of them being NXT UK, it sort of feels like Braun's kind of not even in NXT right now. Right. You know, because... Well, I'm not these taking are, away- because the match was fantastic Both of those guys can freaking go Oh yeah and, and even now when they At the end you know Dragunov comes in Sure so that's another NXT UK Guy who's fantastic in ring But hasn't really been built To the regular NXT Audience as much so it's a little You know it reminds me Sometimes of a, a little bit of, of AW yeah you know when they have True good point ring of honor Or new Japan and it's just We know the match is going to be great but it's hard to get as into it because we are not getting that we haven't got the week to week builds remember like you old, will for other stories. Remember the old European Championship would pop yep. up, uh, you yep. know, you know, and then there's Dave Finley or whoever it is. Uh, yeah, you, you make a real good point there. It's not Brian's fault, but I, I just think that I don't know. It just feels like there's really not a good direction for him. Again. No, but the North American title title picture is is Ooh. fantastic. Love what they've done there and it just feels like A really big big deal Right now so JD McDonough ends up Getting the win in a Great match against Tyler Bate JD McDonough is the new number one Contender and then uh, Dragonoff comes out after So we wonder if he Will be added into the picture now That's NXT On Tuesday we head to AEW on Wednesday AEW had Really, really bad publicity coming out of their pay-per-view. CM Punk goes on the scrum. There's a big fight backstage. All the executive producers are calling each other, calling things out. Nobody's getting along. It didn't feel like things were going well. And I have to say, the last two weeks, Tony Khan has done a really good job of just saying, hey, what we can do now is put people we trust on our TV, proven stars. People that everyone knows. I mean, you look at this episode of of Dynamite. Who was on the show? Cesaro and Chris Jericho to open the show. Guys who have had a lot of experience on big time TV. You know who's closing the show? Moxley, Dean Ambrose, and Brian Danielson. Daniel Bryan. You have bookends of stars that if anyone's flipping the channels, they're like, oh, Chris Jericho. <laughs> oh, look, it's Daniel Bryan. And you know that all of these guys in particular Like these four They're total pros They're going to give you good work The crowd's going to be into them They're going to be over Like this was a good way the last couple of weeks To try to get that negative energy and vibe away And just let's send these really good veterans out to the ring And let them do their thing Yeah if you, if you look at the show in its whole um, Man you, you definitely This is you know, WWE vibe. And, and I think that's probably um, the best thing they could have done. I, I still think the roster is way too big. Um, I don't, I don't, I just not getting into the Mondays and Tuesdays, dark and dark elevation. <clears throat> but if you look at the overall, what, what happened on the Grand Slam, you talked about Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson, Dean Ambrose, Mockley. Claudio Cesaro, Chris Jericho, Chris uh, Keith Lee, Billy Gunn, William Regal, Tony Storm, Ember Moon, aka Athena, and then Paige, Navelle, Soraya, uh, Deeb. So it's like 
man, man, this is a lot of. And then, there, of course, we're, we're going to talk about Paige. So if you break it all down, so who was AEW on Wednesday night? The Acclaimed yeah. and Orange Cassidy were your lone, lone, real outside. Of, and then, you know, Acclaimed, you could definitely call WWE, but <clears throat> they're definitely go, They're definitely playing the safe route, and that's definitely what they did with the uh, the AEW World Championship here. I think it was a no-brainer when those brackets came out, and I just complained and complained and complained. I, you know, the... The two to five favorite definitely was was Mox here. No doubt about it. It was just it was very predictable when we saw it. And we kick off the card with Claudio versus Chris Jericho. These two have a good match. Jericho gets the win. Jericho is your Ring of Honor world champion. So I can understand why you do this. They want to get more eyeballs on Ring of Honor, putting Jericho as the champ. We'll do that. But the problem is. Cesaro is exactly what happened with a lot of these debuts. You bring him in, you're hot for a few minutes, and then now he's losing, and he's not even really on TV very often, and you don't even have, like, a Ring of Honor TV. So where do you go next for, like, Cesaro, if you're him? I I think he's in trouble. Um, I agree. If he, what, are you going to put him with Moxley in that program? Um, he, he just because Mo- Moxley is not going to lose that title for a little, it's going to be MJF. It's either MJF and that's it. He's not losing to anyone else. It's like randomly, no. it's going to be MJF whenever that is. I, I think he's in trouble. I think this was uh, a horrible fit. I thought it may be a good idea at the time, but they're really we th- we beat a dead horse when we talk about this, Gino. There's no other way to put it. There's a lot, lot of these guys and girls are not surviving that transition. From WWE to AEW and using their real name or their indie name. It just, there's, you you just lose all separation. And then when the guy is not on Wednesday night much, remember he signed and he was the main event of the pay-per-view. He was on top of the steel cage, man. Or, or that Wednesday night on Dynamite. And then next thing you know, uh, he's on Rampage. And then he's on Monday night on YouTube. Tuesday night used to. Then he's winning a title in a promotion that's really not even real. Let's call it what it is. It's no, not. it's not. It's, it's AEW. It's AEW Ring of Honor. It's like when WWE did ECW. Right? ECW. It's not a separate thing. I hate that for him. I don't know what he signed two years. Because uh, he's just now. He hasn't even been there a year. Not even six months. So he's going to be there for a while. So I, I don't. I, this is not a good sign for him. No. Jericho Appreciation Society celebrates after, and then we get the tag team championship. I will say, I, the yeah. I like, like I mean, this was a pay per view basically on because that's the way that they had it, and it felt nice that there weren't like fifth like twenty matches tried to be jammed in. Like everything could breathe a little bit here, you know, a little bit more than they would on a normal episode because. They wanted to make sure that all these matches had time So they weren't jamming in all of these Other short matches Short segments, people coming out afterwards It just felt like they were breathing A little bit more WWE with the change with Triple H Has forced them To call some audibles and how they're doing things And I think for the betterment Of their product overall It's just a little bit easier to watch right now In the last few weeks I agree, and look, and I I told you I, I said it last week um, and maybe the week before It just has seemed something is different In a positive way without CM Punk And I'm sorry, without the Young Bucks being Maybe involved. there's an energy from everyone That's a little bit different, you know 
hey, look, maybe the backstage vibe was there were a lot of people walking around eggshells with these all these guys and all this tension in the building and the locker room. You got to take that into account too, man. So the AEW World Tag Team Championship changes hands as the acclaimed picks up the win over Swerve in our glory. And how to do this? They were over. They've become naturally over in the last month or so. This was the time to put the titles on the acclaimed. The only problem is, is that now you wonder what happens with Swerve in our glory because they weren't doing much before this. And they're not as over as the acclaimed, but they were like slowly just kind of feeling like more a part of AEW. And they now they were getting, it was getting, it was feeling more, they were fitting in more. Exactly. And now, now you wonder they're, they're not try- the champs. Is there going to be room for them anywhere? Ooh, good point. I, I just, I don't think so. The acclaim and Billy Gunn scissor after. <laughs> Scissor me daddy ass And the crowd Goes absolutely nuts Um, Up next We had FTR backstage Like where the hell have these guys been I love that the I love that the guns just said it They're like hey where have you guys been How come you're not on TV You guys like It's funny to say that but It's serious Like it's 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 funny to joke about it But you guys are they're really not on TV It's it's 100% true so I, I guess we're gonna get a match with these two before we get to FTR the acclaimed. I, I'm I'm I guess that that's probably where we're going. So and I'm okay with that. But the problem you get with that is you give more time for people to get hurt, and I that's know. what and AEW has been snake bit with injuries. You're, you got to say that's what been one of their crutches, their hurdles. And a lot of these guys and girls get hurt. That's why I like the. Striking while the iron's hot Because you know you put people off on the back burner And you never know look what they did with CM Punk They had their, they had an interim champ For all this time Then CM Punk comes back he wins the title And one day later he's gone because he's hurt And you know under investigation <laughs> <laughs> Like ugh. So MJ uh, for Wheeler Yuta is out With Tony Schiavone And Tony's asking him about the title match Between Brian Danielson and Moxley and MJF interrupts. Why did they do this to poor Wheeler Yuta? I, I mean, were know. they? I mean, I I don't know what they were what the what they were going for here. But why would you put someone out there with MJF who is not even remotely on their level on the microphone and is going to get absolutely torched? Were they trying to get Wheeler Yuta to like be a heel here? I I don't even know what they were doing. I really don't because Wheeler says something like. Hey MJF, I saw how you're engaged. What? <laughs> then he said something that he has more catchphrases than friends. What? Like that's a burn? I just <laughs> and I and I I will even say this was good for Wheeler Yuta. It was like I actually think for him he didn't do a bad job. But you've got MJF out there in his hometown. The crowd is just going nuts. MJF is dancing. He's sitting there dancing around Wheeler Yuta, and he's just like the level of stardom between these two was just shocking. And I mean, I'm sure it'll probably lead to a match coming up between the two that MJF can win. But I'm okay with that though, and I don't like Wheeler Yuta. Yeah, me too. And and that's because what I guess what they can do is Wheeler can say, "Yeah, you're better on the mic," but now it went. Now we're in the ring. 
you know, and he's a little bit more of a badass in the ring. Um, it just, I, I just kept thinking, poor Wheeler Yuta, man. He's up here, and and MJF says, you know, uh, I'm the devil, and and the, that makes all of you devil worshippers. And he said, hey, Yuta, you'll never get a reaction like that. <laughs> <laughs> dick. What I a know. dick move. That was so mean. Now, I don't, I don't know Trina. <laughs> so, um, Trina, it was involved in uh, hip hop, I guess years back with Trick Daddy, yeah. and but I don't know Trina. And backstage, Jade Gargle is there, and Diamante interrupts. Diamante is going to face Jade Cargill on Rampage on Friday. She introduces her backup, Trina. Now, I think the reason why they were doing this is because Trina was initially the one that called herself like the baddest yeah. bitch yeah. or that bitch. And yeah. that's what Jade says now. But here's the problem with that. I'm going to stop you right there because I'm, I'm into rap music. Okay. I, I have, I, I've been a, I, I've wanted to be a rapper my entire life. <laughs> that is just, that, that's a little nugget right there that's going to go in my biography uh, sooner or later when I can find somebody to ghostwrite it for me. Um, that I, I have always been into rap music. Started from the 80s, two live crew. MC Hammer, I, I, I listened to it. Now the new rap stuff is it's not even rap music, so it won't even go there. But Trina was a part of this group, and it was, I, I believe Trick Daddy, it was, it was Florida-based. He, the, here's the problem with it. It's so long ago, people don't remember it. It's not like you're bringing in Nicki Minaj or somebody like Drake or somebody who's current. Nobody knows or even cares about that. that that's my problem with it. Can we like Could I have gotten a little video package Just to show me who this girl is Or like (laughs) hey here's a thing of Trina calling herself this This and then that's why Now if you wanted to bring in Megan the Stallion Who's uh, Super popular right now I think she says some. She was on She-Hulk She was twerking on She-Hulk a couple weeks ago I love that But see you even know that name Trina you're not going to know Gino unless No I don't I don't in early 2000 rap game and, and mo- majority of the wrestling fans I'm sorry are not going to know who Trina are or they're, Excuse me they're not even going to care And that's my problem with that it just, it just feels like you bring in People to try to get Each single match over and you don't Have to do that and where has Diamante Been I know. She hasn't been on TV you know, like, just- give, us, give us a look at what she's been doing I, Yes I just I don't like Just like we said with with the NXT with the UK, some of the UK give me a little bit more about them tell me what's been going on give me a little clip of what they've been doing on darker elevation anything but i didn't i didn't know who this was and we then have the all atlantic championship pac versus orange cassidy a fine match these two have had a lot of matches over the years and pac gets the victory so at least we're we're seeing him on dynamite a little bit more than he had been for a while. He was the champ. He was the All Atlantic champ for a month, and we didn't see him one time. So I, I agree. That, like, like I said earlier, you know, there there wasn't very many AEW purebreds uh, on this show. Uh, there was some interesting matches. This was one of them. I don't get why you need all these titles to have good matches, but if you if you've got so many people on a roster and you need to give them a belt, so be it. I just don't know why some of these people get. Championship contender matches Out of the blue We had the women's world championship The interim women's world championship 
Tony versus Britt Baker versus Athena versus Serena Deeb. A lot of the match was was solid. Um, when when you add Athena and Deeb, they're really good veteran in ring workers, so they they're they're good in the ring. But there was a scary spot where Britt looked like she may have got a concussion. Ah, uh, and it, but but then after the match, she was still doing the post match stuff. So I I'm hoping she's okay if she was still doing that after. But it was scary for a minute. Uh, yeah, this is, it's, man, and we'll get to who, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll save my opinion for this once, once you give this, the, the big pop of the night came to right after this match. Yeah. So Tony Storm rolls up, uh, Baker rolls up Tony for two and then Tony's able to counter it for the, uh, the three count. So Tony Storm is your winner and still your interim women's champ. And then after the match, Britt and, Jamie Hader comes out, joins in on the attack. So Baker, Britt, Hader, and Deeb are all attacking Tony and um, Athena. And then music hits for Soraya, Paige. And Paige comes out and she stands tall. Now, Paige did not get physical here. And they haven't said, have you heard anything about if she can wrestle or not? No, she just said, this is my house. You know, she and we so we don't know is no, she here to be know. a valet or a manager to be you know some something in the women's division or can is she cleared is she healthy can she actually wrestle now we she was not cleared to wrestle by WWE but in the last few years we've seen Daniel Bryan Edge people who were not supposed to ever return to wrestling come back and physically they have been okay even after dealing with. Neck injury, uh, neck and head issues. So, Paige, I was always a big fan of Paige. She's That's great cool. in the ring. There's a movie about freaking Paige uh, fighting with my family. She is a true and true wrestler. She knows the business. She knows how to get over. She's good on the mic. She's good in ring. I just, I'm a little, the only thing I'll say is if she's going to be wrestling, I'm a little bit worried. I'm a little I, bit I, nervous. You have because. To. You know, I, I I I was this way when Daniel Bryan came back and when Edge came back. You're going to be until you see them take a few bumps, and you wonder with her. And I always wonder, like WWE does a really good job of keeping people protected, making sure they're not sending anyone out there, they're not clearing people. I mean, Daniel Bryan talked about some of the frustrations that he has. Then on the flip side, AEW lets their wrestlers kind of go out there and do whatever they want. Sometimes right. it and. That would be my only worry. If she's physically healthy, if she's been cleared by doctors and she can go, this could be a big help for their women's division. I mean, she is the bigger star than anyone in their women's division by five times right now. This would be the biggest game changer, both sides of the roster, if she's healthy and can remain healthy. And this is who you build. You have some good you, you have some good names and some good workers there, but this is this is the foundation that they need. This if she's if she's healthy and can work and stays healthy, this is probably their biggest game changer. Uh, I know a lot of people call everybody a game changer, you know, when they come over AEW, but without a doubt, um, this one is a big one. She's been out of wrestling for a long time now. That's what concerns me as well. So. Uh, definitely an interesting time for ADW. Again, she's healthy. This could be the game changer if they needed on either side of the roster. We got a weird, uh, 
Darby Allen. He's got a body bag on the subway and he's like dragging it in the streets. He says he's going to a funeral. Okay. Um, we finish. <laughs> okay. I was like, oh, okay. We finish up with the AEW World Championship. Danielson, Moxley, uh, hard hitting. They go about 20 minutes or so. My only gripe, I wish they would have given it like a, like a minute or two once the match is done to breathe a little bit more and like see what was going on because it looked like there was something going on post match where, you know, Regal comes in to shake their hands and, and Brian Danielson was, was sort of pissed. I don't know if he was going to be turning or what. I just, I like to see the post match a little bit after a big title match like this when yeah. you're crowning a new champion. And because sometimes they try to, to jam so much in, it was like they won and there was about 30 seconds after yeah. the win. Before they went off the air That would be my only gripe I thought it was was fine And like we said This was safe to put it back on Moxley and Poor Moxley who's been like Dude I've been your guy I've been sitting here this whole time You know I've been I gone anywhere Personal demons for you guys And came back and carried this company Damn it So he had chokes out Danielson The referee calls for the bell And you're new No longer interim You're new <laughs> AEW champion Is John Moxley So uh yeah, I thought a, a good episode And they didn't try to jam too much And now it feels like they've They've got like a little fresh start again After everything that went on a few weeks ago Now you got Moxley kind of as your guy To carry the the belt You've got, you know, Paige in And nobody really knows what's going to happen With Soraya, if she is going to wrestle or not If she's going to wrestle She can be a game changer If she's not going to wrestle I don't know how much it, it will do, honestly It'll be fun a little bit here and there She's great on on the mic She's great in like whatever role You'll put her in but I don't know if it's going to Move the needle if she's wrestling And she's able to be a part of the women's Division well I think she will get some Fans and eyeballs looking at that that Because she has a nice following yeah uh, you, And you brought up a very Good point here um, if She's not in ring uh, If she's not an in ring performer th- This this won't last. This this pop won't last very long. We we've seen Big Show. We've seen some people come over. Well, even and, Sting. Think about Sting. And, and Sting. Uh, good point. Um, you know, you had a good observation. She did not get physical with anyone. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's how they planned it. I don't know. If they did sign her to come over and not wrestle, that that just. I don't think it does anything for for me. I, I and I'm a, I was a huge Page fan. I still am. Uh, I'm not into the gaming, you know, that she's in. I know she's got a big following on her Twitch channel. And that was a big, you know, uh, deal breaker with her and WWE that she didn't want to give up the money uh, that they were wanting um, uh, because of it. You know, again, if, 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 if she can work in ring and, and Tony Khan can build around her, they have a chance to do something special here with, with not only that roster or that division, but build off that roster because uh, she was the one that really started this women's revolution in the mm-hmm. WWE. Do you she came that? up. She was <laughs> the, the NXT champ and the Divas champ at the same time when yeah. she came up, and then they had to drop that title. And she had the really quick win against AJ when she came up. And yeah, she. I always had like a little like a crush on her too. She just like something about her. I I mean I I really just love her like in ring work and she's kind of like a smart ass too. She's got a really fun sense of humor. So uh, I hope to see Paige back doing well. I mean, 
The thing too, what's great about Soraya and Paige, like we've seen this girl in our pu- in the public eye, like grow up. You yeah. know, she was a child when she was wrestling. Then she came over to NXT. Then she was in this awful relationship with Del Rio when she was drinking and he was like abusing her. It's like all this horrible stuff. She was able to get through that, and now she looks like she's doing really well. And um, we hope the best for Soraya in AEW. Koopa Loop. Anyone who's been following you for the last few weeks has been doing pretty well with some of your football plays, my friend. You got any plays for us this week? Yeah, I'm working the gimmick here, Gino. You I'm are, working, man. Uh, two college. Well, I have multiple, but the two, uh, you know, because I bet way too much because I got to have that <laughs> and everything. I used to bet like over unders on um, when it was legal here in Texas. You know, you couldn't bet on hardly anything, but there was a there was a sports app that let you bet over unders on temperatures throughout cities. Oh. That is great, dude. And I would go look at the seven day forecast, you know, for the, for, for San Francisco and say, well, let me see what the former's almanac said about it last year. And of course it'd be like 96, five. And I go, I get the under, I reached a, we broke a record today. We're 97 in January. And I'm just like, oh man, I'm crushed. But anyway, I had two plays. I really like. I know Tennessee, the volunteers, I've seen a resurgence and it's, you know, good for them. College football is better when those type of programs are better. When you go back to the Peyton Manning days, you know, good old Rocky Top. But you know what? I'm not a Florida Gator fan. I never have. I've never been. All these these gimmicky Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks that they produce who went on to the NFL and never really became anything like, you know, Shane Matthews and Danny Warfel and, and all these guys or whatever. I think Florida is good enough to go into Rocky Top, Knoxville, Tennessee, and they're getting double-digit. Uh, they're getting double-digit points. I think right now. Yes, it's ten and a half. And uh, let me tell you, I love this game this week too. This is one of my plays. Florida. I love, that. I love it, man. I think the trends are there. I think Florida comes in. They've got a new head coach from Louisiana Lafayette. That dude can coach. They have nothing to lose, and I think well, all for- the pressure is going to be on Tennessee. If you look at Florida's schedule, this they, so they're two and one right now. The oh. first four games of their year, they played that huge game with Utah right off the bat in opening week. Then following that, they had to play against Kentucky in a big game and against another good opponent. And then last week, they played South Florida, and it was like a sleepy game where they barely won by a field goal because they were looking ahead. To the next game Like this was the one of their games that they looked at They're like okay we can sleepwalk through South Florida They're going to be motivated this week Tennessee has a miserable Defense yes. So I think the gimmicky quarterback That's all we need is just him to just keep it within yes. a, a Single digits here That's it and, I, and I'm hammering That game there's just something About that tells me that Florida Is going to come in this, this is a good Old school SEC East Rivalry type game or whatever. I, I just think, look, the trends say it too. Tennessee has not been able to cover a whole lot of games as double-digit favorites. Hell, their program has been terrible over the last couple of years. But I give them credit. They're playing good. The buzz is there. But I think the Florida Gators keep it within uh, two scores here, and I'll take the 10.5 for sure. When they beat Pitt earlier in the year, and when they beat Pitt in, in overtime, Pitt was up 10 nothing. was driving to go up 17 to nothing, and they threw an interception. My guy, Keaton Slovis from USC for, for, for freaking pit through an interception. Then he gets hurt. Then the backup quarterback gets hurt. Then they went, uh, 
Then after there were like five things that happened in order for Tennessee to be in that game. And then in overtime, they end up covering by seven and it was six and a half point spread. And that's like their big win. When you dive into that game, they shouldn't have won that game. No, no. And that's why they're a little bit overvalued. They do not have a good defense. They played Ball State and Akron in their other two games, so their defense didn't have to work because their defense is just more athletic. Against a team like Florida, I'm with you, Coop. Let's do it. Old Rocky Top, baby. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> give me uh, give me your other play. My other play is, man, my Houston Cougars have just been an outright disappointment, just embarrassing. Got lucky in the opener uh, going to San Antonio and beating the Roadrunners, which are a good team. But they're a Conference USA last year champion. Uh, they, they gave Texas a good battle last week. But you, you, caught a, you caught a lucky horseshoe in the first week. Second week, you give, you give up 17 unanswered points to Texas Tech. You go into overtime with them. That lucky horseshoe was not there. You, you lose in overtime. Then you just come back at home and thought you were going to be able to sleepwalk and beat a Kansas team who's 3-0 and for the first time. In in two or three decades, you get blown out at home. At home, fans were booing. You you give up 48 points to Kansas. And look, Kansas is a lot better. But this is a team you're going to play next year, you dummies. In the Big 12, you're going to the Big 12, wake up. And now Houston has to come back this week and play their arch nemesis. It's the Bayou Bucket. They're going to host the Rice Owls. What? I th- Look. This line opened, I think, at Houston big, 17 or 18 and a half. I'm not going to touch that spread because I'll probably be backdoored because I would I would never <laughs> use Cougars anyway because I hate the right sows. But one line I do like, I like the over here. I think Houston's going to score a lot of points. Houston's defense, the Sac Avenue, was built up to be one of the top defenses in the country. They've been embarrassed over the last couple of weeks. Rice is coming into this game, the Bayou Bucket. This is their Super Bowl. They just beat you, La La Lafayette. They just beat Louisiana Lafayette to snap a, the longest streak that Lafayette's ever had. I think these teams can score a lot of points. I think it opened at 58. I think it's in the low 60s now. I don't think that that matters. I think Houston is able to score five or six touchdowns. And I think Rice is going to score three or four touchdowns too. I'm going with the over here. Houston, yeah, Rice, Houston, bucket, take the over. Houston's given up. 35, 33, and 48 points in there. Yeah, look, look at right. Look, Rice is better, but it, it, if Houston holds them to 14 points, Dana Holgerson, the heat is on again. He's going to have to run this score up. If it gets out of hand, they're going to keep scoring. Either way, I like this to fly over. Oh, dude, Rice, Rice played USC to open the year. I mean, they're not, they're not awful. They're, they're no, capable no. of moving the ball offensively. They, they scored you think a couple. They're going to come in and scared of Clayton Tune. And no, that offense? No, absolutely, absolutely not. So I like that. Over there in the rice, and then we're both going uh, with Florida, taking the you points. Bet. Florida heading in to play Tennessee. Coop Loop, my man. Thank you for helping us out with another fun edition of This Week in Wrestling. Good luck to you in your plays this week, my friend. We'll all give you a follow at the Chad Cooper on Instagram and on Twitter. And I hope you have a fantastic rest of your weekend. Happy belated birthday to Mr. Coop. Yes, sir. Turn to big 82 and uh, let's cash some bets and uh, let's watch some good wrestling next week and uh, tune in. We'll have it all for you next Thursday. We'll be right back here again each and every week with Chad Cooper on That's What G Said with This Week in Wrestling. That's going to do it for this week's episode. A big thank you to 
Eric for helping us out with NFL. Big thanks to track announcer from Parks, Chris Griffin. And good luck to Chris on the weekend and moving forward to Aqueduct. Jessica Paquette, always so much fun catching up with her. And this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. Hope we help you make some money. And moving forward in the next few days, we'll have uh, She-Hulk episode 6 deep dive recap and review. We'll have uh, Andor, the first couple episodes of Andor. And we'll finish up Louisiana Downs. We also have... SummerSlam 2019 on the Old Wrestling Rewatch with Andrew Champagne. So a lot of content coming in the next few days right here on That's What G Said.